Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that eventually ends, but <laughs> but we go, we go, we go long, we go hard. Uh, this is the playoffs for those of us who are involved in player evaluation. You know, the regular season took place, started all the way back at spring ball, and continued through to the end of the regular season and the playoffs and national championship game. It feels good to say that. A real Master Sanchez game. And postseason sort of really kicked in the, you know, you have the all-star games, and those are sort of like you know, wild card stuff. And then when you get, you're in the divisional round by the time you get to uh, the combine. So, and of course, the draft itself is the Super Bowl. But the pro days fill that gap between the, you know, that second round of the playoffs, I guess you can call it, and, and the Super Bowl. We talked a little bit about what the, what the combine means in your process, in our process. Uh, James Coburn's with me. Jim, what, what do pro days mean? Because for, for obvious reasons, we can't value them exactly the same way we value the combine. But how do you value? What value do you place on the pro day? Um. Well, I mean, the pro days are, I mean, the, the athletic data at pro days are interesting to talk about just because there's always talk of numbers being skewed and, you know, guys, oh, UCLA has a very fast track, you know, stuff like that a lot. Uh, you, you hear about times that we're like, eh, sometimes you can just hope that the numbers that you're getting from certain organizations, especially teams, you know, because teams usually send their guys, they do their times, uh, and then that's about it. Hopefully you don't use the the team's times um, from the facilities. But it's just, I mean, when it comes to other events, like the the broad jump at the vertical uh, or – the any of the timed events, you're going to have some skeptical questioning about mm-hmm. it. Uh, sure. But stuff like vertical, stuff like broad jumps, stuff that is that the testing criteria doesn't really change much. You know, I mean, you can't really. I mean, how exactly? I, I, I don't know how you can. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's something you could do, but I don't know how you could exactly fudge a vertical jump, you know, when it was much done the same everywhere, you know, for the most part. Or broad. Right. right. You know, it's just when it comes to the, to the 40s and uh, the short shuttle, the three cone, uh, you, you're you kind of taking a leap of faith uh, with some of the numbers that they report, but you just kind of hope that 
up hearing it a little bit better. And you do label that the numbers you got were pro day numbers. You just do. Uh, but then again, I've never run into any situation where the numbers I got from the pro day were so egregious and so terrible, so bad that, uh, that it was just not, uh, that it was impossible for them to be true, I guess. Uh, you know, at least a little true. Yes, at least a little true. That's maybe the best description I've ever heard for pro day numbers. They're at least a little true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, in terms of the drills and everything else like that, uh, like I said, uh, I, I mean, watching drills are great. It's, it, you know, being there and watching guys go through drills and do stuff that they haven't done before, if they get a chance to do that, that's awesome. Uh, that's, that's another part of the pro days where if you're trying to project, you know, Dante Fowler Jr., right? So you go to Dante, you go to Florida's pro day and you go, all right, Fowler Jr., let's have you drop back in coverage, right? And let's see if you can, you know, I'm a 3-4 team and I want to see if you can do that, which you obviously can't do. But let's see if you can and, and you know, try to do stuff and, and try to get some more ideas about what they can and can't do, at least in limited you know, in limited areas of stuff. And, and you know, there's that. And and there's the other guys as well, either the small school guys and the, uh, and the other, you know, the other guys. The guys who were injured, the guys who uh, were underlooked, <laughs> the guys that didn't get invites. And it's, and of course, the guys who didn't do their, their uh, workouts at the uh, combine, whatever workouts they decide not to do, which I always, I mean, you can hide certain stuff, and that's where, you know, Justin Gilbert was, and I I keep bringing it up, but I just have to, because, you know, he was the guy that, you know, went to the combine and did everything except for the short show, goes to the pro day, does a 4-3 of the short show, which is a pretty Mm -hmm. big number for a top 10 pick. Uh, especially a quarterback position, and and of course the you know, the other one is the notorious Allen Robinson, who you know, went from 220 pounds at the combine, dropped to 209, blew up the pro day, and people still don't realize that he was. I mean, so there's two different guys we're talking about, right? Like, so your report was saying he was you know 209 at the pro days. But every single site that has his pro day numbers still has him at 220 pounds. Right. Exactly. It would be – but the funny thing is, and I guarantee you this won't work in this direction, if Mr. Gregory shows up 12 – what was it, 11 pounds, 11 pounds, 11 pounds heavier, if he shows up 246 at his pro day, I guarantee they'll update. They won't leave him at 235. Well, of course they will, because it's Randy Gregory. He's, I mean, there is too much, and again, it's not like I don't like Randy Gregory. I think Randy Gregory can be a decent football player if he puts on, let me see, 15, let's see, mental calculations here, so I'd be 250. Even 250 is a little light. But if he puts on like 20 pounds, you know, or 25 pounds, I'd be happy 
thirty would be more impressive, but is that going to happen? Eh, you know, not really. But he's he's just one of those guys this year where he can do no wrong uh, in anything. Uh, you spin everything he does that's negative, and I just sometimes I just wonder do do people actually look at what they're saying <laughs> when they're talking about a prospect? Because uh, I, I understand that people. I mean, okay, you know, people fall in love with prospects all the time, but sure. eventually you have to look the 235-pound guy in the mirror, you know, that that this is this is not uh, – got to slow down a bit when it comes to – this is a legitimate concern. But, I mean, when it comes to him, definitely. He, Gregory comes in and weighs 245, or I doubt he weighs 245 more than that, but if you did, then that would certainly, some of the, you know, the scouts would be less, uh, you know, upset. Right. If they even were upset, because it doesn't sound like it from everything I've read. They're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. He just, <laughs> he, he said it himself. He like, he gains and loses weight easily all the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow I might be touring 50 pounds. Thursday I might be touring 29 pounds. It just happens. Uh, I see Alex Brown and uh, and uh, also the our California the California kid Donovan James has joined us. Alex, we're we're still trying to figure out a couple of things. So we talked about a week ago sort of what the combine means, and the combine is now in the books, as they say. And now we have to figure out what pro days mean and the difference between the two. They're obviously similar in some ways, but different in some ways, and how much weight you put on those differences or similarities. So, uh, Alex, first of all, thank you for joining us. The Combine, you've had a chance to analyze it, as I guess everyone in the world who does what we do analyzes it about three or four different ways. Uh, what things do you say, think you took away from something like the Combine, and then talk about what the pro day means to you in your process? Um. I will say that some of these linebackers, um, you could tell, uh, weren't entirely comfortable with the weight they've put on. And two of them in particular, for me at least, were obviously Paul Dawson and Martrell Spate. And Spate had good explosive and power power numbers um, to sort of offset the uh, the 40 time and the three cone. But um, with both of them, I think it's important to realize that they don't play at that 230 plus pound range that they were that weighed that they weighed in at. Um, Quan Alexander, on the other hand, stayed at his 220 pound ish weight. He's at 227 right now, and probably plays lighter than that. You know, and he went out and put up you know four or five whatever and all the speed numbers that you want out of a weak side linebacker. So I think, uh, like for instance, Gregory. Gregory gets a lot of flack for you know coming in at 235. And, and he played lighter than that and yeah. wound up getting sick and had to get, like, an IV or something. Like, it was, it was he got really, really sick the week before the combine. And um, right. I'm just glad that he went out and met all of the expectations athletically because if he went out and had a so-so day or, like, you know, he's pretty athletic, you know, ran, like, a 4-7 and, had some average jumping numbers, like people would have smashed him off their boards. Um, but for him to go out there and really, really look like a guy that can play a stand-up Sam, like make that transition the, that the uh, the Vikings made with, 
with Anthony Barr making like a full-time stand-up linebacker. I don't think that's out of the question with a guy like Gregory. Obviously, you know, his skill set is more suited to play off the edge with his length and his first step and his ability to bend. But um, I think teams are going to like how, you know, athletic he is at that frame and, and the fact that he's, you know, able to pack on more weight if he needs to. So, you know, really I think it's important to, after the combine, sort of you have your question marks that are like, okay, why did he test for it here? You know, what was the case with this? And so then they get their second opportunity. So when we talk with the quarterbacks, it's, you know, you want them to throw at the combine so that they can make up for, you know, whatever poor play they had at the combine with their pro day or just to get two extra exposures. Um, so really that's all it is, just another chance to really showcase your skill set. Right. Um, Jim had mentioned that, um, I, feel, I hope I quote this correctly, that how his approach as a metrics guy is that the numbers he gets from pro days are usually a little bit true, I think is the term he uses. A little uh, bit true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and there's a couple of schools, and I won't call them up by name, where people in the scouting community just sort of automatically add time in their minds, you know, oh, well, that would be, you know, X. <laughs> you know, oh, okay, solve for X. Well, so and so just ran, you know, four three eight. Oh, okay, it's really, you know, it's really four four six. You know, uh, it's hard to completely quantify, but there are two or three really notoriously fast uh, tracks in in college football, and anyone who's been around scouting for a while knows can name them um, automatically, like knows them by heart. Oh yeah, and I, when I first started doing this, I was hanging around guys, and we would sort of almost play the game like, you know, which is the, what do you think is the fastest track of all college football? And we sort of ranked them. We did that back on CDS around 2008 or nine or something. We sort of did it as a fun exercise. Uh, and surprisingly, most people agreed on who like the three fastest tracks were. Uh, oh, come on. Come on. Let them out. Sure. Okay. What the heck? Uh, in order, in order, Syracuse is notoriously ridiculously fast. It's a rubberized uh, uh, surface. So some of that energy, you know, I mean, I'm going to get the old physics thing, but it returns some of your energy back to you when you're running on it, basically. You're not going to go uh, second law of thermodynamics? Like, <laughs> not <laughs> <a discount>. <laughs> <laughs> if something can happen scouting. more than one way, it's a better chance of happening. Man, right. that's really going deep, man. There's no better way to scout than using this. It looks like a law of thermodynamics. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That that was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of those great moments in, in, in draft stick, stick to the um, stick, stick to the stopwatch, please. Please, <laughs> for, for all of us. I, I, I you know, in, in the same breath as you, like, come on, let's, let's not get a bad name for ourselves here. Exactly. Draft Twitter has already done enough to damage its good name. Let's not go any further. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, I mean, that's, an, that's one that's notorious. Virginia Tech is notorious in the scouting community for the, you know, D'Angelo Hall's legendary 4-1-5-40, um, Michael Vick's legendary 4-2-4-40 or whatever, 40-something. Um well, I if I had to play defense against them in the 90s and 2000s, I think I would have, you know, I might have agreed with that. 
they they did have a lot of team speed. Uh, there's no no that's the one difference between Virginia Tech more recently and Virginia Tech in its prime, whatever you want to call it, is they don't quite have that kind of silly level of team speed. But they weren't quite as fast as those guys that were coming out. Uh, and of course Florida. And the crazy thing is that Florida is a pro day and you know what looks like normal conditions, but everyone distrusts the numbers in out of Florida. It does. It's no crazy track. There's no. I mean, it's it's a normal whatever term you want to use. Um, field turf, as far as I can tell, that they test on. But for whatever reason, everyone's numbers are always silly fast. Uh, almost always silly fast in Florida. Uh, faster than these guys play. Faster than these guys time in other conditions. Just fast, for whatever reason. So you look at those. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, no. Just thinking of of Florida in general. Um... Dante Fowler has some numbers that he'd like to to improve on. Like his exactly. three cone, his three cone is really really slow, and yeah. his jumps his jumps were very mediocre. Um, yeah. Everything other than the forty was the forty, yeah, below yeah, average. Below average. Yep. It was really below yep. average. Like put it put it this way, um, Jordan Phillips, who's what three hundred and nine pounds. Yeah, three right, three twenty nine. He ran a seven eight eight three cone. Dante Fowler in like a seven four one. Yes, correct. <laughs> if you're yes. if you're if you're you know adjusting for density, that's wow. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Um, so definitely would like, like to five, see him. What you think in essence, Alex, is he tested like a five technique when it came to that? Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he twitched. And, and, we, and we've and we've talked about how he could be one of those like jumbo five techs. Um, and not you know the funny thing is. You know, Mike Mayock spends the entire broadcast trying to explain why Danny Shelton is the next Holodinata when all of these other guys, you know, Leonard Williams and Malcolm Brown and Jordan Phillips are putting on a show. And right, Shelton looks okay, but I mean, it's tape's okay. better. And it's tape's I'm a, better I'm than most of those guys. Fan. I'm as big a fan of Danny Shelton as there is, but no, he's not Holodinata. But, but the comparison I've always used is, is Casey Hampton. And Jim kind of shot that down a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it's funny. The numbers mean different things to different people. I guess what we're driving at. I'm bring Donovan in for a second. So, Donovan, we're looking at the combine, obviously. We looked at the combine. Now we're looking forward to the pro days. Uh, and we're, some of us are going to try to make it to some I'm going to try to make it to Northern Illinois. And maybe one of Northwestern is a tough nut to crack. I've been trying since I've been, since I've been living in the area. To, they, I don't know. They're weird at Northwestern. You'd think you'd want everybody in the world to be at their pro day, but whatever. Uh, moving on. Uh, so, how do you use? We talked about the combine in the past. But how do you use the pro day? What What does it mean to you, Donovan, in your process? Oh, we lost Donovan. Okay, back to you, Alex. <laughs> uh, how much do you care about metrics at all when it comes to a guy like Danny Shelton? And, and, and what I mean by that, I mean it has to mean something, but. He's clearly not a guy well suited to non-football athletic measurable events. What? What? How much? What yeah, percentage? I mean, what percentage of the process? Yeah, like how, yeah. Do you care about with a guy like him? It fills in the box. I mean, he's a nose tackle. Right. I mean, and and that's the if he was a came out and tested like a freak athlete, then it changes a little bit of your perspective your perspective in, in projection as far as how good he can be, his upside, and if he continues to develop his hand usage, you're like, oh, well, he could 
potentially even play a five, you know, if he, if he was, like, incredibly athletic and skates around on his feet well laterally, you know, in those drill workouts. But, you know, he's he fits the bill as a second-round defense as, as a nose tackle to me, a 3-4-0 technique. That's who I view him as. And in this draft class, there's, what, 20 maybe? There's, there's 10 for sure first-round guys that would be first-round picks across any draft. And then you get down into that second half of the first round, and that's probably where I see him going. I know a lot of people view him as potential top 10, top 15 pick, but I, nah. I, I, think, I, I think he's he's really, really uh, exclusively a, a zero technique. I think that's where he fits and, and, and where he'll play. But as far as how, how much it figures into, you know, say, Shane Ray's evaluation, it's going to factor a lot in for me because I want to see how much he weighs in. Um, you know, you don't want to have another setback on the foot and then him not work out. That would really, really hurt his stock. Um, but I'm pretty certain he's going to be able to work out, and you want to see what numbers he puts up, how he stacks up with the rest of the class. And for me, when I'm looking at Ray, just to give an example, um, he wins with his first step. I mean, he wins that initial burst. He just throws tackles completely off their game and forces them to panic out of their pass set. So I want to see if his explosive measurables and that 40, and obviously we can't get a real good feel for the 10-yard split as we you know do at the combine, but um, how those explosive measurables match up with some of these other guys in the class, how his broad jump, how his, how his vertical stack up against Bud Dupree, because that's another guy that wins with his first step. Uh, so I want to know how much of it is innate explosive ability and how much of it is snap anticipation and just instincts for the position. So um, I think it depends on player to player and you have to understand where the sort of picture is on the prospect at the time and what is missing. You know, what boxes you ha- have you not filled out yet? Is it a weight issue? Is it a 40 time issue? Is it um, an injury deal? And so then you sort of collect the information that you need and factor it in go from there. And Jim Coburn, you take obviously a lot of time and effort in gathering information. And as pointed out, you know, the pro day gives certain special challenges because the information doesn't have a single baseline. Obviously, the conditions from pro day to pro day are Sometimes slightly different and sometimes wildly different. Some are outdoors, some are indoors. I mean, it's you know hard to quantify. And like I said, I love your your statement of uh, uh, a little bit truth, <laughs> uh, truthiness, whatever you know we would call it. So if a guy like Danny Shelton, let's just stick with Danny Shelton for a second, um, pops up at the uh, the Washington Pro Day and and suddenly. You know, let's just say, I won't say it's a crazy, crazy number. Let's say he runs 5-3-1, right? His numbers are better across the board, and his 40 is way better. Uh, one, does that mean anything to you? I mean, do you even sort of register that as, oh, you know, he just had a bad day before, or do you sort of chalk it up to fishy stuff? I mean, what, what does that mean to you if a guy's numbers improve super dramatically between combine and pro day? Um, if they improve that much, then I tend to question it, uh, why that happened. It, it's like Allen Robinson 
for example, he his numbers got so much better from his from the combine to the pro day that you kind of wonder, all right, what happened? And then you find out he lost 11 pounds. Uh, Chelton, if he went to his pro day and ran four three or if five three, actually, he's never going to run four three in his life. Five three, and you find out, oh, he lost weight. That would be something I want to know about, uh, just to get a feel for, you know, this is him running at this weight, this is him running at this weight, so I can adjust for that kind of stuff. Uh, I would kind of believe it, but then again, eh. I mean, my my only issue with the testing that Dan Sheldon had with the five six forty was there's just not a ton of really good nose tackles that ran five six. Most of the five, most of the nose tackles that have been really successful in the NFL have been more five two, five two, five three, uh, and some guys have been really good at you know five one. One two five one four type forty yard dashes, and I know that some people bring up the ten yard split, which actually measures more your your explosion, uh, you know, in terms of lower body strength. It kind of measures that a little bit more than just speed, because speed is usually right. past the point six mark uh, at that first ten yards. Uh, it can determine, uh, you know, if guys are a little bit faster than their ten yard split, then then they are you know, they're really fast. They're pretty fast individuals, naturally fast guys. If they're 10 yard, if they're, you know, their 40 is kind of average with their 10 yard split, then they're kind of moderate, you know, averagely fast. So that kind of helps you determine that stuff versus just lower body explosion. But uh, with Shelton, that, I mean, in terms of his other kind of stuff, he didn't test that poorly. You know, I mean, again, the vertical and the broad jump for his size is pretty good. Uh, you know, 40th in his height group. And well, his, before you move on from that, what is the number you're looking for from a, a comparable player, from a zero technique in the vertical? I mean, is 28 a oh, good number? Is 32 a good number? What's the number that uh, you're, you, you look for? Well, it's a, well uh, it, it's funny you say, what do I look for? I just I just put in the vertical and the broad jump with the mass density to give me the explosive lower body strength score. And when you're talking about a nose tackle, I mean, this is just, you know, usually when I think about it, there's a couple different types of nose tackles. So there's there's the power dynamic speed nose tackles, which are the guys that are that have put up really big verticals and really and had really good short shuttle three cones. Uh, those guys are star players at times. Uh, and... The, the majority of the nose tackles I've seen, though, they've been more speed score heavy guys. So they weren't really the most powerful guys and they weren't the most dynamic guys, but they were pretty fast for their size. And that's that covers a lot of guys like B.J. Raji and um, uh, McFarland, for example, uh, and a couple other guys. And Nata was the one that uh, was more so a star in power speed, you know, he had both power and speed for the no second position with, with giving up a little bit of dynamic speed. But, uh, I mean, if you're telling me, like, what exactly, what is the exact vertical I want him to hit, it just depends, man. You know, it just depends for their size. And, you know, sometimes you want them to be powerful. Uh, a lot of times you kind of want them to be a little bit 
faster. And I understand that people go, oh, well, what is a nose tackle ever going to run 40 yards? And I understand that argument. <laughs> it but, means he's trying to get downfield to celebrate is what that means. <laughs> and I, and that I get that means. stuff, but uh, <laughs> there is actual, I mean, the correlations are the correlations. So I understand people right. go, oh, this doesn't matter. They gave run 40 yards in a game. And, uh, with Shelton, the only thing that Shelton has in his favor, though, is, you know, one, uh, production metrics are much more predictive than athletic metrics. Uh, nine times out of ten, actually, you know, the production metrics for Dave Shelton are actually pretty good. Uh, now, of course, some people, you know, don't care, but, you know, that's just <laughs> well, what the correlations I mean, are. I think that's the thing that draft Twitter doesn't realize. Because every, everyone, when you whip, whip out someone's numbers, they usually say, you know, that's college production, blah, 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 big bleeping deal. But what you said for the year and a half or so that I've been talking to you about this stuff is essentially it is a big bleeping deal, sort of what you're saying. Well, yeah, it's pretty – I mean, again, when the guys in the top 30 percentile of the production metrics make up about 100% of the all-pro players at the defense tackle position. So I believe it's something you should pay attention to if that's the case <laughs> in the last 15 years. Uh, and, you know, yeah, and, of course, the top 31 percentile has a lot of names in it. That's true. That's why you're supposed to watch the tape. But I'm just saying that when it comes to Shelton as a nose tackle prospect, I mean, again, he ran about as fast as Harris Cody, but he produced in terms of on the field, in terms of, you know, solo tackles and, you know, total tackles everything else. He produced oh, like yeah. Five times as much as Terrence Cody right. ever did. And, and he shows five five times more motor on tape than Terrence Cody. I mean, that that was my issue with Terrence Cody. I'm not once again. I'm not gonna say I don't care about his you know athletic measurable, but his tape scares the living daylights out of me. Right, and with Shelton, it's and I and again, I'm just telling you the facts. There has not been any five six nose tackles that have had really big long careers, but right. I'm just saying that. Based on the production metrics of him, I would say that not to say I'm ignoring the 40-yard dash, but it's just something where I could I'm kind of comfortable at least projecting him as in that second-round area and not completely dropping him off the board, as some teams might do, based purely on that 40. Because when you look at the tape and you look at the production metrics, it kind of outweighs the athletic metrics at least for me, because he did put up a really good vertical. He did do all that stuff. And he has shown on tape that he can, you know, at least be a nose tackle. Now, he might not be an elite nose tackle. You know, he's not going to be Nata because Nata was a freak nose tackle. Like, that, he's the Calvin Johnson of nose tackle. So it's really hard to, you know, compare a guy to Calvin Johnson, just as it's really hard to compare a guy to Nata or compare a guy to Watt, right? It's really hard to do that, so I don't think that's fair uh, to Shelton to compare him to that. And it's yeah, also- and, it's, and I'd like to, to to jump on and tell everybody that uh, when when Jim's talking about how the the film and the production as far as correlating to NFL success matters, um, obviously the the number one thing that you're looking for is the requisite athletic ability, like. If he just performs at the baseline measurement that you have the average skill level for that position, then you're fine. You check off the box. It's when they deviate one way or the other that your eyebrows get raised. 
um, there's no need to really freak out about, you know, the minutia of like a thousandth of a second or whatever. Um, you just want to see them run and test like you thought they did on the field. Because when they either test worse or better than what you expect them to do, then it comes down to level playing field, level of competition, and then it gets tougher to make the projection if they get if the guy's just athletically inferior to the other people that he's working around at that position group. So the the most important thing for me, at least, is getting that requisite baseline athleticism. And and that's the thing that scares people to some extent about Danny Shelton. And like I said, I'm as big a Danny Shelton as there is, fan as there is, I, I believe at least. But five six four, you can't tell me that doesn't scare you. <laughs> that scares me, and I'm a fan of his. It, there is a sort of like, hmm, and I will be interested to see his pro day numbers. And of course, I will be, you know, adequately suspicious if they're wildly different. If he runs five four three, I will be not shocked, but like, oh. If he runs anything less than that, then yeah, I will definitely be. And if he runs, you know, five, five, seven, or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's, you know, sort of what you sort of norm for pro. I mean, once again, it, not just the, the surface and stuff, but if you've ever seen what the, the combine, the grind for these guys, they're up early and they're up late uh, for a few days in a row. It's super stressful. Um, and the more well known guys, everyone gets interviewed. You mean, but for the more well-known guys, it's you know a, you know it's like being the prettiest girl at the dance. I'd be mean, your dance card's pretty full. Uh, if you ever get a chance to sort of see the combine up close, and especially if you're in the media areas, it's a feeding frenzy when the more well-known guys go up there. I mean, for when a Manzel goes up there, when Jameis goes up there, when anybody, you know, um, uh, uh. Good Lord, my poor brain. Um, you know, obviously, I got like Mariota or any, anybody that's there's a certain amount, Michael Sam, anybody that's with a certain amount of unusual interest. Yeah, right, guys with yeah. story, right. So, right, forget the football player part for a moment. The guy with the story. There is a frenzy to get to that person um, during the, the media availability time at the combine. And then, like I said, the stuff we don't see, all the the psychological personality testing stuff, which, once again, we could have a whole show about if that stuff matters, how that stuff matters, how you even perceive or read that stuff. For those who watched, um, I don't know if some people watched the, the Hall of Fame inductions, but a few years ago, there was a, a fairly well-known NFL running back who, uh, from a, you know earlier era, 60s, 70s, who was talking about the test results that came back from his um, his psychological testing, and there was a team that was sort of a concern. He said, you know, your testing came back, and it turns out you're basically a homicidal maniac. What? And, well, once again, um, not to go too deep, but there's a black man born in the late 1940s, right? His life was filled with insults big and large from the time he was born. You know, goes to the South, sees horrible things all his life, basically. He escapes through football, uh, gets an opportunity to, to live a very different life than the one he likely would have led if not for football. But he hasn't unseen the things he saw as a child growing up in the South in the, in the 40s and 50s. He hasn't unfelt the things he saw. So 
in the psychological testing, you know, he decided to give honest answers about the questions they were asking. And, yeah, some teams were scared off. He turned out, obviously, to be, you know, a pillar of the community, a guy who's won awards from the United Way and, you know, what name whatever groups you want to name that the NFL is associated with, you know, Hall of Fame career. Eventually, the veterans committee got him in the Hall of Fame. But the point is that psychological testing is one of the things that a lot of people either ignore, uh, not just ignore, but you don't hear it talked about as much as, I think it has more weight than people realize, you guys what I'm driving at. It hasn't always been right, but there have been some people, including a fairly well-known neuroscientist who, you know, called his shot on the Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf thing, where he looked at their testing and said, Peyton Manning's going to be a great quarterback for many years, Ryan Leaf is going to be a problem, not that he can't play in the league, but, you know, he's going to need a lot of help because of, you know, there's a certain amount of narcissism, you know, a certain amount of, he broke down the, the test and, you know, what his dominant character traits were and stuff like that. And even that's not 100%, because there have been guys with super high character. I mean, one of the, you know, I hate to bring this name up, but, you know, Ray Carruth is going to sit in prison for the rest of his life. But his psychological test scores were, right? I mean, he supposedly had one of the great, you know, they, his scores were up there with, like, guys who were Navy uh, field team leaders and CEOs of corporations in terms of, you know, leadership, intelligence, blah, 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 all this other stuff. So, I mean, like anything else, you know, like 40 times, like whatever, it's not, it's, nothing is, enough, is perfect. Nothing is a 100% predictor of anything. But I want to, I know, Jim, you don't have that information, obviously, so you can't analyze that stuff metrically. If only you could, right? If only you could get a little well, you can. It's just that it's, you know, they have, they've been doing t- personality tests for a while. You know, Matt Walvin actually pointed me to uh, a test that Petty got where he kind of aced above all other players. And all I said was, okay, but where's the 15 years worth of the study, right? Like, right. there's there's definitely different studies that you can do and you can test guys on and uh, this study says that they're like this. This study says they're like that. He's a leader. He's this. He's that. Or he's lazy and he take you do whatever. But you you have to have a large enough data set to do so. That's that's another thing where, and I I, I don't want to call it a criminal metric, but that's one of my <laughs> bigger projects. I guess is to is to look at is to let's, look let's, at, say, let's say antisocial. Let's call it that, Jim. Yeah, the antisocial metric. So essentially, you know, there you go. Good job, guys. Yeah, exactly. Just looking at guys in college and any type of antisocial behavior they did, whether it was drugs or they got kicked out of school or they had grades or you know any any type of thing, and just going and getting a large sample size of those guys and seeing exactly what, you know, if a guy did do drugs, what are the chances of you know that was an NFL player or a college player. What are the chances of him, you know, recovering from said drug problem or recovering from said robbery or murder, you know, whatever, right? You know, whatever it is that they oh. end up doing, oh. uh, you know, you can figure out, okay, this is, they should have, and of course the age that they did it. The problem is, is that there isn't really any studies publicly about that stuff. There have been numbers mm. of studies, tons of studies about antisocial behavior and about, you know, peer uh, influence on that behavior, which is what happens a lot of times with NFL players anyways, in my opinion. I mean, they, they go out with a bunch of friends and they go do stupid stuff. 
you know, and they're young right. as well, which uh, we've been talking about the prefrontal cortex before, you know, a lot of your decision-making uh, gets developed with that, and that doesn't even start developing until you're 17. It doesn't even end until you're 25. So uh, there's all these different types of things happening. You know, NFL players, young NFL players, and they're, when they're young, uh, and all these other influences that happen to them. And unfortunately, there just hasn't been any studies. There hasn't been any. And that's the issue with character, talking about character in the draft community, is that because we don't have access to those personality tests or what they actually mean from a, you know, from a large data sample size, and also because nobody's really doing a bunch of criminal, met- antisocial metrics, uh, because that's just a lot of work. Uh, I mean, that's that's probably going to be a year of my life going to actually think about it or more uh, just to get go through criminal records and stuff like that. So, uh, And, of course, how to define stuff and how to analyze stuff and, and double-checking and, you know, hopefully you don't want to say a guy did this but he didn't do that. So it's, yep. you can measure it. You can get insights from it. It's just it's a lot of work and it hasn't been done yet. So that's all I would say is you can actually sort of measure character in terms of observable, observable behavior uh, from them off the field, but it's just, nobody's done it yet. And, and, there, and, uh, and there's all, and another thing to consider, they have to, all these teams and the scouts themselves have to get the paperwork at the combine to be able to dig further into these kids' uh, right. backgrounds. I mean, legally. So, right. um, you we're not suggesting everybody go start filing, you know, criminal reports on your yeah, favorite draft prospects. Your favorite, favorite, <laughs> just start, start getting your, your, uh, yeah, no, 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 don't, don't, start, don't start calling Missouri and Oklahoma PD and asking about, uh, Darrell Greenback. Please do not do that. We're not advising that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, first of all, it's super labor intensive as, Jim, said, Jim, you already take on some crazily labor-intensive projects for, you know, no money, God bless you. And then you you add on to the fact that, yes, there's like a legal minefield to navigate when you're talking about this stuff. And I'm sure there are teams, um, in fact, I know for a fact that there are teams that invest fairly heavily in vetting or whatever team we're going to use regarding guys that they have concerns about who they like. I mean, obviously, you're not going to invest that way, but if you don't have a pretty strong interest in a player, you have to first already like him as a football player before you're going to take on the task of figuring out, I mean, we'll stick to the Cowboys. The Cowboys have invested heavily in Des Bryant, and Des has a, a I don't want to say checkered, I mean, I think checkered is strong a word, but he has a, he has that stuff. He does that stuff, going back to fairly, you know, young, his youth, you know, going back to, but not super scary stuff but just a pattern of stuff, basically. And it's a strong enough pattern of stuff. There's enough repeated stuff uh, in terms of the wins and the wares and the hows and things like that. And we all know about the legendary, somewhat inappropriate questions that he was asked by some front office people in his time at the Combine. And, you know, how, you know, there was a good discussion about how far you should take some of that, you know, what, what, there is, there should still be, even for an NFL prospect, a certain level of respect and privacy about certain aspects of, of a person's life, I guess I'm trying to say. 
uh, there's no other job site. You know, we always talk about this this being a, a, a job interview, but it would be literally against the law to ask some of these questions in a in another type in almost any other type of job interview. I mean, unless you're trying to work for the CIA or the Secret Service or something. Sure, but the NFL and I don't want to say they're unprofessional, but a lot of times some of the I mean, you just hear about some of the questions that scouts ask guys and I understand they're trying to figure stuff out, but you know, why would you ask a guy, when was the first time you lost your virginity? Uh, yes, like, yes, yes. why is that relevant? <laughs> what what, what bearing does that have on our... Oh. Yes. What, what kind of 15-year longitudinal, latitudinal study have they done that shows what age is the best age for, you know, like a 5 pet who loses virginity? Exactly. It's just a little unprofessional when, when guys say that stuff. And a little? Why they're doing it. <laughs> You know, they're trying to get a rise out of a guy. They're trying to, like, mess with a guy or, you know, they're trying to do whatever. But I just – that that's the that's just a big problem, man. That's all it really yep. is. It's just, it's, you know, uh, of course you're trying to figure out stuff and you're trying to do background checks and you're trying to – you know, with Des Bryant, I guess they were trying to, like, let's see how much we could throw at him. You know, like, yeah, your mother was a prostitute and I took her out last uh, – you know, like, you know, stuff like that where it's just you know, way too, you know. There, there, there should be a line. Even, even in the NFL, there should be a line. And at some point, someone should say to certain people, hey, that was over the line. You're banned from the combine or something. I mean, there should be some way of letting disciplining organizations or individuals that basically have violated common decency, for lack of a better way of describing it, I want to know everything that I should know about a prospect. But there are things I should not know about a prospect. <laughs> I mean, there's things that should not be known. Even the NFL doesn't have to know everything. Right? Am I wrong here? Thank you. You're, you're there. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think that there's this, and the part of it is, I think, James said it. I think that you know, some of it's sort of a poise thing. You know, can you handle it or whatever? But but there's certain gifts you shouldn't have to handle. These are people as young as 20 and at the upper age, maybe 24. So these are young men. They, some of them are extraordinarily poised. Some of them are unbelievably able to handle some sort of crazy situations and things that, that have come their way. And, you know, I think that hats off to them. And some of them are. Some of them are really bad at it, quite frankly. Uh, even with the help that they get nowadays, where you know they sort of put them through the ringer a little bit, at least a lot of the better agencies do, sort of throwing questions at them and seeing how they react to certain things. But even with that, even with sort of the gauntlet that they make some guys run, some guys it's not their thing answering a whole bunch of intensely personal questions that seem to have zero to do with football. But you could see that it definitely bothers some guys. Some guys, I mean, they you could see that they. We're like, what? What do you? What? Like you can totally see some guys kind of laughed it off. You know, Kyle Long. You know, definitely got a, a chuckle out of sort of some of the silly questions he was asked. You can see him. You know, I bet he handled those. I bet he handled stuff like a. I mean, I bet he killed it basically in terms of that. I mean, one of those guys that I can tell knows Fred Carver's being, you know, son of Kyle Long. I'm sure helped, but you could tell he knew the game a little bit, and I bet he handled everything thrown at him because he has some stuff in his background too. I mean, not. Crazy, crazy stuff. But stuff. Yes, some young, 
immature guy stuff in his background, and I know it came up. And I, I'm just betting he handled it extremely well. Like I said, I've talked to him a little bit. I've talked to him a little bit at the combine. I talked to him, you know, a little bit more since he's been a Chicago Bear. And he, he actually enjoys interchanges, sometimes even somewhat contentious interchanges with people. But that's not every guy. Um, character is still the undiscovered country to some extent in, in this all analysis stuff. And when you have a year like this year where there's this perception there's only two you know, real quarterbacks in terms of NFL starters. And one of them is essentially a Boy Scout, or at least that's the perception. And one of them is not, you know. Uh, there's going to be even more fuel fed to the character matters flames than, than, than well, I guess, you know, I guess every year <laughs> that flame gets fed. But this is the particular wood that's being shoved into the furnace this year. Before we move on and, and, start talking about a different topic. I wanted to get sort of a read from each of you about, not that we haven't discussed James Winston because, you know, everybody in the world has, but this will be, for me, sort of the, the last, not the last side, but the, the last time you give it a, a, a sort of full setting. We all know that at least part of the concern around James Winston is around the thing that no one wants to talk about, which is the sexual assault allegation. You know, everyone, I hear people talking quite a bit about the, you know, the student union incident, and I hear people talking quite a bit about the crab legs incident, which each of those, to me, matter, oh, not at all, but, you know, if it weren't for the other incident that no one wants to talk about, I wouldn't really care about the other two. We don't know what we should know because of the way that investigation was handled. All we know now is that there's no further... Um, criminal processes to play out. That The criminal side of that is dead, and thus far the young woman in question has never, that may change, but has not filed any sort of civil litigation. So nothing's well, going on. Well, he not drafted yet, so we'll see. <laughs> right, but my point is, yeah, I guess, but, but my point is that nothing, nothing to report in terms of processes going forward. And for those that paid a fair amount of attention to the process sort of going backwards, it was clear that there were some serious mistakes made. I mean, I'm not a lawyer or, a, you know, I'm not involved in police work, but I know enough. I grew up in the home of a lawyer, and my mother at one point was a Commonwealth attorney in the state of Virginia. I have a pretty decent idea of what's supposed to happen to a potential crime scene, and a lot of that stuff didn't happen. I mean, there was, like I said, serious mistakes made, apparently, uh, from what I've read about that incident. And I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I just know that there were irregularities. There are true to use. Jim, as a person who has some knowledge of the criminal justice system and a football guy, when you are putting together your antisocial metrics, whatever it is, whatever it is that you do when you do the character stuff on a guy like Jameis, the thing that nothing came from, but it's the most concerning thing. How do you how do you treat that? How do you deal with it? Is it something you sort of compartmentalize off by itself? You put it in the mix of other things? What how do you treat it? Well, you know, from everything I've read about Jameis Winston and all the stuff he's done, <clears throat> he just seems like a very impulsive and very uh peer uh oriented you know, his peers can influence him. Uh, you yep. know, the Crab Legs incident was because he was in a frat and the frat 
this is, of course, of Jeff Lloyd. Uh, it was kind of the talk of what actually happened. But, uh, you know, he stole soda from a Burger King one time, which is, you know, kind of, you know, it was stupid stuff, by the way. Like going yeah. to Burger King and just getting soda out of the machine in like a cup or whatever, you know, like a cup you brought in. Uh, you know, stupid stuff like that. And the frat told him to go steal crab legs from a Publix. Uh, and that's what he did. Uh, and, you know, and now, of course, he never said that it was the frat that did it and stuff like that. But no, but we, yeah, I, we, we knew, did yeah, that. right. I knew that. Yeah, that's, that's right. So, but this is a quarterback, right? I mean, if this guy were a defensive yeah, man or he were whatever, we would, we'd be less concerned. Right. We'd be less concerned because quarterbacks we, we view as Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. You know, we want them to be confident. The captain of the ship, right. Yeah, we want this guy to, yeah. to be above everything else, to be the leader, to, you know, to be the enforcer, not the, you know, all right, what do you guys want to do? guy, you know, like, like Peyton Manning doesn't go to, you know, his wide receiver core and go, all right, what routes do you want to run? No, he, he tells them, I want you to run this route, and I want you to break it right here. And if you don't, I'll find another guy off the street to do it for me. That's Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, he's going to tell people what to do. He's not going to be told what to do. With, with Jameis, the big issues just from a, again, from a behavioral standpoint is that all the stuff he's been doing but heavily – I mean, you can just tell that the guy is with a group of people and they're kind of, not to say that they're I, bad influences is the best way to put it, you know, guys that are just telling him, hey, you know, go still crab legs for a fret. And he was like, okay, and they did it uh, without probably even thinking about it that much, you know, which is comes with the impulsive part of it. Uh, and when you get to the yelling obscenities, you know, it's just another stupid thing. But still, I mean, quarterbacks don't – I mean, you don't hear about Andrew Luck, you know, yelling obscenities. <laughs> it would be difficult to even imagine. I mean, when you're, literally, when you try to picture it, it almost doesn't – your brain almost can't process the information you try to imagine. It doesn't work, exactly. Try to imagine going into the public and try to sneak out the tablet. Try to imagine Andrew Luck doing that. You can't really see it because Andrew Luck is Andrew Luck. And he'd go, well, I'm not, why would I still credit? You know, you know, I don't know what exactly you do. But the bottom line is, is with Jameis in particular, is he's just shown impulsive behavior on top of that peer, just way too much peer pressure and this stuff and agreeing to do stuff like that. And But, I mean, from, from the data, from the most plays I've seen, peer pressure influences people a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. The best example I could put it is if you're hanging out with a bunch of friends who smoke pot, eventually you're going to smoke pot. Hanging out with a bunch of friends who commit criminal behavior, you're going to be committing criminal behavior. And a lot of the studies have shown that regardless of background, education, whatever, if you tend to hang out with people who do antisocial behavior, you end up doing you know, antisocial behavior. And, uh, right. I mean, my, my great-grandmother, you know, on my father's side, had about a third-grade education and grew up on a hog farm, but she used to say stuff like, if you lay down with dogs, you get up with sleep. You know, so, yes, that's, yeah, that, exactly. would to be, that would seem to be sort of a thing that's proven to be true throughout history. Exactly. And the question with Jameis is really, the, the real question with Jameis is, if you could take him out of that environment and put him in another environment and put different people around him, will he stop doing this? 
that's the bigger question to answer. That, that's what, the question, right? That's the whole right. mess right there. Right. That's the bigger issue that teams are trying to figure out is, is he naturally antisocial or is it just because he's been hanging out with a lot of, a lot of bad influences you know, at Florida State? Uh, as far as the rape allegation stuff, and I've read that so many times, just trying to figure out what exactly happened. And, you know, all I can really say on it, because there's still lots of information and questions I just have not got answered about it, was it was just handled really poorly by the police. You know, the yeah. police are yep. figuring stuff out and investigating and following up. I don't think that that should reflect on Jameis Winston. I don't think that they just openly – it just seemed like it wasn't that it wasn't that it was actually something – I mean, it probably was. Who knows what happened? But the bottom line is, is it could have been a minor – it could have been a minor thing, and the cops seemed like they would have not have taken that much effort into doing everything they should be doing. Uh, that, that's kind of what the sense I got from all that stuff, is that they just were not doing that. But uh, with – but even that is a little bit of impulsive and a little bit of, uh, you know, all my friends want me to, to, you know, have sex with so and so or whatever, which happens a lot. There seems to be there oh. seems to be some, I need to be the cool guy stuff that seems right. to surround him. I need to please my peers. I need to please you know the people that I view highly. You know, and uh, that's kind of the opposite of what people want in their quarterbacks. You know. It's just in terms of the classic quarterback. Uh, and, again, a lot of this is kind of stereotyping because I always view it as – and, I, again, I haven't done personality tests. I haven't looked at this. But it's just that the NFL has a certain uh, – and I hate to say this, James, but the NFL has a certain viewpoint of what they want their quarterbacks to be from yes. a behavioral standpoint and from how they carry themselves, yes. how they talk. Yes, right, you said Give me Peyton Manning, give me Tom Brady, give me Roger Staubach, give me Russell Wilson, give me Captain America, give me the Eagle right. Scout. Give me, and is it, if it's fair or not is a whole other question because some guys come from backgrounds that make it harder to be an Eagle Scout. I think we have the return of Donovan James. Are you back, Donovan? I can see Donovan. Donovan, can you hear me? He's playing incognito. Maybe. Or, <laughs> let me double check. I have someone from the West Coast. I thought I assumed it was Donovan. Who just jumped on with us? Brian Simakata. Oh, oh, okay. Yay! It's the legendary Brian Simakata, and he has with him in tow um, our first prospect guest. So, Brian, we were talking a little bit about what character means. Uh, and it's funny because you may know James James Coburn, Jim Coburn. He's I got super involved in metrical analysis. And people like to say there's nothing as character metric, and then Jim sort of took issue with that. Who kind of is? And certain teams even do a do a halfway decent job to some extent of using personality testing, psychological testing, and obviously referencing past bad behavior, whatever you want to call it. To, or antisocial is the term we use, past antisocial behavior to figure out what you can and can't expect from guys going forward. In your business, you also have to be a judge of character. The, everything that you are is to some extent represented by the athletes that, with whom you work. 
how do you? I don't know what term you want. To, I want to use here. I want to say vet. But how do you? When you interview, when you speak with guys, what are you looking for that lets you know? Yes, this is a, a young man I want to associate myself with. Uh, honestly, I think it's 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 just a gut feeling. I mean, obviously, you got you, you got to do your research. Um, it's very easy to find off the field issues. Um, speaking to coaches and hearing how coaches talk about them, sometimes it's, sometimes you hear good stuff, sometimes you hear bad stuff. You have to kind of take it all with a grain of salt. Um, but but I think it really boils down to just actually talking to the kid. Mm, right. And, and and going with your gut feeling. And I've been lucky. You've done very well. You've got some great human beings as well as great athletes associated with you in your career. For those who don't know Brian Simatata, I've known Brian now for, God, it's got to be close to 10 years now, right, Brian? Yeah, probably about eight. Well, yeah, about eight at least, yeah. And I consistently have been impressed not only with the caliber of athletes, but the caliber of human beings. The young men themselves as people have been almost uniformly excellent. I mean, not the, not the occasional, you know, spice thrown in there for taste, but mostly guys that you'd want spend time with. And as you said, you don't use a particular test. You don't use a particular... You, you just go... You, you, you're, you meet people for a living to some extent. You have developed a good radar or whatever you want to call it, it seems like, about what kind of person somebody is. Yeah, and I think it's key. And, and the, the young man you're going to be talking to here in a minute, and I think he might already be on the line. Um, yeah, I just saw him, I just saw him join, you, join us as well. Yes. But you, you, guys know, you can him. introduce him in a second. You guys are going to love him. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about about you know, the first prospect. But he's a guy that seems to have gotten a little bit overlooked, even though there's a lot of guys around him that have gotten attention. And I don't know, I don't know how that happens exactly. Uh, how you miss a guy who's you, right next to the guy you're looking at. But tell tell us a little bit about him. I think I think the main thing with Brandon is going to be his position change. When he went to Mississippi State, he went as a linebacker, played linebacker freshman year, then they flipped him to tight end. He's moved back to linebacker now, and after he tests and people see him, he he's going to impress. He's going to be a guy that people are going to look at and go, okay, we need to develop, develop this kid because he, I truly believe this kid will, will play in the league for seven to ten years. And when you mention sort of tight end, these are guys that, you know, we, we always have like Bill Belichick things pop in our head. Uh, was it ever explained to you why it was that they, they moved him? Uh, you know, I, I think it was more just depth, depth chart problems on the offensive side. You'd have to ask Brandon. Oh, yes, I will. I will. Uh, Brandon, first of all, thank you for joining us. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So what, Things. I mean, obviously, as was just explained, you you were a guy that played more than one position. Uh, take us back through your sort of high school career and high school life as an athlete. You played obviously more than one position. You played more than one sport. Uh, how did you finally figure out that football was going to be the sport that was going to carry you forward? And and tell us about some of your your you know some of the things that happened to you in your recruitment process. Well, basically, football has been in my life as far as I can remember. My whole family on my daddy's side. Or football players. Even when I came in my freshman year, my older cousin Tobias Smith, offensive lineman, he he on um, play for Mississippi State too. So 
I think he was a junior when I came in my freshman year. So football has been ingrained in in my family as, as far as I can remember. But um, coming out of high school, I was the 22nd athlete in the nation with um, focus on defense. I was a much better defensive player than I was on offense, but I still was talented enough to play offense. So coming in um, into Mississippi State, I started out as a linebacker, and then throughout the season, it was guys getting hurt. Guys like um, Marcus Green, um, Kenzie Cook, and and I forget the other guy, but he that it was it was a plethora of injuries. The reason why they all uh, transitioned me, and that was contemplating burning my red shirt just so you know they have a, a athletic body out there they can play the position. So that's how my transition had started from Mississippi State to to from linebacker to tight end because I was the only person big enough and athletic enough and smart enough to learn the system in order, you know, to, to fill the void right away. But, you know, I never questioned the coach's decision. I never, I never, you know, complained about my role. I understand that it was for the betterment of the team. But in my heart, I wanted to go back to defense so bad because that's where I, my natural position was. My daddy played linebacker. That's where I learned to play growing up. You know, I was a linebacker. But I did what was best for Mississippi State. Sure. And before we depart from this, the, the, I mean, if you're looking for an upside, when people use the term three-down linebacker, that means that somebody that obviously can be good against the run, can rush the passer, but also can drop into coverage. Are there mm-hmm. things you've learned from playing so much offense that you think will help you when you do have to execute coverage responsibilities because you have such an understanding of route concepts and, you know, what offensive players are trying to accomplish to get open? Yes, I, I think that's tremendously because um, I played in the all-star game as a linebacker. You know, this was the first time I, tr- I, I I was able to transition back over and play an actual game on defense. And I was calling out the coverage. I was, like, calling out the route pattern before, you know what I mean, before they can even execute it. Everybody was looking at me like I was like, you know, this this genius. I was like, oh, this this is exactly what we would run if we was on office, you know. So I was like, I was like preaching up, calling out the reason when that everybody was like, you know, what I mean, this this guy, yeah, what this guy doing, you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, offense. I um use a lot of skills from offense to help me on defense, like my route running ability. It, it helped improve my footwork, so I feel like I can move laterally and make, um, you know, deep cuts, so I can um, transition my body to go different ways. So I, I, I use everything that I learned and try to use it to my advantage. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to open it up to some of my co-hosts. Uh, Alex, what are some of the questions you might have, Brandon? Well, since you knew that, I mean, you're most comfortable position was at a uh, at linebacker um and you sort of had your it seems like you've had your heart set on playing on the defensive side of the ball from the from the get-go and you sort of played offense just out of necessity um what have scouts told you especially after playing that all-star game performing well um what have they thought about your transition from tight end to linebacker and how you're picking that up and and what are those conversations like when you sit down with the scout 
Well, they basically want to know um, what what have I done to improve my uh, my craft at linebacker. You know, like they want to know day to day what I do to um to just help solidify the transition of being a linebacker. And I work diligently every day try to improve my craft. I just want to be the best me that I can be. Because if the scouts actually ask me to play um, tight end, I won't have a problem with it. Uh, you know, I already displayed selflessness, selflessness excuse me, <clears throat> with uh, transitioning to tight end from uh, Mississippi State. And I won't mind doing that at the, at the next level if they ask me to. But as again, I will go in pursuing linebacker, but I will do with asked. Absolutely. And, uh, who are some guys that you study in terms of uh, getting a sense for, for read keys, read steps, um, initial read and react? Who are some guys in maybe the NFL, maybe the college um, that played now or played previously? Who are some guys that you study and try to, to model your game after? The most recent person I've been watching is Khalil Mack. I've been all fascinated with the way how he played the game. I've been wanting to see – you know what I mean? It's really the hype, what it is, and, and he really is a good player. You know what I mean? So, Khalil Mack is the person I've been watching lately. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to let Alex jump back in for a second. It's interesting you mention Khalil Mack because you have a teammate that I've heard some people compare to Khalil Mack. I think you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Mm-hmm. Okay. As a person who's played both offense and defense, you played against your own defense, as well right. as sometimes practicing with your own defense. Right. Tell, for people who don't already know a guy like, say, Bernardus McKinney, what would you tell them? If you're giving them, like, a little thumbnail scouting report, here's who he is, here's what he can do, here's the kind of player he is, he can do this, his strengths are this, that kind of thing, what would you tell people about what kind of athlete he is, what, kind of, what, his, what things he does on the field? I'm the type of person I'm very – I'm very crafty. I'm very athletic. This this my strong suit. I, I I rely on athleticism, but I got a lot of te- technical things about me. But um, I'm I'm very explosive. You know what I mean? My um my first few steps, I, I you know what I mean? At the point of co- a contact, I'm very aggressive with my hands. But um, going against our defense, I often tell the guys that I know them better than they know themselves. You know because. I, I go against them all the time, and more specifically, the drills that we do is on um, pass pro. That's when the tight end got to stop the um, linebackers from getting to the quarterback bag. And um, I go against those guys so much that I know what move they go do before they make it. So my thing is, I'm a student of the game. I people watch. I watch what other people do and what their strong suit, and I try to adjust myself to win. You know, I try to do whatever I have to do to win. Okay, so so like I said, looking at Bernardic particularly because you uh, was mentioned, some people compare him to Khalil Mack. What you obviously are a fan of Khalil Mack. You obviously know Mr. McKinney extremely well. Tell us about those guys. You, what are the things you notice about them? Are there ways that they are alike? Are there ways that they're different? What do you see in those two players? I, I see that um, they hard know. They they know how to fill gaps. I'm actually supposed to be um, doing drills with Bernard today around some time, probably later on today. I think uh, we got some stuff scheduled for 11, 11.30. But we actually go do some drills together. I want to make sure, that, you know, that with, with his experience and, and 
and with the things that he have accomplished, I don't mind listening to what he have to offer, you know. So that's what we're doing later on today. But he, he's a very good player. He's a good player. He um he good at, at reading keys and filling the gaps. Okay. Has he has he ever had to cover you in practice before? Yeah, plenty of times. And I'm gonna be honest, I won most of <laughs> I won <laughs> most of those those matchups. Cause um you know I'm I'm not a nitpick nitpick person. I'll try to put anybody out on bass, but um <laughs> I I like I like I said I, I watch them and try to make it so I can win. So I know what they're good at and I know what they struggle at. So I go for weaknesses, or sometimes you know what I mean. I just know what I have to offer and I get open. So I I do have it on film if y'all need. <laughs> visual proof that I'm that I'm a winner. <laughs> so are you are you using like head and shoulder stuff to sort of shake him? Are you using your hands to to get him off you? What do you do to to get free against him? Um, most times with with him you don't want to you don't want to get too physical with him because you know what I mean you know how linebackers do when they're in space they got a tendency to do a little grabbing and pulling. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was. I strictly feet. I use my feet. So, you know what I mean? I cut in, make them think I'm going in, and then quickly break out. Okay. So, got so you got to use feet with those those type of defenders. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. Um, Sorry, Alex. I just wanted to get that in before I forgot. Go ahead. No, I, I wasn't going to say anything. I mean, I have, I have nothing to add. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll open it up then to, uh, to Jim Coburn. What questions would you like to have, sir? Sure, sure. Uh, of course, you know, Mississippi State this year, you guys had a, a very good year in the SEC from last uh, from 2013 to 14, and uh, a lot of it was from the improved play, you know, Dak Prescott, uh, and just in general, a lot of guys emerging uh, uh, with you guys as a team. Um, what are some of the things, in terms of the quarterbacks you've played with, uh, and I understand you're a linebacker, so what are some of the things that you possibly picked up from some of the quarterbacks you've played with uh, on your own team or, or against uh, to help you kind of get into their mindset and, and how you would play them uh, in their style of play, et cetera? Well, um, I actually have a very close relationship with all our quarterbacks that were here during my tenure. Because um, Tyson Lee, I talked to him. We, he's like a um, a spiritual advisor here. So we talk all the time. Um, Tyler Russell, we throw every day because he's actually um, coming back to do pro day. Oh. So we throw every day. We actually schedule to throw that on today too. I'm, I'm I'm really like trying to pack in all the work. I, I do work at linebacker and tight end every day. So me and Tyler Russell, we throwing, and then me and Bernard McKinney, we go do linebacker drills. So you know, I'm just trying to I'm trying to stay versatile. But um, and that come out to throw too. So all they. You could tell that they are different in in their approach and in, in the way how they spin the ball, but the uh, results are are both overwhelming. Like they they can place the ball where it needs to be. They can throw catchable balls. So I I do have a close relationship with it, all of my quarterbacks. Okay. Any any other questions for Jim? Oh. Uh... And then 
in terms of you know some of the line, some of the guys you went up against in the SEC, which you know is a ton of guys, uh, and the different linebackers you, you played against, and uh, you know either, either as a blocker, et cetera, as a tight end. Um, who are some of the best guys that you kind of went up against on your team or on other teams uh, that you went up against uh, in the SEC or other places? Who was it? <laughs> Uh, what's the name for number two from Kentucky? He actually uh, uh <laughs> Bud Dupree. What's his name? But Alvin Bud Dupree. Yeah, he he's a good player. Um, I remember. Um, uh, what year this was? I think it was two years ago. I was, it was open. It was the opening snap of the game. And, um, I came up here. I, I I ran up on him and tried to and tried to knock him down. You know, usually. In the start of the game, you know, it's all hype. So, it's not much technique going on in the start of the game. So, I ran up full force, you know what I mean, just trying to lay him down. And um, it was a stalemate. So, I was I, I understood that, oh, that he was the real deal. He was a good player. But after that, I, uh, I was technical with him for the rest of the game. <laughs> so, you like to, like, sort of wake a guy up. Yeah, I'm the type. Okay. I'm the type. I don't feel like the game started until contact. I I love contact. I embrace contact. So I was like, the game ain't gonna start until I hit somebody. So that was that was what I pride myself on. I always been like a hard nose, hit you first type of player. Okay. Uh, any other questions that you might have? Sure. Uh, well. In terms of your transition from tight end uh, to linebacker, of course, as you said, you've always been kind of a linebacker uh, in your heart, as as you can tell by you know being the hit first mentality. But what what have been some of the toughest uh, transitions? I guess because you definitely are able to pick up on a lot of like you talked about, you know, being able to uh, understand the pattern concepts and stuff like that. But what are some aspects of the linebacker position that you're still trying to uh, get better at today that you, you know, struggled with a little bit uh, in terms of some other sort of thing? Mm, what I most need to work on? Sure, mm. sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I like, well, whenever I'm fleshed out, I like to play man-to-man. I'm more of like a bump and run type of type uh, linebacker when when I do get the cover. And um, the, the main thing I need to worry about um, or what I need to fix is, is probably get my head around. I'm always playing hands. I play hands more than, you know, more than, you know, the ball. So if I'm playing you man-to-man, when I get on your hip, I should, you know, I should probably, like, peek and see what the quarterback doing. But my thing is I like to read the man that I'm on. So as soon as I see your hands go up, my hands going inside his hands, you know. So, I think I need to just improve and get my head around, but I pretty much can do whatever asked of me to do. You know, I just instead of getting incomplete uh, pass breakups, I want to get more interceptions. Is what I'm saying because I've been I go one on one every day with guys out here, so I just need to you know probably get my head around a little bit more. But other than that, I, I'm, I'm pretty decent. And I would guess that you probably can catch the ball a little bit better than the average. Yeah, uh, that's, that's another thing I wanted to um, pinpoint because I am one of the better, you know, catching defenders that you could come that you would come around. So, 
Any other questions that uh, anybody might have for Brandon? Um, hmm. Well, I guess uh, it depends on what you do with your downtime. Uh, so uh, you know, I noticed that you, know, you academics has obviously been a big part uh, of your career there. Uh, you know, getting uh, SC academic uh, honor roll and. Um, what are some stuff you like to do off the field uh, when you're not doing football 23-7, right, or, or how, you know, anytime you get a free time to kind of uh, do something other than football, what do you usually like to do in your uh, hobbies and stuff like that? Well, lately, after I get done um, get done training, I usually like, I just like to lay down and watch Netflix. I'm that type of person. I just want to when I get some me time, I wanna I wanna lay down and and just let my body rest. I'll probably like do some some scratches while I'm in the bed watching Netflix. But after I'm done training, I mostly I like to lay down and listen to music. I, I got a little set up in my room, so I got my surround sound system all set up. So I watch some movies. I play like some music off, off YouTube. You know, I'm, I'm I'm that type of person. I just like the enjoy my free time, you know? Okay. So so what's on the – you mentioned you're a Netflix kind of guy. Are you uh, Orange is the New Black? I mean, what, what's what's playing? What's on your playlist? I, I actually finished Orange is the New Black. I finished um, – I just got done with Sons of Anarchy last, yesterday. Oh. Yeah, I just finished Sons of Anarchy yesterday. Um, I watched – I, I've, I've been through a lot of series. I watched um, Breaking Bad. That was a good series. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I'm actually trying to find, like, something else to watch. I um I used to watch The Wire all the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm more of, like, an action movie type of guy. Right. <laughs> I got you. Well, if you're looking for something new to watch, check out Orphan Black. Um, I think you might like that based on what you just told me, of what some of your, your other – your other favorites were, I think you might enjoy that. The the young woman who plays, well, I don't want to ruin it for you, but she's amazing. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. The main <laughs> character or characters that she plays, it's a, we'll talk later. Uh, I don't want to turn this into uh, you know, okay, entertainment okay. We, television. <laughs> yeah, give, give my number so we can talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk a little more TV in a second. Um, I want to ask you a few things. Uh, actual factual. You, I just, you, as you mentioned, you're a guy who wins with athletic ability. What can we expect from you? Are you a guy who's going to, you know, run a super fast time? You're going to jump 40 inches. What can we look forward to when, um, when your testing numbers are, are put out there? What, are you going to put on a, you know, sort of a freak show? Well, <clears throat> I can say this. I have, um, I have probably one of the best air drills that you will find. You know what I mean? With, with a guy my height and size, because I guess because of my route running background, but. I'm I'm in a I'm in a like I run probably like a six seven in the air drill with oh. with my thoughts, you know. So then you I say this I say this is my best drill. What do, what do you weigh now? I weigh two forty three. Two forty three and you're six two and a half, six three? I'm about six two and a half, yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, so you're probably being looked at as a Sam or an H back. I mean, what what are you hearing from scouts when they talk to you about what they what they think of you? Yeah, yeah. 
basically, if I do play offense, H back, you know, slot. But if I play linebacker, it is Sam or even Will. You know what I mean? I even try my, you know what I mean? I just want, I just want to hit. You know what I mean? I, I even, you know what I mean? Whatever they ask, I do it. But yeah, Sam or Will. They want they want me to be either to the boundary or to the field. You know what I mean? They don't want to like just you know seclude me in the middle. But if it comes to that, I do it. Okay. Perfect. If there were uh, a welcome to college football moment, like when you realize, okay, I'm not in high school anymore, uh, what was that moment? What was the thing that let you know that oh, this is this is different? From what I've been doing before, you talk about as 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 far when you got as to, yeah when you got to Mississippi State when you got down to Starkville what was the the thing that woke you up because I mean a guy with your ability is you know an unstoppable monster in high school you know mm-hmm. you you know you 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 essentially knew you were the best athlete pretty much every time you took the field in high school and then you get to Mississippi State where they got a few other guys who can play and then you're in the SEC where there's a couple other dudes who can play football yeah. What was, <laughs> what was your welcome to, to the college football moment? The thing that sort of let you know that this is different. Well, I can say it was on offense because um, on defense I felt pretty comfortable when when I was first doing the, the drills. But then when it transitioned me over to offense, and you know, granted that I still wasn't as developed as these older guys were going against the KJ Wrights and, and the Fletcher Cox, you know, those type of guys. I had to go against those guys. So. um I noticed that when I ran in routes against KJ, you know what I mean, I, I, I was doing very well. But when I had to block him, it was <laughs> it was a whole it was a whole another story, you know what I mean? So I, I'm probably like, you know, I was a freshman and he was a senior, and I was like probably a hundred and I mean two hundred and and sixteen pounds or something like that coming in the summer, and I had to block. Um, two hundred and fifty five KJ right, you know? So that was, that was the more that was the biggest wake up call when I had to block him. And then it was another play called um what the name of this play? It was on uh, forty eight. And um Fletcher Cox had he had he was yeah, so playing. Wait, 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 set it up set it up for a second word. So then play forty eight. Uh what's the situation? Um uh, where are you aligned? What's the what is it? I had, I had to play defense. I'm 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 my hand in the ground, lined up on the right, and I got a trade D gap. And Fletcher Cox was standing in D gap, and I'm, I'm here I am two sixteen, him you know first round <laughs> draft pick, and I got a I had to block him. That was the biggest wake up call, and you know I didn't he didn't put me on my back, but he put me in the backfield, you know so. I think that was the biggest wake up call. I was like I'm at the you know. Uh, I was I was questioning the technique that I was taught, you know. <laughs> but that was the biggest wake up call having to go against KJ Wright and Fletcher Cox, with them being at their prime and me just beginning. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's a pretty good welcome to college football moment. A couple uh-huh. of future Pro Bowlers, you know, uh, you get a chance to to match yourself against them. Yeah. We okay. fresh out of high school and them ready for the NFL. I had to go against the other guys. Um, but in addition to in addition to those guys that you faced on your own team, who were some of the other you know impressive guys you faced in your um, in your career at Mississippi State? 
on offense or defense? Who are some of the other guys that caught your attention as players? I like um, the way how Nico Weekly played. Um, you know, one time I was running routes. I thought, you know, we were doing 707, and you're supposed to hit doing 707. You're supposed to throw it up. Yeah, I am, you know, just casually going through my route. I caught the ball, and then he laid me down. I'm thinking, like, we're doing third. We're doing third, man. What you doing? I got up. I was, I was upset. I was already, you know what I mean? For the rest of the day. So you got, I was, you guys I was, had, had a little discussion about that, I'm assuming? Yeah, we had, we talked about that. But after that, every time I caught the ball, I was looking to hit someone because I was upset for the rest of the day, you know? I was like, how you going to hit me during sell more film through it? What? I was upset. <laughs> okay. Uh, what made Nico Whitley a good player? What was it about him that, that made him, I mean, besides the fact that he will hit you apparently even during, you know, shells no. or whatever, he'll hit you in any city situation. <laughs> you can tell Sam that I'm upset about that. I'm like, what you doing? What you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so got to keep your head on the swivel around Nicole Whitley is what you're saying, uh, no matter I, what. I think he was more upset that I caught the ball. Because Nico at the time, he wanted to go for the pick. If he can't hit you, he want to pick it. But I think he was already having a bad day, so he took his frustration out on me. So he made me have a bad day, so I took my frustration out on whoever else. Okay. And, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, Mississippi State, had some guys on defense. You mentioned two of them. In the secondary, I mean, look at the NFL, right? Uh, big play, Darius Slay. I mean, there's some guys. Um, you know, <laughs> Banks. Um, what did you notice? Because, you, you know, you cover people sometimes yourself. What did you learn from being around guys like that? Broomfield, Whitley, Banks, Slay. What did you pick up from those guys about covering people? Because you're you already played offense, but you, you're trying to – you still have a defensive person's mind. What did you get from those guys about coverage? I get um, technique and aggressiveness. I love how aggressive uh, Slay is at the point of attack, and he got great feet. Mm-hmm. Slay actually was my roommate for two years. We stayed in the same apartment. But um, I talk to Slay every day about, um, you know, specific techniques and, and what's his go-to move, you know what I mean? And, um he actually been emulating the uh, Richard Sermon thing. He, he tried to, you know, the one-hand punch and, and open up. But they got great hips and feet. You know what I mean? He's just yep. a, a very yeah. good technical athlete, you know. And Banks, he more of, you know, wingspan athlete. But Slay is like this technical athlete. He he can open his hips. He can, he can run. You know, he run for three. So you're not going to get away from him. But um, and his his point of attack, I I I, I like his point of attack because he'll jam you, or you know what I mean, he'll open up and run with you. So he he's a good player. Yeah, I, I, I interest of full disclosure, I love discussing this <laughs> under any circumstances. That was my number one rated corner of the year he came out, and I think he's going to be a he's just beginning to become what he's going to become. I think I think he's going to be a right. star at that position before it's all said and done. Uh, any final questions before I ask my world famous, uh, often imitated, often emulated, but never imitated final question of uh, Brandon Hill? <laughs> Anybody else have questions for Brandon? Oh, before I get also, Brandon, when's your when's your pro day schedule? On the fourth. On March. Oh wow! 4th. Wow. Okay, you're one of the early ones. Okay, right. I forgot yours is that early. Well, 
Brandon, I'm going to expect an update, obviously. I will be uh, looking, in addition to both, you know, television, but I'm expecting an update regarding your uh, your pro day. I want to definitely get an idea. Of, I think you'll perform extremely well. I want to get an idea of what happens there and what your experience is. Uh, also, which teams have been expressing interest? Um, absence of tape or reached out to you or spoke to you at practices or things like that? What teams have, have had contact with you? When I was at the um, All-Star camp, I, um, I was talking to the Arizona Cardinals. And, um, I think it was the Saints and the New Orleans Saints. So those okay. teams who I was talking to at the, um, at the All-Star game. And those are both teams that use a move guy, right? Um, both, in fact, uh, there was one fantasy football week where, was it Josh Hill? Someone help me out here. But the move tight end who went off for New Orleans last year, was it Josh Hill I'm thinking of, people? I think it was. So they use a move tight end. He's a guy, you know, sometimes when they go too tight on the other side from, um, obviously, on the other side from, from Graham, uh, especially in goal line, they like to go too tight. And then they've had trouble keeping tight ends healthy in Arizona. So uh, those teams both make sense to me. And then obviously on defense, uh, both teams are looking for linebackers. So I don't know which they see you as <laughs> to think of it, but they could use either version of you, Brandon. <laughs> So I'm going to just ask one last time before I, I give you my, my like I said, my, my often emulated never imitated world-famous final question. Gentlemen, once more, um, any questions for Brandon before I, I ask my final question? Going once, going twice. Okay, so, Brandon, I think that, like most young players, you're going to be a guy that first makes a good back on special teams. And you've got, as you said, a big athletic body, <laughs> you know, uh, special teams coaches love guys like you who are big enough. They can do certain things. You can ask them to block. You can ask them to athlete enough. They can run down. They can cover kicks. They can be a personal protector. They, you know, you can do all kinds of things with a guy with your size and and change your direction and speed. A lot of times you hear people say, "Oh, someone's going to play special teams because they are they lack something athletically." They don't understand what special teams is. Um, I was undersized to play safety. But I was perfect for special teams. I mean, to some extent, because I, even though I wasn't blazing fast, I had really good uh, change of direction, and I liked hitting things. So I was <laughs> pretty good special teams. Even though I never really had sort of a, I was a very undersized safety and never became a starter at any level, really, of beyond like youth football. But from high school onward, I was a backup. But I was always really good on special teams, and eventually in high school became a special teams co-captain. But the the um, the thing people forget is that you bad athletes don't do well on special teams. Uh, you say, oh, you know, he's stiff. We'll throw him on special teams. No, that's not how it works. Or he's slow. We'll throw him. No, no, you don't stiff. You don't want slow on special teams. That's yeah. that's how you give up. That's how you give up big special teams. I mean, stiff, slow guys out there, or guys who make mental mistakes. So yeah. I think that's how you how you first earn your living is on special teams. And while mm-hmm. teams figure out what you are, and part of the fun of getting a guy like you in camp is that there's gonna be a little bit of a fight. You know, a little bit of a fight uh, over who gets you. Because, yeah, you might get a tight end coach saying, oh, yeah, no, no, he's a tight end. You know, he's developmental. I'll give me a couple years of him. And you might get a linebacker coach saying, oh, you nuts? He's clearly a linebacker. You know, <laughs> you get a little tug of war. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Guys, guys that have more than one coach wanting to work with you rarely get cut. Rarely. I won't say never, but rarely. 
And then if you can if you can shoot on special teams, become a key special teams player. If you've got three coaches, after, you know, who want you, yeah, you, you're probably going to make that 53-man roster. If you've got three coaches, because this is what I've been told to you by Brian or other people, when you're in those last five or six, that fight for the 53, that last five or six guys, the first few cuts are easy. You know, you cut down from, you know, 105 or whatever, you cut down to 90, you cut down to 90, 75. I mean, there's something that our guys can play. Because our guys who, who can play get cut even at that level. But that last cut, when you're cutting down to 53, everybody can play. Everybody's getting cut from that point around that time. Our guys can play in the NFL. And these are my guys who have played in the NFL in fact. So you've got to find that thing that helps you to be hard to cut. Be a great special teams player, and, you, and you've already got the versatility. Like, you don't have to work on becoming versatile. You've got that part nailed. Uh, so if you're a special teams player, and a guy can conceivably be a backup on offense and a backup on defense while you work your way up the depth chart, you know, like I said, it sort of it writes itself from that point forward. That's a guy that has a good chance of surviving that last cut. So I think you're going to find a way to be around for that and be around after that. And then from that point forward, it's desire. You know, it's working on things. It's bothering your position coaches, bothering the veterans. And, you know, some veterans enjoy it. I mean, not say enjoy it, but I mean embrace it, being, you know, having guys pick their brains and ask them questions. And you'll figure out who those guys are. And some guys are like, get away from me, bro. You'll figure out which guys those are. It won't take hopefully long before you figure out who's who. And it's not unlike how you come up from high school even. There's guys that sort of took one of their wing and some guys who are like, you know, Go away from me. You'll figure out, like I said, very quickly, you'll gravitate, I think, to good people. You've done a good job of surrounding yourself with good people so far. And so I think going into your second year, they're going to finally sort of figure out what you are. You, know, you might be a guy that the first year, like I said, special teams, might even be on practice squad, but you'll be a guy that they're trying to figure out. And I think that linebacker eventually, because, one, your mindset, and two, the ability to cover, to be good against the run, I mean, to do basically everything you ask linebackers to do. If you can be a versatile linebacker nowadays, that that makes defensive coordinators and, and linebackers are just super happy. Like that's what they want. That's what they want. So often nowadays, with the way college football is played, the tempo and the way things are, you know, you ask these guys to make all these plays in space. You're getting smaller and smaller guys, but you've got a good frame. You're, you're 243 now. You could carry 250 and lose nothing. That what's not to like about that. And if you test anything like what I think you're going to test, there will be some buzz coming around about you uh, out, of, out of your pro day. So going into year two, I see you're going to fight your way onto the field, most likely on defense, and be a guy that's playing maybe initially in situational and then eventually playing. I think you're going to fight your way, if not that second year, then no way in that third year onto the field as a starter. And at that point, you establish yourself in the league. And to your delight, you get – to play through that rookie contract, or hey, who knows, maybe you make such a splash that they have to tear up that rookie deal and say, you know, let's, let's not even get to create so let's take care of this right now and extend you out. And like I said, at that point, your life changes. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're doing okay before that, but now your life is different. It's a different life from that point forward. And at that point, you know, you, you it's not that you weren't in the league before, but when you get to your second deal, like you it's sort of like officially official, like you really made it. And you're a veteran 
at that point, right? I mean, you obviously you think you're a rookie, you're a veteran, but you're really a veteran at that point. You're a guy that people look to. You're now a leader on the team. You're not a guy that guys leads position groups. You're a guy that people, younger guys come to to figure out certain things. You know, where to live, where to do this, all this stuff that young guys need to know when they arrive in camp. So now you're you're up here. You're not down here anymore. You've climbed up. So that means a lot of things. I mean, you know, obviously, different lifestyle it means that you're going to hear from people that you've never heard from before. Hey, guys. But, um, but also, it means that obviously, you know, that, that, that whole bulldog nation thing, um, you're going to hear from, you know, Mississippi State. They're going to bring you down. There'll be a, you know, Brandon Hill day and, you know, all that good stuff. And <clears throat> you get, get to talk to the team. You might be an honorary team captain and all that good stuff. You know, you know, you'll see that some of your game warns will be put up under glass and, you know, all that good stuff, plaques, you know, all the stuff they do. You know, go down that list of, of, of the guys from Mississippi State that have made it in the league, you'd be one of those guys. If you were being asked to show them a play, or maybe even a game, you can tell me which one you think is more appropriate, that explained what Brandon Hill brought to the program at Mississippi State, what you were as a player there, what would you show people? What would be the game or what would be the play that you would want to exemplify you as an athlete? Basically, um, you want me to explain how I feel my impact was at Mississippi State? Sure. If you wanted to show somebody a piece of tape that explained you as an athlete, what piece of tape would you show me? What's the piece of tape that... You know, it could be a play or even, like I said, a particular game that you think best explains who you were and what you were as an athlete at Mississippi State. What would be the game or, or play that you would think sums you up the best? It'll have to be, it'll have to be the touchdown catch against Kentucky. Okay. And once again, set the scene for me. What's the situation down the distance play call? What do you have to do there? We um we were going we were going in for the go go ahead touchdown and um we I think we're actually down so it was for the um to take the lead but um I had to fight through two defenders just to free myself up and then I had ran I ran the corner route here I am running to the corner and the ball I I'm looking at the ball the ball looking at me and um <clears throat> I had to jump. Up and like reposition myself in the edges so I can um be adjusted to the ball. So I jump. I'm running full speed towards the corner. I jump, twist in the air, caught the ball, secured the ball, hit the ground, rolled twice, and on my on my second roll coming up, I felt that I um I popped my <laughs> I popped my thigh. Oh, so before I could even celebrate. My whole intention was to get up and celebrate with the guys, but immediately I went back down to the ground because I popped my thigh. So oh. I, I summed it up as I can be as great as I want to be or as great as the coaches want me to be. But, I, you know what I mean, it's always this one little thing that held me back. It's always an obstacle that I have to overcome. That I feel like I can be great, but I have obstacles. That's the that's the main reason why, you know what I mean. My I'm in the situation I am right now. I can I can be I can be, you know, to the ceiling, but I'm always humbled by something. So that that's that what sums me up. 
You well, first I, of all, I, I, I can give you toughness. I can give you athleticism. I can execute. But at the end, it's always going to be another hurdle that I need to get over, basically. Okay. Well, I appreciate, first of all, your attitude. And as you said, you know, you're playing essentially out of position much of your career. That that certainly shows the team first mentality. Uh you know, your red, you burned your red shirt and you said you didn't question the, the decision that the coaches made. That definitely shows, uh, you know, that you're a coach of one, once again, that you're a guy that's more focused on the team goals than, than your own personal, you know, development, your own personal situation. And, you know, coaches love that, obviously. And like I said, versatility, like, there's no place where versatility is not prized in the world of football. At any level, high school, college, NFL, Guys, the more you can do, the more you will do. So that's 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 great. And I I wait, like many people with the evaluation committee, I wait with a certain amount of anticipation and excitement to hear exactly what your, your testing numbers are. And I know that I'll, I'll have those soon, and I will be letting the world know once we have that. You're going to I'm going to be also writing up an article on what I call my all-underappreciated team, and you're one of the members of it. You're going to get an email, uh, I guess probably via Mr. Simicata, and just let me know the answers so I can put those in, um, and that'll that'll get to you later today. It has been hey, a real pleasure. Hey, Bill. Bill. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Brian. Yes. Yes, Brian. Brandon reminds me of Nate Chandler. Well, it's funny you should mention that, isn't it? Because <laughs> Nate was this sort of puzzle as an athlete, too. He played, was it? Four different positions is something crazy. He played at UCLA. He played four different positions in five years, and yes. he only started thirteen games. He's now been in the NFL three seasons, and he started twenty games. Yep. And that was the big question with Nate: is what is he? You know, I mean, because you could you could make a legitimate argument for each one of those four positions. So it'll be, like I said, well, he's, I'm played four, he's played four positions in the NFL. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they use him in goal line. They use, him, they use him a lot of different ways. And and as you pointed out, when you play that many different positions, you are going to, just by by the fact of all the things you do, you can't be fully refined. You can't be a finished product at any one position because you're playing four positions. Which makes you know Nate's career even more amazing because he was never able to concentrate on one thing. I mean, most guys who were in the league, at least once they got out of high school, were allowed to concentrate on essentially one position. Occasionally, you'll run into two. Very rarely, you run into three. And like I said, I'm trying to think of the last time I ran into a player who played four different positions in college. Uh, it doesn't happen often. I'll say that much. Doesn't have, I mean, you know, J.J. Watt played, I think, three different positions in college. Um, he played tackle, end, and, of course, tight end, where he began his career. I don't think they ever stood him up, ever, while he was at, you know, I don't remember, I'm trying to think. I don't think he ever dropped or stood up while he was at Wisconsin. I think he was at a tackle and an end. And, like I said, uh, obviously, started as a tight end. But, I mean, when you see somebody who can do all those different things, it does make you wonder as an evaluator. Well, hey, we've got a, we've got a couple of evaluators with her. Before before you, 
um, everyone takes off. Alex, when a guy does have that level of versatility, what are the advantages and challenges for you as an evaluator when a guy does that many different things? Well, it kind of comes down to trusting your gut instinct and making a decision on where you see him fitting best, and then you have to project across multiple schemes by saying, okay, well, if he was a play tight end, he could be he could maximize his talent as this. And then if he was fully developed at a different position, this is where he would be. And so you weigh those two options, go with whichever one you feel has more value, brings more value to an NFL team, and you roll with that. And obviously, when you see a guy that has versatility and the athletic measurables that you look for, you, you're pretty solid that you can stamp a late draftable grade on him because of that special teams ability. Uh, because NFL teams don't want, you know, just a developmental backup. That's, okay, if you're not playing on offense or defense and you're not one of the more athletic guys and we're still having to develop you, you're doing us no good by being on the sideline. I mean, that's a complete waste of a, of a roster mm-hmm. slot. So you're not going to be getting off of the practice squad, much less making the 53-man roster. So um, it's critical that, that the kid can play on special teams. So it's, that's probably the, the big thing that it comes down to. But obviously you want to weigh the pros and cons of whatever two positions or three positions <laughs> – or four positions in Nate Chandler's case. Um, yes, and uh, and weigh the pros and cons and sort of make a decision based off that. Got it. And uh, before before you guys take off, I guess we have metrics guru, um, Mr. Jim Coburn. When a guy is a multi-position guy, as a metrics person, how do you treat that that particular sort of unusual situation? Well, you just look at the athletic ability and you look to see how where their best fit might be. Uh if if he is six foot two, six foot three, two hundred and forty pounds and puts, you know, like you said, a six seven or six eight, this a seven is a decent three you three count. Uh but if he did anything like that, then that's pretty easy to project him as a uh as a will linebacker or a uh, or strong side linebacker if he has pretty good strength numbers and stuff like that. So um, it, it's just, at, as you know, Bill, I hate to say height is a big advantage at tight end, but uh, it's just usually the stereotypical line, you know, linebacker and, you know, four, three linebacker, et cetera, is about 60, 250 or 240-ish. Uh, so he fits that mold right away. Versus the tight end, the inline tight end, in which he are usually more valuable. Uh, he, I, I don't think he's going to be six foot six. Unfortunately, uh, H back guys. There's a ton of H back guys uh, that that uh, uh, not to, that not to say that you're a bad tight end. It's just that there's so many of them that it's kind of. Uh, I just think at linebacker you would be able to win a spot a lot easier just because there's less. Six foot two, two hundred forty pound linebackers running around versus uh, six foot two, two hundred forty pound tight end types. So sure, yeah, yeah, right. That makes sense. So I will be definitely following up with you, Brandon. You, uh, like I said, to get to the the follow up questions for the profile I'm writing and. I, as I said, I, I wait with with bated breath, as they say, regarding what your what your workout numbers will be. And uh, you you clearly have some 
some decisions will be made, you know, about who you are, what you are. I, and I want to, I want to hear how that obviously plays out. It'll be fun, you know, to watch you, uh, whatever, wherever your journey takes you. And I, like I said, I look forward to it. I thank you, and I thank first Brian Simicata, who is always, like I said, uh, a person that I turn to whenever I, I want to get a good perspective on how and why, you know, an agent chooses to work with a particular athlete. One because he's a 100% straight shooter. I never have to wonder, you know, I never have to read between the lines of Brian. <laughs> it's all what he, what he says is what he does, and what he does is what he says, which is so refreshing. Um, you know, anywhere in, in the world, especially in this rather complicated and sometimes odd world that is professional football. Um, so it's great to, to meet you, Brandon, and, of course, it's always a pleasure to have Brian. So I wish you the best of luck. Look for an email from me probably about, well, I guess you're at, where where are you located right now? Are you where are you working out now, Brandon? In Mississippi State, I use the um our old facility where I. Uh, oh okay. <clears throat> okay, so you're in Starkville. So again, you're in Stark Vegas, as they call it. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Working out with our okay, great. <laughs> so sometime between six and seven this evening, um, probably you'll get uh, an email, probably by way of of, of Brian. Uh, regarding the, the follow-up questions I have for you. Thank you once again for your time, for your talent, and for your attention. I appreciate you having me, too. Oh, certainly. Thank you. That was Brandon Hill, the, you know, athletic puzzle to some extent, uh, both linebacker and tight end from um, Mississippi State. And his tape, simply because of the offense in which he plays, doesn't give you an idea of really exactly what he is. And that's the other thing people, when people, you know, in our community whine about certain offenses. We whine about that. Uh, it's hard to figure out what some guys are. Uh, the offenses are effective and they're fun and they do certain things. But I, um, I remember a few years ago, I was a huge fan of Jordan, Jordan Nivar at Baylor. And, you know, he could just be a chance to show what he was. I always felt like he was a much better player than he ever had a chance to show. Unfortunately, I think he had something like 18 receptions in his career or something like that, his time right. at, at Baylor, um, which, Hasn't you know, got much in the NFL, but we'll see. He's still got well, yeah, I understand that. But, I mean, that's no, the, I mean, he definitely had the size and the frame, you know, that you're looking for as an inline guy. Uh, and attitude. He has, he has really good tight end attitude. I mean, I know that doesn't really yeah. measurable, but but I like it. I like his approach. Uh, and who knows? Maybe he'll be, maybe he'll be a backup special teams guy, but I still had a feeling that if he'd been in a different offense in a different situation, not only would he have been drafted, you know, but he would have been a, a different kind of player coming out because he would have had been more refined. And I'm not here telling people, you know, if you want to play tight end, don't go to a team that doesn't use the tight end uh, very well or often, but you've got to work super hard, basically, on your own, you know. I don't know if they have tight end camps uh, springing up around the nation yet, but if they will, you know, because it started with quarterbacks, and now you've got big man camps of various sorts. You've got snap, long snap camps. You've got punt and kick camps. You've got uh, wide receiver camps, and you've got, you know, Chuck Smith that does the pass rush guys. I mean, there's there's going to be – and this is one thing that's another changing about football and evaluations of the, of the sport is there's going to be a specialized position 
guru camp, whatever you want to call it, circuit for every position before 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 very long. Yeah, you know, we're gonna have it for everything, for every position you can think of. We're gonna have a camp you can go to uh, to work on your stuff, which is good because if you're a tight end, if you're playing at some of these offenses, you you're gonna need it. You're gonna need some private coaching to be to be able to make the transition effectively. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be somebody who catches the football. So, <laughs> you know, like, it's, I mean, blocking tight ends are always going to be necessary. Yeah, right. yeah, they're always going to be a thing, but the teams are going to really like you when you catch those football. So, uh, you know, yeah. even if you don't block that well, so um, anything that can help the quarterback, uh, you know, or at least in terms of being a weapon, uh, really excited. But, um, yeah, I mean, tight end camps would be sort of – that'd be interesting to see if something like that actually popped up just because uh, a lot of the guys – I mean, the, the thing at tight end is there's, there was such a – just from a metrical standpoint, there was such a aspect where guys who produce – I mean, the guys who produced ended up producing well. But the athletic freak guys – that were like freakish athletic guys who really didn't do much in college, kind of come out of nowhere, you know, like, mm-hmm. and not all of them hit. So it's right. really a question of, okay, what exactly, like, what what is what specifically did these guys not get? Was you know, was the coaching, which probably was you know, coaching, um, because you know they're different offenses use tight ends in different ways in college, and you know if you're like if Jimmy Graham was on at Baylor, uh, as tight end, uh, would we know who he is today? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, there's certainly, of course, he'd play basketball and stuff like that, so maybe it would have caught on. But uh, it's just interesting to me that tight ends are just one of those positions where uh, there have been lots of guys that have been. It doesn't happen at every position, man. There's there's other positions where, uh, you know, there's there's. You don't have to be as much of an athletic freak, but for whatever reason, tight ends are one of those positions where the really good tight ends are typically the guys that are athletic freaks. You know? Right. Uh, and and sometimes guys who don't have great production metrics. I mean, we mentioned two or three guys, and some guys have no production metrics. They even play college yeah. football. But, uh, uh, so, Gates, Jordan Cameron, and, you know, Jimmy Graham, all those guys were, eh, in college, you know, as, as players. Uh, you know, for the most part, backups, pretty much reserve-type players for the most part. So, except for Graham. I mean, Graham at best was a red zone guy. He had that one year where he got a, a couple, a bunch of touchdowns in the red zone. So, um, but as far as being a true blue inline tight end, yeah, not so much. Yeah, and that's, like I said, that's sort of the challenge, um, I think, in evaluating that particular position because you can't just look at a combination of athletic and production stuff. There's guys who have, I mean, Heath Miller wasn't a great workout guy. He's in fact, productive. He's super productive. Right. right. I mean, he's sort of, but it shows you that you can be a successful tight end and not be a freak he's and be productive. Todd, right. And that Todd Heat, Max Williams, you know, sort of, you know, type of guy. Not, not an incredible athlete, but uh, definitely has the hands and everything else and the skills to, uh, you know, 
Jason, you know, it's 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 a field position. It, it really is. You you've got to have the awareness for what coverage guys taking away from you, how to get to your spot on the field. Um, you have to be able to run around about ten different ways, and you you the the most successful and, and longest tenure guys are those savvy ones that, that we're talking about that that know how to position their hips and cut off a guy from breaking up the catch point, how to, you know, get open without having clear separation. And because so many of the routes are, are within a 7- to 10-yard, you know, window, you've got to be able to have good spatial awareness and, and, a, and good body control. I would agree with I'm going to grab one of our other prospects. Continue in my absence. I'll be right back. Yeah, and i got to actually jump off for, for a bit. Oh, sure. Uh, well, tell people uh, where they can find all your work. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at OS underscore Alex Brown and check out all of our scouting work over at OptimumScouting.com. And uh, we'll, we'll have our scouting reports and summaries all thrown up on SportingNews.com and the next couple of weeks for, for draft coverage. So um, those two sites, and that's my Twitter. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what that was. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, you know, Bill will be back with a prospect. Uh, I guess what I could be talking about a little bit uh, Harry? Okay, Harry, I'm going to patch you in. You'll be speaking with uh, Jim Coburn and myself. We'll be asking you, obviously, about your career, your recruitment process, how you decided what to do when you came out of uh, your junior college, some of the guys you like to watch as a player, some of the guys you faced that you thought were you know, impressive, and then what your process postseason has been like heading towards uh, your chance to play professional football. Okay, okay, okay. Here's what I'll do then. Um, stay with me for just a moment. We'll talk very briefly, and then I'll I'll have to send you the rest of the questions. Uh, I guess to your email. Jim. Jim? Yes. Ah, I have Harry with me. He's gonna. He has a workout coming up, so it's gonna be a more abbreviated version. So I'm gonna throw a few sort of rapid fire questions at him, and then I know he has to get to an, uh, to a workout. Uh, Harry, first of all, thank you for making time for us. Thank you for having me. So you have a, a like I said, a, like so many guys, you have a sort of interesting story regarding how you even came to football and and your recruitment process. Tell people how you discovered football or, you know, came to play football. Um, uh, actually, came to play football more so, uh, I guess you can say, because of peer pressure. <laughs> From uh from my teammates in high school, cause um, cause I always did uh track and, and basketball, but I never really uh I never really had the the passion or the desire to really play football. But I, I enjoy I enjoy the sport, but I just never I just never really got into it. So it was more of a peer pressure thing. Okay, and what finally made you feel like okay, yeah, this is okay, yeah, football, okay, I can do this. What when did you finally sort of embrace football as a sport? Um, my senior year in high school, 
due, I would say it's more more due to due to camaraderie shit with uh or the the fellowship uh with uh with my friends and just enjoying the time uh spent. And then when I got to uh my junior college uh, uh my ju- my junior college coach actually made it seem as if I had something. So uh so I, I would say that uh, my first year in JUCO is when I really gave it my all. Okay. And tell me, once again, you, because you sort of got a late start, you weren't on everyone's radar recruitment-wise. Talk about your recruitment process, how you finally decided to go the junior college route, and then uh, how it is you eventually improved as a player. Um, I, I didn't miss any workouts. Uh, I really became a student of the game. And uh, as far as me getting to 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 my uh the the uh as far as me getting to Adam State, it was more so uh, off of uh, my friend Denzel McCollum. Uh, he 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 already had an offer to the school, so um so I guess you could say that uh that that he uh, well, uh I mean, did, did you just stow away in his luggage? What do you mean? He just <laughs> they must have seen you too, right? You just. <laughs> Yes, sir. Uh, so, so as soon as he got his, as soon as he got the offer, he he actually sent my film um, uh, to, to the to, to Adam State also, and uh, and I guess the rest is history. As oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jim, what questions do you have for Harry? Sure. Uh, well, the first question would be, uh, what are your like the last time you kind of weighed in and. Uh, uh, at your height, weight, and uh, some of the testing numbers you might have put up so far, and your and your uh, you know workouts, et cetera. Um, about six two two oh five, and um, and the 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 last time uh um, I remember my my trainer had me do a workout, a little mini workout, and then he timed me on my forty, and uh, they used laser time. And I clocked about a four six one, so so. Uh, so I guess I guess coming out first. I mean, I like I like to be in the the four or five range, uh, mid low four or five five range. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have a basketball background. Do you have an idea of what your vertical might be like? Uh, no, sir. Uh, in terms of vertical, um, I'm not sure if it's if it's that high, but but uh, but I did I did do track, and I did high jump, but uh, but in, in high jump, uh, they. They uh they teach you to jump off of one foot, so right. so 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 I'm more accustomed to jumping off of one foot. But my my best mark was six four. So okay, so you were six four high jumper. Yes, sir. Okay. And when you got to to Adam State, so t- you you obviously you said you really embraced the game in junior college. What coach was it that really helped you to to develop as a player so that you're now a, a guy who has a chance to play at the next level? What coach um, has had the greatest impact on you? Yeah. Um, honestly, I would have to say the the, the defensive back coach because we had a lot of coaching changes, um, um, th- throughout me being there, and uh, and during that whole process, you know, I was uh, yeah, he said he had a ride already, so then uh, so this is going through the whole process. Uh, I was able to um, truly learn from him because because he. he because I guess he was the coach that recruited me, but he was also the coach that uh that challenged me, and um uh, in my, my 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 teammates on the defensive end also challenged me too, and, and they also taught me uh little uh I guess you could say like the tips and the, the the tricks of the trade of the game in terms of what makes them better and, and things like that. 
Okay. And what if you were describing to somebody what kind of receiver you were and comparing yourself to a guy that maybe you've already seen in the pros or things like that, who are some of the guys that you would mention to give us an idea of who you might play like? Michael Irvin and Larry Fitzgerald. There you go. I like that. As an old man particularly, I like that. that I like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, what about those guys you think that you see in yourself and the way that you play? Pardon? What What is it about those guys that makes you compare yourself to them? What is it you do that they do? Uh, the physicality uh, and 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 uh, not having any not having fear and and I guess the natural ability to catch with hands. But uh, but uh, I apologize. Uh, the, the you workout have to go to your, do your workout, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, go do your workout. You're going to get a follow-up email from me. Uh, we will pick up, you know, some of the questions we didn't get a chance to get to. I knew you had to get to your workout. I was trying to transition to you a little earlier, but we ran a little long with, the, uh, with our last guest. Harry and uh, from, um, uh, sorry, from Adams State, we will be speaking to you again in the near future, okay? Go have a great okay. workout. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. So, yeah, we had to go a little rapid fire. <laughs> Somebody had to get off to a workout. He is... He's an interesting prospect, and he is not a blazer. And to his credit, he didn't tell us some ridiculous story about being 4-4. He is not. Uh, he is probably <laughs> a um, – Well, uh, I, was talk- I was talking to my girlfriend, and she, she had 4-3-5 on, on the time. <laughs> As I like to say, there are three things that a man will often lie about, and his 40 time is one of those three. But, uh, Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> But to his credit, I would fly about it. I would, you know, like in the opposite direction. Like, oh, like if you're a four or five guy, I'd be like, yeah, I run about four six. That way, when you run four or five, people go, hey, 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 you ran four or five to four six. Great job, man. And James, that proves why you and I are not elite athletes. So that's the way elite athletes think. So that's what you know. That's of what course. Of course, well, yeah, I think they they run four four magically. They all think they run four four. I can run four four on the field. I may not do it on the testing or the time speed, but on the field, I'm four three five all day. <laughs> that is the mindset of an elite level athlete, particularly at the skill positions. Just so you know, locked inside each and every one of them is an inner four four. Is what I've come to realize in my many years in this profession that. There is a conviction <laughs> that these most of these guys have. It's rare and somewhat refreshing to run across a guy that says, oh, four, six, one. Like, God bless you, sir. God bless you. <laughs> uh, so that's one of the reasons I've, I've enjoyed Harry. Um, he is, and he is, he's not as refined as, you know, either of the two guys you mentioned in terms of technique and route running, but he's right in terms of his approach to the catch point and he is fearless. I mean, he he doesn't flinch. He doesn't short arm. I mean, he will take a blow. He's he's a guy that will work the middle. He's, he'll get the quote-unquote dirty yards, third and six. Everybody knows that slant's coming. Here comes the here comes that nickel. Here comes that will. Whoever it is, you know, try to separate you from the ball. He's going to go there and catch the ball. Yeah, there's still a place for guys like him in the league. You know, not everybody yeah. has the guys be, like yeah. Yeah, there's still a place. That's what I want to say to all the guys who aren't four four in the world. There's still a place for you guys. You don't have to be, you know, Beckham Jr. You don't have to be, you know, uh, Sammy Watkins. There's a place. There still is a place, uh, and an important place, quite frankly, 
for guys who run 4-6 and catch the ball with their hands over the middle consistently. Yep. There's a place for you guys, although you won't get paid as much money, but, you know, you'll definitely have uh okay career. You know, Brandon LaFell, he's still doing stuff. Um, right. Well, I mean, Anquan Bolton, if, if he continues to play another year or two, is going to be a yeah. guy that will get consideration yeah, for the Hall of Fame. He's a guy I really don't like just because, you know, not to say I don't like his play, he's the one guy where people go, you know, our metrics guy, Anquan Bowden, didn't test well. Look what he did. Just watch the tape. Like, that's, that's, yeah. Even yeah. though his production metrics were pretty good. And I was going to say, but you could say, watch the metrics, because he, he was Mr. Market Share when he was at Florida State University. Yes. That's, he was that guy at Florida State. But and if they weren't forced to make him play quarterback to give versatility, his production would be even better. But there were times yep. when Chris Ricks was so terrible that they were forced to put him back at quarterback. And put him at quarterback, exactly, because he could kind of do it all. But, you know, that's just, I don't know. It's just, it's like Jarvis Landry. It's like, <laughs> again, if you got freaked out over his pro day or his testing and you didn't look at the tape or you didn't look at his production, at, well, it's you that I don't know what I can do for you, you know. He was always going to be, you know, a good. Now he hasn't got he hasn't got all pro consideration yet, you know. Which, you know, but I don't think you know he was ever really going to be that, other than just being a tough guy going over the middle and you know catching the football and doing that stuff for a living. So hopefully he'll do that. And that's you know that's the whole thing is you don't have this one sort of shiny toy to show people when you're a possession guy. Um, you can't just say, hey, look at my sport here, or hey, look at my whatever. You you have to study tape to find the guys that are going to be the really good, the, the Jason Avant, right? You're right. not going to have somebody jump off of you and announce. Well, Avant you know, catches the football really well. That's the one underrated uh, aspect of Avant, I, 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 in my opinion, is just that he his hands are – uh, you know, Eric, it doesn't matter what Eric code you throw it to, you know, he, he, he has, a, he's probably going to come down with it, but, but yeah, definitely. You know, when you're, when you're a possession guy, uh, you have to know about your routes, you have to study quarterbacks a lot more, you know, cause you're not going to, you're going to be going up against some quarterbacks that you're not really going to be able to compete with physically. So you're going to have to figure out, okay, all right, let me let me see this guy, you know, and that's that's the one thing about Stevie Johnson, you know, giving Revis this because you know Revis was about five times the athlete that Stevie Johnson ever was, really. Yeah. Uh, but Stevie Johnson was just able to study enough of Revis to figure out, all right, all right, Revis, all right, okay, I see, I see what you're doing here, you know, and and took advantage, you know, of it. Uh, now, of course, it didn't happen you know, again and again and again. And you did it a few times, but not every single time. But it's just something that, you know, when you're a possession guy, you have to work that much harder to uh, to overcome your physical limitations. But that does not mean that you're limited as a, you know, player. You know, there's more aspects to a football player than just their 40 time and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's what it is what it is. The business we're in, you know. 
Well, I mean, at certain positions, there's a good number of guys who were below average in terms of physical testing who've had fantastic pro careers. And Mike Seaver's a great example. Raymond Berry was in such poor physical condition that he was 4F uh, in terms of the draft. The draft would not have the military draft, would not have him. Uh, he was a late-round draft pick in the NFL draft. He was severely nearsighted. Uh, he was one of the sort of early players to play with contact lenses, in fact. He had scoliosis. That's why he was 4F for draft rating. He had scoliosis that was so bad he had to wear special lifts in his shoes because one leg was much shorter than the other. Um, he ran about 5'2 in the 40, and he was the greatest, one of the greatest wide receivers of the what I call the, the beginning of the modern era in terms of the passing game. You've got Steve Largent much more recently, and guys like Bolitnikoff much more recently, who were 4'8, mid 4'8 kind of guys, who had terrific pro careers. The yeah. Bolitnikoff I mean, Award is named for him. Yeah, great college careers at Tulsa and, and Florida State. And, yeah, I mean, these are guys who were dominant. In fact, players, uh, despite their lack of, of, you know, obvious physical traits or whatever. Yeah, yeah. right. Right, certain physical traits. So there are other ways to be an effective player, at least at certain positions. Now, when you're a three four outside linebacker, you, you can't find a list of super successful guys who didn't no. well. <laughs> well. There's less of that. There is some exceptions. Terrell Suggs is kind of one of those in a way because his testing wasn't that great uh, overall. But he had some decent, like his dynamic speed was actually pretty decent, but his, you know, his power and his speed was eh for his size. Uh, but but he was really young. You know, he's 20 when he, he, he was turned 21 actually during the season, the first rookie season, and uh, and was really productive. Like really, really productive. You know, watching Ultra All Star State. So there's a couple examples of that. But when you're Jarvis Jones, uh, you know, uh, where you're basically, I hate to say, but he was the closest thing to Ryan Riddle as an athlete. Uh, unfortunately for Ryan Riddle, but that's just that's just the kind of shows. Uh, and didn't have nearly the savvy of Ryan Riddle either on tape in terms of every single thing. Um, you have issues competing uh, against top-level athletes. Uh, so, it, I mean, you can get by without elite-level athleticism uh, and, you know, a decent athleticism at, at, in any position, lots of positions, but um, it just doesn't happen as often, and that's why – Teams would rather take the approach of, you know, prove me wrong as an undrafted free agent than proving me wrong as a, you know, as a drafted, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Because seventh rounders and sixth rounders, it almost seems like they just draft their cousin's second brother once removed type guys at times. You know, that really aren't going to do anything. But um, the NFL, you know, they just kind of do what they do. But, I mean, the bottom line is, is people win in varieties of ways. Uh, you know, in a variety of ways, and uh, I just think it's kind of funny that uh, still to this day, uh, people don't acknowledge that fact that a guy could have a. But it's like with Danny Shaw, a guy like him could have a five six forty, but he had a really good vertical and a broad jump. You know, so he may not win with speed, but could he win with power at the point? I think he could. You know, possible. <laughs> 
there, there's evidence to say that he could win with power instead of speed. And I think power, or the way we define it, is changing to some extent. I don't know if you're noticing this, but the trend seems to be downward in terms of the bitch number of whoever is, I mean, the top Yeah, guy. they're getting weaker, they're getting smaller. I don't know what's happening, Bill. Help me out. <laughs> make it simple. I mean, I'm assuming it's a no-level offense. That's my assumption. It's the go, 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 you know, hurry up offenses where you have to be able to go. You can't, you don't get to, you can't have a guy who's out there, you know, about to pass out because they've just run three plays in the last 40 seconds. Right. And that definitely has an effect, but and that and that but that's the number one difference is you know, the ideal linebacker weight was, you know, two fifty, two forty. It's becoming now two thirty to two forty. You know, two forty is like amazing now if you're a linebacker, you know, uh versus two when that really was kind of mid mid range weight on most inside linebacker types. So um it's Definitely, depending on who you are. I mean, Jeff Luke, right? But you know, there's other. There's, Jeff Luke is like an anomaly. He's like you know something that shouldn't exist today, uh, size wise. Two fifty five pound linebacker. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean those, that's the type of guy that only Bill Belichick would appreciate. But uh, you know, a couple other guys. But it's no, that's definitely what's happening. And at quarterback as well. And quarterbacks are getting smaller. Um, safeties are getting smaller, but they're not getting any more athletic. So that's that's my issue. Is that sound good? You know, they're they're getting smaller. They're putting on less muscle, but they're not actually getting faster to a significant degree, uh, and that's worrisome. You know, for a lot of guys, where you know you you're dropping all this weight to to deal with the up-tempo offense, but you're not actually getting any stronger, any faster. And on top of that, uh, because you're now weaker, teams can now exploit that fact now. So they they could be like, oh, we were up-tempo, but now we're going to be power, you know, against you, you know, uh, which happens a lot. We've seen recently in certain college games where uh, a spread team goes up against a power team and, you know, doesn't end well, <laughs> you know. Uh, Stanford, Oregon games are famous for that. This year was, of course, different because, you know, Stanford lost a ton of guys and uh, and their offense was just, uh, uh, it wasn't even competent uh, from, from that other year. And, of course, all the defense was different. But uh, it's just that, you know, whenever you see a clash of philosophies that it happens that the power philosophy tends to win. But just for whatever reason, uh I, I don't know. I mean, that's 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 just where everything's going. Is smaller linebackers, smaller cornerbacks, smaller defensive players, which doesn't. Make, I don't know. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. At least at the line positions, uh, per se, because uh, well, you know aren't getting appreciably more athletic. I mean, it's, it's a right. trade-off. Now, now, here's the one thing I will say. Maybe, even if they aren't getting more athletic, maybe they're getting better conditions so they're able to go play after play. Maybe it's the – and we don't really have any, um, with the exception of sort of the 60-yard shuttle and the, uh, I guess the bench rest to a certain extent itself are, the, are sort of measures of endurance. 
But yeah. most, the combine doesn't care about endurance. The combine is very focused on explosion. And, right. you know, endurance, sometimes you'll see it in some of the drills, you know, uh, but for the most part, endurance is almost forgotten at, at in things like that kind of testing situation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the bench, and I'm not trying to do anything with the bench. I mean, the the bench is, there is correlations with the bench, but it's a, it's a lot like arm length in the sense that there's not a huge difference between the guys who hit a certain number and the top guys at the end of the food chain, you know, on the other end of the scale, if you will. Um, sure. And arm length, you know, because everybody harps for arm length. Oh, arm length is other the difference is only about the, the the high end, the top 25%, and the bottom 25%. The difference was two reps. So, it's, you know, it's not as significant. I mean, it does show that there's a slight correlation to your arms getting more bench reps, but it's not as significant as kind of everybody makes it out to be. Because, you know, people go, oh, Randy Gregory, put up 24, it's really good because he had long arms. Well, you know, it's average, you know. Because, I mean, you bring up our, our arm length or not. Yeah, in the last three days, I've seen like 150 draft profiles where the term elite arm length or elite length was used. Right. Which doesn't make sense to me. Um, <laughs> from the metrics. Just from the metrics, because their height was much more important than arm length. And I don't know why it hasn't been focused on enough. I guess because. And I, maybe I'm not explaining it right. I just, again, the leverage, you know, a taller athlete that can bend, that's the big part of it. Can he bend, right? So Eric Armstead is a tall athlete, but does he bend? Well, not, not, not a ton, uh, you know. But if a tall athlete can bend, then, then they would be able to get a leverage advantage uh, with, with that bend against the other guy. So... Um, but arm length, there wasn't much difference. Between 32 inches and above with offensive tackle, there was no difference in the quality or quantity of the players. It was, And the guys who were really great were actually the taller guys. So, again, arm length is not – it's not as significant as people – not to say – again, I don't think it hurts you to have long arms. I think it can help you to have long arms as a as an offensive tackle or a defensive lineman. But does it have – such a huge impact that, man, you know, he has 30-inch 30, 30 arms, man. If he has 35, he could do it, but he can't now because I don't think it has anything to do with it. I think there's other factors involved with it that uh, are not being, uh, you know, talked about. It's like hand size as well. There wasn't a big difference in hand size either. I mean, if you had really tiny hands, yeah, but if you had the adequate hands, uh, not much difference. Other than just the guys who typically had big hands had more punching power, but even that didn't have a huge difference in, in stuff. So those guys, when people talk about heavy hands, you know, uh, those types of guys typically had really above average hand size, but could you could you really say it was the hand size? Was it the hand size that made him great, or was it the fact that he was really fast and he was really powerful and he was, you know, like, so there's all these other variables that go into it, but the the bottom line is, is I, I just think that there's a lot of combine testing stuff that people put way too much. Uh, I, I don't think you should be putting a number to it. 
you shouldn't be saying, oh, this guy had 20, this guy had 40 reps, this guy had 24 reps, so the guy who did 40 is better than the guy who did 24 as a football player. I don't really think you can do that. Um, I think you should try to value them equally in what they accomplished, you know, uh, regardless of arm length or whatever. Well, that was one of the things that even some people raised regarding, um, you know, when there there was sort of that pick apart Xavier uh, Clowney thing that sort of kicked in shortly before the draft, uh, and some people whipped out his his bitch numbers which were awful. I think it was what twenty three reps or something. Yeah, yeah, average. Yeah, average. Um, yeah, average bench reps. Uh, high end is like forty, and mid range is twenty. You know. 22, um, I believe. So he was just a little bit above, slightly above average. Kind of average, yeah. And people were ripping him apart and everything else like that when I was more worried about his injury history. Uh, and, you, about and it turns out you have the more legitimate concern uh, in, in, in yeah. terms of that because the issues that have happened so far with him have nothing to do with technique or effort or athletic ability. It's been the fact that he has been injured. And he played injured, and I don't understand why people can't see it. I, I hate to put it that way, but you, you can tell a guy plays injured, and it was clear in you know 2013 that he was playing injured. But people, and and and, the, and it was oh, it wasn't it was like a secret. They talked about it. Yeah, Clowney's not. It was like there's lots of people that were going to practice at South Carolina, and they were like, well, Clowney like nonchalantly coming back to practice, like he goes to practice later or whatever. And they were like, oh, see, he's lazy. He doesn't come to practice on time. They just let him do whatever he wants. When the reason why he was coming in later is because they agreed that because of the injuries he was having that they would give him a little bit of rest, you know. They had him on a pitch count. Exactly. So I think it's, again, it's easy to misinterpret stuff if you don't actually do the, you know, ex- explaining the, like, I can't prove whether or not Connie was lazy or not. What I can prove is that he had bone spurs. Why? Because he's been to doctors and who said he had bone spurs. And he's had all these other sort of ailments in his career that he, and he's had to miss time because of whatever. So, um, I, I again, that's just a little bit of people, the easy conclusion. The easy conclusion about Connie was Oh, he's just lazy. You know, he's he's an entitled athlete because it's such a cliche, you know. Like, oh, he's the entitled athlete. He's just he's he just thinks he's better than everybody else, and maybe he does. But you can't say that he wasn't playing injured. You can't say that he didn't have bone spurs. You can't say that he had conditioning issues because he wasn't able to condition um, as much because of the pain in, in his you know in his uh, feet, ankle area. So. You know, I, I don't want to say it's lazy, but I just think when people talk to people and then they look at me like I'm crazy. Cause I don't think last year, like, well, if you know this, why aren't Scott talking about it? I'm like, I don't know. But that doesn't mean I'm wrong. You know, just because scouts are making their own opinions about somebody and sticking with it and talk to coaches and made their opinions, that doesn't mean that they're right. That just means that they took something the coach said and, you know, went with it in a crazy direction. So, you know, uh, which happens a lot, you know, yep. guys take a coach's statement and, and misconstrue it and, you know, and then do all sorts of stuff. But 
you know, I don't know. But forget that Steve Spurrier is powered at least 20% by snark. He's a snarky dude. He's the quote, he's the most quotable coach in the SEC. Well, if you, you know, go back to his time in Florida, 20 years running, basically. That's not yeah. my accident. He likes saying stuff that people are going to get all excited about. It, whatever reason he gets, he gets into that. He likes saying things. Exactly. But and when but you yeah. tell that, oh, Clowney works hard, but he's no Marcus Lattimore, and it's like, yeah, but do you realize what Marcus Lattimore had to do? Like, that's unfair to compare a guy to, you know, a guy that had to come back from an injury, and they come back from another major catastrophic knee injury. Like, the amount of guts to do that, uh, and unfortunately he wasn't able to, you know, you know, who knows, but he unfortunately wasn't healthy enough to come back, but uh, yeah, that's a different type of adversity than what Cloudy's having to deal with, but I don't think you should compare the two. It's like, oh, well, you weren't like that guy that fought cancer. Well, it's like, yeah, he's never had a fight cancer, but what does that have to do with, you know, his college and they're talking about a guy it's like, well, he's no Mark Herzlick. You know, there's no documentary film being made about his courage. He's no Mark Herzlick. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Exactly. Like why, why would you even bother to say, but if you know Steve Spurrier, that's the thing, if you know Steve Spurrier, you know you have to take everything he says about everything with a grain of salt. He yeah. likes being snarky, newsworthy things. Yep. But exactly. That's not something you don't know about him. And when you ask him the follow-up questions, he, makes, he says the guy's the leader of the defense, He's the most important player on the team. I mean, he says that stuff when you follow up and ask more questions. Exactly, but uh, I don't know. The clowny situation, again, I think that was more agent-motivated. I hate to say bringing agents into this, but, I mean, <laughs> but it just felt like he's the top guy, so let's just throw all the stuff we can at him and see if he cracks. And, hey, he didn't crack, you know, and thankfully – I think it. I think that'd be great by his agent because since everybody's talking about his character stuff, but we talk about his injury stuff. You think about it that way, like you know, like kind of a misdirection type situation where oh. everybody's focusing on all this fake stuff that the real stuff nobody ever really got a chance to think about or even consider because it was just all character. Which is and, a little and hopefully and hopefully he gets healthy. And again, I. I had no questions about Clowney's talent on the field. Uh, I just was – there's just a bit of uh, – and, you know, me being an Auburn fan, I don't know about Bo Jackson, you know, there's there just a bit of freak athletes at times are sometimes too much of a freak for their bodies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I'm, I'm not trying to say that that's like a real thing or not. It's just with Bo Jackson, you know, they were talking about how, you know, he was so powerful that he was able to – that's probably why he injured, you know, in that in uh, that major injury he sustained was because he was going so fast and then stopped so suddenly that it just out. Um, not to say Khan is that guy, but if you're a 260 pound man that's running four or five, uh, and you also carried a ton of weight on you as well in in high school because he wasn't a little guy in high school, you know, he was a full grown man in high school. Uh, you can have stuff that 
you know, your body's still developing and you have all this weight on you and all this stuff on you that, you know, that could affect certain things. So it was just kind of that to a certain extent. And hopefully, again, like I said, hopefully he gets healthy and everything else like that. But uh, it's just the medical stuff that I got and talking with the orthopedic guys and everything else like that, that was major like, oh, no. <laughs> like, this is not the safest top five pick ever. It has nothing to do with character. It has more to do with, you know, with medical stuff. And, of course, I never got to see his feet, you know, x-rays or anything like that. So I can't really comment on that stuff. But um, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's 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 where the media fails at times, I guess. Is they, they tend to go with the easy narrative at times versus, you know, trying to figure out other explanations for stuff. Well, here's what it comes to with me. And funny you should mention uh, Bo. Uh, there's other guys I could bring up who – there was a – I can't remember the player's name now, but he had his bones broken by his own muscles. I'm trying to remember what his name was. But there was a strength imbalance. They, I mean, was the term they would use now, I guess, they discovered. So the, I can't remember exactly, but it was one of those hip area injuries, a groin. It was a groin injury, but it wasn't a normal groin injury. The, a piece of bone got pulled off uh, by one of his muscles. I'm sure which player it was, but he was one of those freak athlete type guys. Um, another one of those sort of Tyrone Calico, Justin McCarron type, but not, yeah. not one of them. Somebody like that. But somebody who was like 220 something pounds and ran, you know, 431 or 429 or whatever it was, and he actually was on special teams at the time, and he did something. I can't remember if he was returning or he was covering. And at first they thought it was a groin, like a groin tear like the muscle, but they discovered the muscle was intact, but the muscle actually pulled a piece of the bone off. Eesh. Yeah, exactly. And it was an injury they'd never seen before. You know, it was like, you know, I've been, the guy who was the was like, I've been doing this for, you know, 26 years or whatever, and I've never seen this injury. You, you know, you are the first. You are the Exactly, oh, yeah. man, because guys are just like that. Some guys are, they're so, they're not human, you know? Uh, there you go. They're not supposed to be this big and this fast and this, you know, it's just not supposed to happen, you know? Um unfortunately for, for the guys, but, uh, and not to say the crowd is going to be that guy or not, but, you know, he definitely is, you know, there's questions about the, that fact. And unfortunately, you know, he had to have a major surgery and this and that. And you know, all that. I mean, we'll see. He's still a young guy, but we'll see where, um, this goes from here. And please stop labeling him a bust. That's another thing too. People are way too quick to, uh, Say like I like my whole method. I wait four years. So what did the guy do in four years? And then I uh, then I label whatever they ended up, you know, being. You know. Well, we we talked about this once before. How we're in this sort of immediate, you know, this, the culture is speeding everything up. The game is speeding up. Right? Oh, I believe we have our next prospect on. I believe we do. Is that Terrace? Yes. Excellent, Mr. Jones Briggs. A pleasure, sir. Um, obviously, you come from a, a football family. Would you like to tell us a little about yourself in terms of how you got introduced to football and and sort of what your uh, your path was you know, 
to high school and what your recruitment process was like? Yeah, like you said, I came from a football family. Uh, three brothers who all played Division One. Uh, my older brother, my just seeing growing up, seeing him play ball, and my brother Nick and Marcellus just inspired me to start as well. Started like around eleven. Um, played two years of Pop Warner and then got into high school. Where uh, I did go to two high schools. Started at St. Paul, and uh, once my brother Nick transferred, I just wanted to stay with him, stick with him. So I transferred as well, and um, then wasn't highly recruited. Maybe because of the high school I went to, California High School. Uh, we didn't have a lot of competition, but I didn't let that stop me from pursuing getting into D1 because I thought I may not have faced the people others were facing, but uh, I felt like I can still play. Um, thank God that uh, Arizona gave me a chance to walk on, and once Rich Rock came and offered the scholarship, uh just made my dreams come true. Let me just say, I was very much surprised that you had to walk on. I was, uh, <laughs> I mean, I would think, <laughs> I would think uh, with, I mean, people obviously were familiar with, you know, the, the talent in your family. I would think almost by accident somebody would see you play and think, yeah, this guy is a college football player. So there weren't, <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming there were at least some teams, even if they were maybe smaller schools that were at least, Looking to give you a scholarship? Yeah, and I had uh, I had UC Davis and uh, uh, Cal Poly, um, but being around Nick all my life, pretty much, and wanted to just continue to follow him through his success and hopefully get there as well. Um, I decided to just walk on to Arizona. So I mean, I had yeah, I had some schools, but no, most none of them was D one. Oh, okay. And you're a guy that a lot of people have compared to, well, a lot of other people, including your own brothers, and a lot of other, Danny Woodhead, uh, uh, Darren Sproles, uh, 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 Dexter McCluster. How do you feel about being compared to sort of the, what I guess the term when we use a scat back slash uh, slot guy. How do you feel about those comparisons, and, and who do you think you play like? Uh, I like it a lot, uh, being compared to those scab backs, because I feel like those are the ones that, you know, can endure more. They might be little, but, you know, we got low center of gravity, and we, we're we not taking as much hits. You know, we know how to maneuver around defenses. So being compared to those guys, especially uh, Dexter McCluster, and another guy I watched, Jamar Charles, is just pretty good to me. Um, and what was the other question? Oh, and who do you think you play like? When you look at your, you watch tape of yourself and you watch other guys, who are some of the guys that you actually think you're like? When you sort of scout yourself. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't really know about that one. Um, I mean, of my favorite back in the league right now is Matt Forte, so oh. but that 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 guy's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he'll do. He's he's not yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> he's really good. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Well, I mean, you have some things in common with them, though. Obviously, physically, you know, you're a, for people who aren't always familiar with you, uh, give them a little bit of an idea of what they see when they look at a guy like you. When Terrace Jones Grigsby's on, on on the field or you're watching tape, what do, what do you see? What does someone else see when they see you play? Uh, they might not see that much height, <laughs> but uh, they definitely see heart. You know, uh, I play this game with a passion. I always have. Um, I like to. Sometimes my coach got on me by, you know, dipping my shoulder too many times. He thought I can, you know, use my speed and other things. But uh, I like contact, uh, blocking, things of that nature. And uh, if I get a chance to be in the open, you know, I, I can take it. Okay. I'm going to open it up to uh, my co-host, James Coburn. Uh, Terrence, as you mentioned, is uh, one of about four – various guys in his family who've, uh, who've had a chance to watch play. And one of your brothers is playing, is it in Canada? One of your brothers is still playing somewhere, right? Yeah, that's Nick, my brother, who also attended Arizona. Yep. He's 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 up north now? Yeah, he's in uh, Canada playing with the oh. Tri-Cats. Yes. Well, first of all, let him know that, that I said hello. I had a group. I, he was one of my favorite guys, frankly. Uh, <laughs> last year. He, well, I, I, I'm a, I was a huge. I'm not even. I was a huge fan of his, and I'm a little surprised he's not on the NFL roster. But I think he will be before too long. Yeah, he, he's he's on. He's working his way to get there. So, uh, what questions, James, might you have for uh, Terrace Jones Grigsby? Begin with Terrace Jones Grigsby. Oh sure. Uh, well, the first question, you know, with Arizona. Uh, you know, we I've got a chance to talk to you know Marquis Flyers last year, uh, and uh, uh, we had um, uh, we think I didn't get a chance to talk to Shark Richardson, but your team in general has sort of a chip on your shoulders, best way to put it. You know, uh, don't get no enough respect uh, and, and stuff like that, and uh, and this year in particular, uh, you guys uh, ended up uh, you know going all the way to the Pac-12 uh, championship. Um, in terms of just your general experience there on the team um, and stuff like that, who who are some of the guys that you went up against uh, in the Pac-12 uh, that you were most impressed with and maybe some guys that you probably even played with at Arizona that you felt you were pretty in, uh, uh, not enamored with, but just guys that you uh, came to really respect? Oh, uh, well, playing in the pack, you know, I respect every team. And uh, every team we face, I think, had a standout guy on defense. Um, when I when I think of the competition we face, uh, you know, you always think of Oregon and uh, USC, UCLA, think, people like that. So, um, Leonard Williams comes to mind first. <laughs> uh, gave me a big, big blow of the season. Feel like that's going to be played everywhere, so I got to prepare myself for that. But uh, he's definitely a first-round draft pick. Miles um, Jack, young guy from UCLA, um, oh. sophomore, but but plays like he oh. plays like he's you know been in the game forever. So um, he might be competition, but uh, I look forward to seeing how he does. And uh, just pretty much everybody we played, you know, like I said, are uh, playing in a pack. You know, people that might not give us that much respect. Only they they look forward to you know only seeing Oregon, but uh, there's other teams out there, and everybody has you know 
uh, great leaders and great players. I love that you mentioned Miles Jack. He's he's rare. I don't know how else to put yeah, it. Yeah, man, he he, like he really he really is. And uh, our running back coach at back in Arizona, you know, say how he he recruited him and this and that. But just to see him play linebacker and then all of a sudden, you know, go run the ball, score some touchdowns. That that's pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, like I said, he. Well, you've gotten to see Miles. Uh, Jack and Shaq Thompson, the two linebackers slash running backs in your conference up close and personal. Yeah. Uh, compare, <laughs> compare and contrast them. Um, how are they alike? How are they different? Sort of paint the picture. If someone has never been on the field, both people have not had the pleasure of being on the field with those gentlemen. What are they like, uh, each of them? What makes them similar? What makes them different? Um, well, I didn't get the chance to play uh, that much versus Washington Shaq Thomas, but uh, he – He's a, he's a great defensive player. You know, he's very hungry. You know, he's he's ball hungry. He knows what exactly where to be. And uh, I didn't see him to get uh, really see him play running back, but I think they're both similar. You know, a linebacker. They're very ball hungry. They remind me of uh, Tremaine Bondurant. You know, that guy's oh. everywhere with the ball. And uh, oh. yeah, man, that, that's he was one of my favorite players. You know. And wherever that ball was, you'll find him there. And that, I think that's, you know, they they compare it to Miles Jack and uh, Shaq Thomas. They're just real ball hungry. But uh, seeing Miles Jack play running back, you know, his freshman year, he had like over 100 yards on us. And, you know, that was his first time carrying the ball in college football. So he, that just shows that, you know, he's very versatile and, and just, you know, a real good player. Yeah. Um, you mentioned – you and I have, I guess, similar taste in football players. You've mentioned some of my favorite guys. Uh, <laughs> James Coburn, what other questions do you have? Oh, sure. Well, my next question would be, uh, in terms of uh, – I know you talked about, um, you know, being trained as a scat bag or whatever, but could you describe a little bit of, you know, what your role was in the offense and kind of what your responsibilities were uh, on any given uh, play uh, in that offense? Uh, well, my first role was to, you know, be the that veteran leader. Um, going into the season, I knew that we were going to be splitting time, me and Nick Wilson. So um, just I wanted to take every opportunity I could when I was on that field. And um, being a running back and uh, coming off, you know, out of that year with Kadeem Carey, we knew that we still wanted to run the ball. So, you know, my first priority was to get everything down, get my steps down, and uh, know, you know, the defensive playing and which holes to hit. And uh, after that, um, it's pretty much all on the quarterback, so I had to protect the quarterback. You know, we had a lot of pass protection plays where I had to be the sixth man in there and block, and most of them depended on me because most teams in the pack like to blitz. So, I had to keep my head on the swivel and pretty much helping you get that ball out. So um, running back has a pretty big role in uh, the Arizona offense, and it all starts with, you know, me and the quarterback getting the same. So you mentioned that you you actually embrace blocking. Now, people, let's just, let's just get it on the table. Exactly how big are you? 
Oh, I'm I'm five eight one ninety six. Okay, so you're not the smallest guy in the world, but you're you know you're not, <laughs> but, but, you know but but you're not you're not a giant, you're not a monster, you're not massive. Um, yeah. When you're asked to protect on passing plays, when you're asked to you know fire out there and and stone a linebacker on a blitz, tell us about your approach. What is it you're doing? Because you're not just going to go out there and smash that guy in the chest and, you know, walk over <laughs> and yell at him. I mean, what is it you're doing? Well, uh, I think you got to look to fundamentals. You know, you got to – depends on what the play is. If it's a quick pass, you know, when the quarterback's going to take a quick three-step drop and throw, then I got to do what you said. I got to go attack the man. I got to throw my body out there and maybe even uh, try to get him down by, you know, chopping. But if it's a six-step drop where – Quarterback, let me take some time. Then I got to set my feet, and I got to make sure my butt's facing the quarterback. Always taking a picture of him, and uh, just punch. You know, I got to use my hands. You know, if I go in there and try to just throw my shoulder in there, he can easily swim and just get around me and potentially sack the quarterback. So it depends on what play it is, but uh, most of the time I got to set my feet and punch. Okay, and uh, Jay. What other questions might you have for Mr. Jones Grigsby? Jones Grigsby. I don't know why I'm going to that. Jones Grigsby. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my next question would be, it, um, in terms of the offseason, um, were you invited to any uh, um, all-star events or uh, anything like that to kind of showcase yourself more? Uh, not that I heard of. I'm sure if I was, my coaches would have told me, but um, – I wish I was. I felt like that would have been a great experience, especially seeing uh, some of my guys get invited and do actually really well. Uh, it was kind of a bummer to me, but uh, I just took the extra time to, you know, get get back healthy, get back 100%, and start, you know, training for pro day. And how, and how is that going? Uh, uh, what What is your kind of, uh, you know, workout regimen uh, preparing for the pro day, and what are some of the – things you want to, you know, maybe numbers you want to hit or or just stuff you want to work on before you get there? Yeah, it's going uh, really well. I decided to stay home here in Tucson and work out with the football coaches. You know, I've been here with them for three years, so they know, you know, they really know me and know uh, my strengths and weaknesses. And um, just going by numbers, you know, seeing the seeing the combine, um just seeing the 40s and uh, all the other events, I feel like I can, you know, rank up there with the top guys. So just I want to get in the low 4-4 range. And, you know, um, jumping's always been my best ability. So hopefully I can get good, good numbers there and um, just run good times in the drills and showcase my routes and abilities come uh, running back drills. Okay. Um, so when you said vertical has been your thing, what, what what can we expect? What's the best you've ever been, um, you know, you're, you've ever been measured at in terms of your vertical? <laughs> well, uh, I'm more of a broad jumper, but uh, oh. vert, vert, uh, you expect anything between 36 and, you know, maybe 38. Um, broad, I'm going to try to get out there, though, so broad, I sh- Bro, should be good. Oh, okay. I don't know about uh, 
twelve three like how that cornerback did, but <laughs> you're not you're not, gonna, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna break that record, you're not gonna go go after it. It's like, well I'll put up twelve four. That's not what you're about to do. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, Jones, but uh Byron Jones, watch your back. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if I could do that. That that was an unbelievable jump. I love the reactions of the people in the background. You can see some of them like, I gotta go after that. Yeah, well, can like... We, just, can we take a break or something? Can we do something else? <laughs> just come back there? Really? Yeah, wait until everybody forget about that, and then I jump. Yeah, just backing <laughs> that up had to be just a terrible experience. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Now, and I feel really good for Byron because he's a guy that, unfortunately, missed about six games or five games this season because of injuries, and, you know, I think he, some people sort of forgotten about it. Well, now, now they remember it. So I was yeah, he, he probably took that into Harlem training and made sure people would remember him. You mentioned, obviously, that you're in a, a, a Rich Rodriguez office. And I remember the first time I heard that name, um, he was the head coach, you know, a very long time ago, probably when you were a baby, uh, in Bill State in West Virginia, and I've actually talked to, on one of our quarterbacks' focus shows, to Jed Drenning, who was his original quarterback when he first became a coach, uh, when they sort of by accident invented this, or part of this offense. Uh, there was a, a, a play where Jed was supposed to hand the ball off. He didn't feel like there was a good mesh between he and the running back. He just sort of took a step with the running back and then said, what the heck, I'll just hold on to it. But he saw there was a, uh, a an end, you know, crashing down about to smash the in practice on the, the running back. Anyway, so he just pulls it out, takes up up takes up, up you know, up the field through a hole and Rodriguez runs over, blowing a whistle, stops and it's like, Jay, what's just do there? You know, and uh, that's, <laughs> I mean I'm not keep asking about it if you don't believe me. Um and essentially he goes back that night, like starts doing you know, coach Sox, stays up till probably like four o'clock in the morning is whatever it is. And it's like figured out, okay, well, we block it this way and we do this and that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and so that's the birth of this, this, the sunny extent of this offense. For those who aren't familiar with the offense that you guys ran, what are the things you were asked to do and what were some of your, your staple plays in, say, let's say I'll give you three situations. Uh, like a third and long, like, say, third and eight. Um, short yardage goal line and if you needed, you know, a – uh, you know, sort of a sort of desperation. You need, you know, big yardage, like almost like a not quite hail mary, but you know, time's running out. You've got three plays. You got to go, you know, 85 yards. Uh, so what about sort of three, sort of a third date, got to have it situation, short yardage goal line, and then sort of a you know what we'll call a bomb kind of play where you you try to get a, a deep strike. Uh, what are some of the plays that you guys run in those situations? And how are they set up? What is your when someone says this is a quote unquote spread offense? That doesn't mean anything to me because what Baylor does is very different from what you do and what they do at Hawaii. I mean, there's, there's very different things going on in these offenses. Talk about your yeah. offense and what, what, guys, what you guys do and how you do it. Uh, well, what we do is try to just, you know, expose defenses. You know, if they run a steel front or, you know, it's got three down linemen and those two stand-up DNs, then uh, we're going to look to run the ball. We're going to look to, you know, pull our line in, try to, you know, get them to bait, and we're going to run that uh, read option. So a uh, quarterback can pretty much have a 
three-way go. He can either hand the ball off, he can run himself, or he can pull it and throw. So um, it really depends on what defenses you run. Like, say, for instance, third and eight, um, that's why we're probably going to do a six-man protection, you know, keep the back end, make sure the quarterback has as much time as needed to get that ball out. Um, short down, we're probably going to, you know, stick with our bread and butter, and that's uh, run the ball. Uh, read option, you know, give that quarterback, you know, if, if the end's crashing, you know, pull it. If he's kind of standing there, then just hand it off. And if he's in between, just pull and throw. So um, that's how I, I would like with our offense and uh, just really learning it and getting to know, uh, like, really why we really run this play. Is it, you know, it just showed how much, you know, these coaches have been doing it for so long and, they're pretty much geniuses at it now, you know. If you just listen and learn and know why, you know, we're running these things, and uh, it should be clicking. Okay. So, third and eight got to have it. What's a play call you guys tend to go to in that situation? Third and eight got to have it. You know, this is we need this drive. We need the – we're trying to kill the clock. It's a quote-unquote four-minute offense situation. Um, and obviously you're a hurry-up team, but even hurry-up teams at some point need to – put together drives and finish off games. Third eight, got to have it. You want to finish this game off with the ball in your hands and not have to, you know, kick the ball back to the other team. Uh, third and eight, got to have it. Um, it's like a two-minute drill. You know, we're going to try to run some routes to the sideline, maybe some uh, outs or some corners, uh, which we have a lot in that playbook. I don't really want to say, like, the names of it. <laughs> but Okay, uh, you don't have to say any names, but – just give us the concept. He said, who's running the outs and who's running the corners if it's a corner-out combination? Uh, let's see. Probably run to um, the slots are going to run the out routes, and we'll probably have the out, outside guys run some creases or maybe some goes. And uh, if nobody's blitzing, then uh, those quarter, even the running back can sneak out and hitch up for like a little, um, like, quarterback gets in trouble, he can just dump it off to the running back. Okay. Do you guys have any of those sort of wheel post dig uh, combos where the running back gets to run a wheel? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a few of those routes. Um, we kind of got Oregon with them. <laughs> um, yeah, the outside guy will kind of dig in, try to bite the, bait the corner into coming in with them. Uh, the slot would just drag across the field to, you know, pull the linebackers and whoever the linebackers left, usually the will, uh, if he, he gets lost with the other routes in the running back can sneak and, uh, will up the sideline. Okay. Uh, short yardage goal line. You know, it's a yard and a half, touchdown, it's right over there. What, what, what do you guys tend to do? Obviously, people have a tendency to assume that spread means you know, finesse, but obviously in your offense. Read option. Read option worked a lot from what I saw, but. Um. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So tell well, us what, about what, that. What Set it up um, Yeah, go line, definitely running belly. Um, again, give that quarterback the option to either pull and throw or just hand it off. Um, if they stop that, I mean, we can even bring in two backs and, and um, run a little zone, have an extra guy blocking. So, I mean, again, it depends on what defense they're in. 
you know, usually nobody runs run around the straight goal line and stack the middle where we can just, you know, have the ball off and have the running back bounce. So, but my first choice would be just go with belly. Okay. Classic belly. That's been around forever. That's been around, you know, back in my day we ran that. So, yeah, <laughs> it's good to hear that belly's still out there. Hold it yeah, down and short yards go live. Yeah, and this belly uh, out the shotgun, it's, it's not going to be under center. So well, of course not. That. Why would you do yeah. that? <laughs> it's a short yard go live situation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have a little bit of traditional still inside me. I still, I still get a little cycle. Touchdowns a yard and a half. Why? Why? Are you? Oh well, whatever. You know, these kids today. Um, so, so uh, last situation. You know that sort of bomb situation. You guys need. You just go for verts or what's the? If you hey, you got to have a big play. It's one of those days. You got, you know, you got one timeout. You got 48 seconds. You got to go 85 yards. You're trying to get big chunks. What do you guys tend to do in those situations? Uh, we're going to try to, you know, take as many chunk of yards out as we can. Uh, I'm not going to go all four virtual all receivers. Maybe I'll go with, you know, two or three and have one just run a deep out or or a deep uh, comeback to the sideline so he can catch the ball and get out quickly. Um, and since it's end-of-the-game situation, they won't be bringing that many uh, defenders, maybe three, so the linemen should be able to handle that I can get an extra guy running route and send the running back out. Or in in our case, um, we can even take the running back out and throw in an extra receiver and have five receivers. So I wouldn't have everybody run four verts, maybe just two or three, and then I have some guys do deep deep comebacks or deep out routes and just try to take as much chunks off as we can before the clock runs down, and then we got to throw the Hail Mary. Okay. Got it. Uh, any other questions you might have for James? I mean, if James, you might have for uh, Terry. Oh. Uh, hmm. Uh, I, guess, I guess my last question would be, uh, I know you talked a little bit about um, some of the running backs you admire, at, at, you know, Matt Forte, but uh, who, in terms of what you've been working on to get better uh, from from last year and this year especially, what are some of the stuff that you're working on uh, to get better as a running back? Like, what are some things that you um, view as uh, weaknesses or just things that you kind of want to improve upon um, as you get ready to go into the NFL? Uh, first thing I've been working on is my footwork, you know, um, they, I'm jump roping every day. I'm doing ladder drills. Um, second thing is probably my endurance. Um, running that no huddle offense, you know, you got get tired pretty quickly. So, <laughs> so endurance and uh, and then just you know, stamina things. And uh, third thing is just getting stronger. Um, I'm going. I know I'll probably be undersized, and so just getting stronger in the legs and mostly upper body um, is going to be key. And those are three things I've really been working on the most, just footwork, stamina, and strength. Okay. Okay. 
So, Sarah, we've talked a little bit about some of the things you're likely to do. And one of the things that I'm just going to go out on a limb and ask that scouts are going to ask about is the return game, punt and kickoff return. Uh, what kind of experience do you have as a special teams guy, and and what's your approach to special teams? Uh, I had fun playing special teams. I loved it. I played that my redshirt junior year. Um, I did pretty good in the, in the punt and kickoff coverage. Um, I haven't returned any kicks <laughs> since high school, but I know I can do it. Um, and just, you know, just playing special teams is – I think that would help me since I didn't, uh, from due to injuries, I didn't really have that much film my senior year. But uh, I played a few games and just having those that special teams look and showing uh, I could run down there and make some tackles, I think will you know, open some doors for me, hopefully. Okay. Got it. And I'll just open it one last time to James. Do you have a follow-up question for Tara? Uh, what was that? I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm saying I was saying I was asking if James had any follow-up questions for you. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, that's you know that's fine. All I can really say is uh, you know best of luck uh, going forward. And uh, hey, you know I understand it's a really deep running back class, but everybody needs a little a little guy that can do some pass pro and you know they could do stuff like that. So in fact, I mean again. Uh, it's come to the point where there's some offenses now where your job is the pass pro guy. So you're, you can make your entire living on being the pass protection guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you don't even have to run well. You don't have to catch the football. I mean, well, yeah, you catch football a little bit. You can catch football kind of, you know, well. But, uh, you know, just if you can get pass pro down and that sort of stuff, then uh, there's lots of teams that uh, – you know, would really uh, like a guy like you, especially as a backup guy. You know, if you got to start those down, then you know, got to block. There you go. Yeah. And uh, especially in the league, you know, pass protection is going to be key. And I know they look uh, look for guys who can do that well. So that's why I've been working on getting my strength better and my footwork to, you know, go and get these big guys in the trenches. And hopefully I'll get a shot. Well, your pro day is in two weeks. When's your pro day again, uh, Terrence? It's uh, March March tenth. Yeah. Okay. Two weeks. That's, that's about two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Thought thought that was right. And have you heard anything uh, from scouts or from people who've been asking for your tape or things like that about what things they think about you or what they're looking for from you? No, I haven't gotten in, into any teams uh, lately. I know my agent is handling that, and I know he's going to do a good job to get my film out and really just show uh, what I can do. But uh, right now my focus is to just, you know, buckle down and get ready for pro day. Okay. Okay. Got it. So my often emulated, never imitated final question. <laughs> so Terrence, Terrence jones Grigby. Uh you are a versatile player. You can be used a couple of different ways. You have good hands. Despite the fact you're not exactly a giant of a guy, you do hold up fairly <laughs> well in, in, in blitz pickup. Uh, I've seen guys much bigger than you struggle with blitz pickup, in fact, and 
actually one of the strengths of your game, even though you're not 225 pounds, you know where to go. That's the first thing. It's going to the right, right, no matter how big you are, if you're going in the wrong direction or not taking the right angle, you're going to be bad at blitz pickup. You, you know where to go. You know who you're supposed to block, and you get to that person. And even if you don't, you know, blow them apart, you don't knock all their uniforms, you don't blast the helmet off necessarily, but you get to the guy. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to take the guy apart necessarily to, yeah. to execute your assignment. Every once in a while, you might want to blow a guy up just so he'll be a little more tentative next time, you know, just to, <laughs> you know, so you can stand over him and flex a little bit, ah, you know, you can do a little bit of that. But <laughs> as long as I get the job done. But that's what matters, right. It's, you know, it's not, it's not about showing off all that time you put in the weight room. You just want to make sure you, you keep your quarterback clean. You do a pretty good job with that. So now you're taking that step to the next level. And yes, you'll need to be bigger and faster and all whatever the errors that you can think of, you'll need to be all of them more of everything. But I think you have that in you. I think you have that in you. And I think you have an opportunity to to do great things. Uh, but I think at first, you. like so many young, but I think like most young guys in the league, get used to special teams. <laughs> that's, that's where you're spending <laughs> most of your time as a young player. Um, if you can be a terrific special teams player, if you can be a, a guy that they can rely on and a guy that people know, is, like you said, get the job done. It's a term. Uh, especially if you can do, if you can be on multiple units, right? If you can be on return and coverage units for both punt and kickoff, if you can be a guy that, you know, can uh, be on PAT block and, you know, if you can be on all the special teams, especially. Yeah. <laughs> If you can do that, you'll be a guy that the best in social fight for because those last sets of cuts, I'm sure your brother Nick told you are ruthless. Guys who can flat out ball get cut in the NFL. Guys who are very good, not borderline, guys who can play, but there's no room. There's somebody who can do what they can do and something else. You know, that person can do this, what they can do and the something else, that person gets to stay. But guys who can play and can play at a high level, get cut every year. Really good guys. Some very good players get cut. Cameron Wake got cut a couple times, right? Yeah. <laughs> one, of best, one of the best players in the, in the league in his position now. Got cut a couple of times. Had to go up north before he, he got a chance to come back and play in the league. So it's ruthless. It's bloodthirsty. It's every man for himself. Um, nobody... <laughs> Right, right. And nobody gives you a job. You took that job. You pulled it out of the, the grasping, desperate fingers of another man who was trying to keep that job to feed his family, right? That's, it's that cutthroat. I hate to put it that way, but that's the NFL. Yeah. And you play a position that people are starting to almost devalue a little bit. Like, well, you know, running backs. You can find running backs in any place. I tripped over four running backs my way to the store. Uh there's this tendency to devalue, which is completely different from when I first started following the game in the early 70s. Every good team had a great running back. Every good team had a great running back. You couldn't win the Super Bowl without a great running back in the time that I, I mean, you had Larry Zonka. You had O.J. Well, he just never I mean, got to the Super Bowl, but still, he was everything for, for Buffalo. <laughs> that was it. That was, I'm not kidding when I say that. He was it. I mean, my friend James does market share stuff. I wanted to look at someday at the market share stuff on, like, 72 to 76 with, um, with O.J. Simpson. 
And <laughs> I, when I say OJ was their offense, James, he does his little basketball analysis. Like, well, see, I'm not kidding. He was probably close to probably the top three or four in the history of the game in terms of a single player on offense. I mean, he touched the ball a lot. But now the game is <laughs> right? It's a passing league and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, things have changed. But for versatile players, for matchup problems, for guys who can do a lot of different things and can be used different ways, there's always going to be a place for you, specifically if you can play special teams. But you get a chance because of that, because you can do a lot of different things, you pick up things quickly, you show people that you don't have to be told how to do something four different times, four different ways. You hear it once, you got it. That's huge. Because people always say, you go to the NFL, you get NFL coaching. Yeah, you get NFL coaching, but everything moves really quickly. There's not a lot of time for them to go back and correct things. If you're not a first-round or second-round draft pick, if you're not picking up something pretty quickly, they're going to just pull you out of the line and, you know, hey, you, you know, point to the next guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that. <laughs> you know, some guys who got drafted in the third and fourth round this year, coming up year, will get cut. Just like guys who got drafted in the third and fourth round last year. Get first and second round, you're usually safe. Usually, unless you really stink it up. But that doesn't happen very often. Uh, but generally, you're, you know, first two rounds. Third round, you're still usually pretty safe, but that you really, you know, once again, you're not picking it up. But third and fourth rounders get a cut occasionally. And obviously, anything after that gets cut with regularity. And, you know, so, yeah, it's, I mean, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> you'll see what I mean. Yeah. And like I said, <laughs> so being able to say yes when a coach asks if you know how to do something, that's, people talk about, you know, one of the most important things. The yes ability is one of the most important things that you'll ever have. Yes, oh, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Return kick, yes. Puck, yes. I can cover, yeah, I can cover fence. Yeah, I can cover kick. Yeah, I can do that. Pump protection, yeah, I can do personal protection with cut punters. I mean, just it's the more things you say yes that you can do, I can line up in the slot, sure. Yeah, yeah, we're going out there now. The more times you say yes when they ask if you can do something, that's how you survive that last brutal round of cuts. Because the first couple of cuts are, I won't say they're easy, but, I mean, everybody can play in the NFL. But yeah. it's not as hard, those first, first few cuts. But you get to that last cut down to 53, man. Great That's players get cut. Great <laughs> players get cut. I mean, I could say that I, without thinking hard, I could name 20 guys who've made Pro Bowls who got cut at least once in their NFL career without thinking hard. <laughs> without thinking, I'm not kidding. Without thinking hard, you know. Yeah. Rich Gannon got cut once. I mean, there's a long list of guys. He was a, he became an MVP. He became an MVP, right? He was a league MVP. He got cut. <laughs> you know. So just so you understand, it, it can be about it. Anybody can get cut. There's no irreplaceable player in the league. Peyton Manning could get cut. I mean, it sounds funny to say it, but it could happen. It could happen to anybody. It could happen to anybody. All it takes is some other guy looking like he can do it as well or better than you, and if he can do it as well or better than you and cheaper than you, bye. <laughs> Send you on your way. I hate to say it, but it's true. It's tough. So that being able to be a really terrific special teams player, that's the ticket, man. That's and that gives you that buys you the time to show people what you are as a running back. And especially with the like I said, the sense that running backs I mean, hopefully that'll start to turn back around where people begin to really value running backs fairly again. 
because running backs are still, in my mind, extremely important players. But there is this narrative, I think it's a real idea, that running back, he was fine. He was fine running back. Oh, yeah, there's running backs everywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just opened up. Oh, look at here. Right underneath the sink. Running back. <laughs> so the thing now is to be a, a guy who can do different things. Like I mentioned like McCluster or whoever, whoever you want to mention. Guys who can line up in the backfield and line up over here, line up in the slot, line up out wide, and return kicks. And like, you know, like I said, four, five, six, seven things you can say yes to. And I think you're going to be that kind of guy and you're going to stick around. Maybe not on the first team that brings you in, maybe the second team, maybe the third team. Finally says, oh, yeah, you know, we, can, we can use this cat. And so you finally find a home in a league stick. And it's a fight, you know. <laughs> Just so you know, it's going to be a fight. You're going to yeah, fight for your gonna, job. It's going to be a battle for that. <laughs> right. You're going to fight for that job consistently. Like, some guys think, oh, I made it. No, they're going to bring in dudes during the season to replace you, just so you know. You know, that's, they're going to say, we like this kid, but, you know, he's a little undersized. Hey, you know, so-and-so just released blah, blah, blah. Oh, let's bring him in. Let him fight for the job, right? That's going to happen. You know, you can't relax. You know, you can't. I wish I could say, yeah, you made it. Woo! You know, no. Oh, no. If you're 52nd or 53rd guy on a 53-man roster, they're going to look to see if there's somebody else better than you. So you're going to be fighting all through that first season, but I think you're going to fend off all those challenges, and, and you're going to make it. And then going into your second year, you're going to see some actual time at running back. Hey, hey your actual position. <laughs> right? Get some, get some third down back reps. Actually shows people, hey, hey wow, this, hey, look at this. Hey, hey, that little dude just blocked a little linebacker. Look at him go, right? That's, you know, <laughs> coaches, the running back coach is high five with the offensive coordinator. I told you that kid could play. All right. Okay, well, let's, okay. Yeah, it showed me something. Now, let's have him another rep, see if that was a fluke, right? Because that's how coaches are. Well, he did it once. Let's see if you can do it again. Then once they, <laughs> begin to warm up to you. They said, to see, okay, you might have something here. So you get a chance to play a little bit, actually get some snaps, you know, at running back, no less. So that by the time you get to that third season, you're in the mix. You're fighting for that to be the, you know, basically the guy who gets by the second highest number of snaps at running back on the team. You know, you're pushing people. You're making some noise. Guys are eyeing you suspiciously. He's not a special teams guy anymore. He's in our running back meeting. What are they doing here? After one of our jobs. Uh-oh. But you get all that work, all those punts you caught all the summer, all those drills you did, all that explosion work you did, all those plyometrics, all that, all that stuff. Finally, it's paying off. All those balls you caught, finally paying off. And by the end of that third season, you are a guy who's getting 10 to 14 snaps per game. Uh, not snaps, I mean 10 to 14 touches per game between catching the ball out of the backfield and runs and, you know, still occasionally returning a punt every now and again. But mostly you're a running back now. And so now your life has changed. You know, you move past that rookie deal, you get to that second contract. Where? Your life is different. Things really happen now. You get that second contract, and now it's not scraping by. It's not living with, you know, another dude or two. Now you can live <laughs> on your own. You can, right. I mean, it's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that rookie deal. Don't get me wrong. I mean, hey, there are people who would <laughs> swap with you in an eye blink. 
That's, you, you know how many guys want to be in the league. There's, I could yeah. find 10,000 guys who would swap, swap with you in an eye blink. Even to be the 53rd man on a 53rd man roster, to be on the practice squad, I could find thousands of dudes who would swap with you in a blink of an eye. But you get to that second deal, and now you're established, you're a veteran, you're in the league, and you're a known quantity. Coaches ask you to show rookies things, right, as opposed to you being the young cat. Now you're, you know, running backs don't get to be but so old, unfortunately, Terrence. So by 25, 26, <laughs> you know, I hate to put it this way, but you're like the older cat by 26 or so in the league if you're a running back. You know, by about 29, they're pushing you out the door, fairly, yeah. fairly or unfairly. <laughs> fairly or unfairly. I'm sure people would have this conversation with you. It's like, save your money. Invest. You know, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but you know, you better know what you're going to do after football because people start to, you know, check the expiration date on running backs kind of early nowadays. Yes, you always got you, don't see too many, you don't see too many Jerome Bettis type careers nowadays. Fifteen years, you don't see that very often. That's the exception. That's the, I mean, people are talking about Adrian Peterson, wondering if he still has it. Adrian Peterson. Right? They're asking if he still has Adrian Peterson. Such a tough guy. People ask if Adrian Peterson still has it. Really? Yeah, that's crazy. Right? So if people are questioning Adrian Peterson because of some number that he's turning, you know, that tells you what people think of running backs as a whole. If you can look at a guy who's essentially had a Hall of Fame career, really on his way to a Hall of Fame career, and say, well, you know, he's missed a year. Yo, he's getting older, blah, blah, blah. Man, when he gets back on the field, I feel sorry for the fools that have to try to tackle him when he comes <laughs> back out there. He's got something for them. Oh, I'm old. Oh, I've lost something. Oh, okay. Yeah, bet. It's a big boy you got to tackle. It's just, it's just, look, this elite is elite. Like, there are people who are special and different. And I think people are putting too much stock in the age thing and the missed a year thing. In a, in a weird way, not that anyone should miss a year of the time of their career, but he's going to be healthier, healthy really fully for the first time in, I don't know, high, since high school probably in a long, long time. I mean, the guy we've been seeing has been a guy that's been usually, you know, beat up because he, he gets the rock like very few guys do nowadays. He's a throwback running back. You know, when I was coming up, every team had some, almost every team had a running back like that. Not that good, but a guy that got that many touches. Now we're in a league where you know, a shared responsibility running back community, I think is what we could describe it as. Hey, I got my eight touches. Well, I got seven. I got 14. Um, you know, so you don't see one guy getting 25 to 30 touches hardly ever. Well, except for a couple of guys. There's like a handful of guys. So Marco Murray, you know, Adrian Pearson, when he's out there, I mean, it's a handful of guys, three, four guys, really, that get that 25 to 30 carry workload anymore. That's that's almost dead in the league. So, and frankly, you're not viewed as that guy. You're not viewed as a guy who's going to get 25 touches. That's just, you know that probably already. I'm not telling you anything new. Yeah. But, but the good news, really the good news, is that that shared responsibility thing means that there is a role for guys like you. And I think you're going to fill that role well. And so I see you in that year three sort of breaking out, people discovering you. You've been there for three years, but you know how it is. Now they're discovering you. Hey, you're you're going in the middle rounds of people's fantasy drafts. You know that kind of thing. You're you're uh you're uh 
you know, you're, you're, you're scoring a couple different ways, you're catching balls out of the back, you're doing the thing, right? You're doing the thing, you're there. And so, you know, you come back to Arizona, there's a Terrace Jones Grigsby Day, you know, get honored, it's a jersey framed, all that good stuff. You know, you're an honorary team captain, you talk to the guys about what it was like, at Arizona Pride. And they want to show some of the stuff on the, you know, on the Jumbotron, some stuff about you. What would you want playing up there on Terrace Joe's Grigsby Day? What would you want people to see that explains what you brought to the table, what kind of player you were in your time at Arizona? Uh, I'll just show them. I just want them to show how, you know, the grind and what I went through, you know, being a walk-on and, you know, being in Arizona for five years with playing for two and, you know, just showing how, like you said, cutthroat the NFL is and how, you know, I survived the cuts by, you know, saying, being the yes man, you know, yes, I can run down and make a tackle and, yes, I can, you know, potentially block a kick and just showing, you know, hard work pays off and that's how I like to be rem- remembered as, you know, that guy who has that passion for the game and just works hard. So not some spectacular touchdown where you juke seven guys, not uh, not some. So you, you want to do? So you'd be like you'd be like a uh, like a training montage, like Rocky, like you you know dragging a truck and you know catching catching four balls. You know, like where you like some part where you do, you got like three balls under an arm and you catch another one. Uh, and stuff. You catch like five. Uh, yeah, I would. I wouldn't want to be remembered as a, a guy who, you know, scored that big touchdown. But, you know, I just want to show people, you know, just, you know, I got a story behind, you know, why I love this game and, you know, why I continue to just strive for, you know, not for myself, but, you know, for my family and, you know, for the guys I play against or guys I play with. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Got it. Well, let me first of all say, it has been a pleasure getting to know you. I, I uh, Like I said, I've, I've had a chance to watch, well, several members, obviously, of your family develop as players and, uh, and you know, do, do good things, right? Uh, I still believe that at some point your brother will fight his way back down to the low 48 and, and be in the league. I, I certainly believe that you have... Uh, and you have an opportunity. It would be great if you guys could be in the league at the same time. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. That would be, kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty awesome. You know, so definitely tell your brother I said hello. Um, so if people wanted to sort of keep up with your story and follow you and know what you're doing, how would people keep up with you? What do you uh, how would people find out more information about you, uh, Tara? Uh, well, I recently... Just um, you know, got into <laughs> got into the social media world, so I have a Twitter now. Uh, yeah, looking for followers. <laughs> so, uh, well, what's your Twitter handle, sir? Uh, just type in Tara Jones Grisby. I got a Jones uh, Jones Grisby. I kept it simple. <laughs> okay, not that's fine. That's fine. Um. And are you one of those guys that's going to have, like, a clothing line, a fragrance? I mean, what else do you look for coming from you? 
uh, I don't know about a clothing line or fragrance or anything, but uh, um, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm just taking it one step at a time. Okay, so you're you're pretty much all football right now. You're not working on your fall line. You're not. Yeah, man. I'm working. I'm working on trying to try to make some eyes pop at this pro day. Okay. Well, what I'm going to ask as a favor uh, of you and, of course, of, of Mr. Brian Simicata is to have some information regarding uh, your pro day, how it plays out, uh, you know, what teams might have been there, your obviously your performance, and things like that. Okay. So I look forward to that. And I'll be passing along some follow-up questions for a profile uh, for a series of articles I'm writing about. I have uh, two sets of things. I have my under all underappreciated team, and I have what's called my blue light specials, uh, highlighting players that I think people have maybe not given uh, full amount of attention that they deserve. <laughs> and you want people on, on one of those lists. So uh, I'll be sending a, a set of email questions to Mr. Simicato, which will pass along to you. I want to wish okay. you the very best. I want to wish you the very best of luck. You have. Well, first of all, really good attitude. I'm sure you've been told that before. I can tell you're one of those guys that coaches don't have a minute's worth of trouble. I mean, maybe it's because of your, your, your walk-on background. I, too, was a walk-on. But the difference is that you eventually, you know, got to make an impact as a, as a player. I was you know, pretty, <laughs> much a, pretty much a tackling dummy slash special teams guy. I, you know, never got yeah. to about fourth, fourth or fifth on the depth chart as a, at any position, but I, I did a lot of special teams. The, uh, <laughs> hey. Yeah, that's the life I chose. But I, I very much enjoy watching. Like I said, I, I remember watching the first time I saw it, be honest. First time I saw it, I was like, wait, I thought, I thought Gracie had graduated. I was like checking my nose, like, oh, 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 it's a different one. Oh, it's the other one. <laughs> it took me a second. Like, wait, hold on. Is that why you slapped the Jones in there to help to clear up the confusion? <laughs> or what was the story with that? Because I noticed you're the only one that's got the Jones grid. Yeah, uh, well, Grigsby is uh, from my mom's side. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they. I am the only one with a different father. It's three. It's my three brothers and sister, and then uh, okay. and then my and then my dad is the one who has Jones. But uh, I've been going through some changes to add Grigsby to my name, and I decided to give it a go my senior year. Okay, well that makes sense actually. Yes, I'll be honest. I thought it was like sort of like with that Maurice Jones Drew thing. I thought like originally it was like Jones Grigsby. Wait, first of all, I don't think Grigsby is graduated. Second of all, is he trying to do the MGD, MJ, uh, you know, Jeep? It's like, oh, is he slightly, you know, so now, now I realize, wait, it's like a terrorist. Oh, different dude. But it took me a second. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It took a second to realize uh, because if you, if you aren't paying very close attention, you have very similar running styles. Yeah, uh, I've, yeah, I've been told. I'm sure you have. I'm sure someone's mentioned <laughs> that to you. Uh, but I very much, like I said, have enjoyed uh, getting a chance to know you. You have, you know, a really willing, a great and willing personality. You clearly, like I said, coaches are going to, you always have the coaches are going to enjoy working with. You have a, a terrific attitude about, about what this is. I think, you, once again, maybe it's because you start with the walk-on, you know that nothing's pra- promised. You know that you know, any at any moment it could all be taken from you. And I think yeah. some guys don't don't realize that. I think some guys don't realize how how much of a 
how much of a special thing this is. Football's over fast for for pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and very soon. Yeah, and you play running back. I mean, you know, like I said, I hate to keep driving that point home, but you know, running backs are, you know, hey, you you know, you play running back, you you never know. Uh, I do hope <laughs> you have a log and probably you have I'm just. Sadly, it's the truth. But you, I hope you have a very long and successful career. And like I said, your versatility to me is what gives you the, a really good chance. It's, you know, I've talked to Brian recently about, do you like that a few guys who can do different things? That's always a good thing. Guys can play a couple different positions because, like I said, it gets tight. <laughs> it gets tight. Those last, whew, well, you, you know, we'll talk. We'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> if, you know, like I said, if you, if you, um, uh, when you get the questions, I I look forward to getting your responses. I have a few more things. Some some of them even non-football questions. But, you know, obviously more of them football than not. I, I look forward to getting those answers. And like I said, finishing up my uh, my profile of you. It has been very much a pleasure, very much an honor, very much a privilege to get a chance to know you a little bit. Uh, thank you, and uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Well, thank you, thank you, Terrace. Ladies and gentlemen, Terrace. Jones Grigby. Are you the last one? Or are you the? Let's make sure if there's any others coming. Are you the last of the, uh, of the line? I I am the I am the youngest, but uh, my brothers and sisters have all had children, so there's going to be a bunch of more Grigbys running around here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we will get a little break, and then there'll be some more in the future. <laughs> yep. Okay. Just give us a little while. <laughs> I, I I will do that. Well, it, like I said, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I know that I will enjoy, you know, whatever that next generation provides as well. Thank you once again. Um, and, and Brian Simicata, thank you as well for helping to put this together. I am never, ever disappointed with the, with the athletes that you bring forward. They, in addition to being really terrific athletes, are universally good people to talk to and interesting people to learn from. Yeah, they Always are. My maybe they, yeah. Well, thank, thank you both, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Uh, so, thank you, Brian, guys. once again, a pleasure, and Terrace. And, of course, earlier we have Brandon Hill, who is just beginning to scratch the surface. That's, there's a lot of exciting, you know, a lot of exciting stuff going on. But uh, Brandon is a guy, I mean, we, I'm really excited to see what happens with him because not to say he didn't have some tape, obviously, at Mississippi State, but there was just, you couldn't get a sense of exactly what he is, partially because he's, playing, you know, sort of out of position, and partially because of youth. I mean, he wasn't a guy that he got a chance to really focus on because of the way their offense is run. With him probably jumping back over to defense and, and getting a chance to be, you know, sort of what he probably could have been. I mean, it'll be, I don't know. We'll all see together. We'll all find it together exactly what he is. So that'll be, that'll be great also. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank, thank you, um, Brian. Brandon, it was great having him on earlier, and thank you, Tara. Thank you, guys. Certainly. You have a great day, and like I said, look for um, some questions from me via email later. Okay, I'll be looking forward to that. Certainly. James, I am never disappointed. Um, I may have had some guys on in the past who uh, turned out not to be able to to actually carve out an NFL future, which is, you know, like I said, super hard just because like, it's the numbers. I mean, there's all the guys who are in the league can play, and there's a bunch of other guys who can play trying to get in. But I've never been disappointed in the, just, the human being. Uh, not to put a damper or anything, but 
you know, only 6% of all the running backs that have entered the draft since 1989, actually, uh, ended up having 10,000-yard careers. So yes, right. that's, that's very little. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Very small, very little group of people. Um, and, uh, yeah, and whenever you have a guy that can, you know, around for 10 years and you go what this guy right you know like this guy he wasn't really a starter but stayed on the team for 10 years as a backup role player type guy I mean that's a little bit more impressive you know in a certain extent than a lot of other situations uh, just because having to deal with new people every single year and you know there's always somebody that's going to replace you and you have to get the fight you know Yes, that's what you do. It's it's a fight. Uh, And like I said, I think what gives Terrace a definite definite chance in that that fight is that he has a a good sense of how hard it is. Like I said, I think some of that comes from, like I said, the backup, the uh, the backup. He was a backup also, but having the um, walk-on mentality that they're going to bring in these guys on scholarship, right? And those guys are going to get the first shot. But I've got to do, you know, keep you know the fight. You've got to have that fight, and you even just make it up off of the the bottom, which is where you always are as a walk-on, and to make it from off of that bottom up to before you even get seen by a coach. I mean, the coaches can't even notice you at first. There's no unless you're like I said, unless you're a guy that. Uh, you know, has some sort of, like they know you already, you know. You, you know, your right. coaches or friends with, you know, family member or it's friends. Like, but it's a business. I mean, you know. Right. It is. I it is really. so-and-so coach went to my bar mitzvah or my wedding or whatever, uh, said so-and-so player, so I'll check them out. Um you know, um, and and that's and that's the funny thing about people talking about metrics and stuff like that is, even with metrics, you're, you're still gonna have to deal with, uh, you know, relationship stuff that is gonna get in the way of, of right. that. So, you know, it's not as easy as you know, it's not as easy as well. They hit these numbers, so he's a starter. Oh no, they have to like win the job and deal with. Coaches that are like, I don't like him. Like, yeah, but his numbers are really good. I don't like him. I like this other guy. You know, so you know, you're gonna have uh, uh, you know those types of battles. But yeah, I mean, and you have to get above that. So um, you have to be, you have to get into the inner circle when you're not in the inner circle, which is the toughest thing to do. Um, honestly, is to. Uh, is to make yourself indispensable when you were dispensable about a, a you know a couple months ago. <laughs> yes, right. I mean, there's there's no such thing as a player who can't be cut. Uh, there are players who are less likely to be cut. But, but Donald Dockett just got cut. Got yeah. Four points. Yeah. You know, yep. I mean, that's a guy that obviously can still play. Yep. Feature Raider possibly. So that proves it's it's tough. Yep. 
Because, I mean, he had injuries, and so I, I can kind of understand them because, you know, they had torn ACL and, uh, you know, but I don't know. They're going in a different direction, so. Yep. And like I said, it happens, you know, every year, every off season, every, I mean, it happens. It always happens. Guys have to find a way to survive the, you know, the reaper as he comes around. Um, so, hey, did, guys, did I miss uh, Grizzly? He was just on, right? Oh, you just did. Yeah, yeah I heard God. him. Oh, you did? Uh, Pat, okay. 12, Pat 12 guy, yeah, yeah. I heard him. I heard some of them at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, had, like, his other siblings had brothers and sisters and stuff. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> oh, okay. He heard the chili. Um Well, he's been compared to guys like, you know, all the woodhead sprawl, you know, you know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. All the, the clusters, all the little little dudes, basically. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, I've seen some, had some good games on um, Arizona. Yeah, I mean, obviously I've watched a lot of Arizona. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Those, those guys like that, man, like, I root for them, man. They can't look at any of the percentages. <laughs> He's got to go play. Like, you know, that's how it is. They just got to go fight. You know, odds are stacked, stacked, like, way against them. They're, like, third, you know, valued pretty much in my eyes. But I love when those guys make a team. Right. Right. Uh, and 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 they – some of them – once again, Danny Wood has a good example. I mean, uh, size, uh, concerns about level of competition, the white uh, guy. Yeah. There you go, right? There you go. Or you can be, but I mean, because I know Grizzly was a backup behind Nick, um, Nick uh, Wilson. So, yeah, I mean, the backups in college, you know, they <laughs> they can get a shot too. Because I mean, situa- there's just all types of stuff that happens in college football, man. I know, Bill. We were talking about it last night about coaches just having their favorites or having you know different systems come in with coaching changes, and you're still on the team. You didn't transfer, so. It's just all types of situations that you can get lucked out on. So I have Tavares. I have located him. If you will give me a moment, I'm going to bring him on. Who, who is it, James? Oh, um, I believe it's Tavares. Tavares? Yep, I'm getting, I'm grabbing Tavares Stamler, so talk amongst oh. yourself. Oh, what's, oh. His last, what's his last name? Uh, Dantzler. Dantzler. Uh, what school? <laughs> I'm looking it up right now, actually. Oh, okay. We'll see. <laughs> From... Ah, I know this podcast is Beth, probably like... Bethlehem Cookson. Yeah. So oh, he... he I guess he goes to, yeah, Cookman, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I just thought, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Um, how long, the podcast has been on since like 10 in the morning, right? <laughs> uh, seven, so. Wait. Oh, seven your, seven your time. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. We talked about, I think we talked about the combine for a little per days. Uh, then we talked about, character stuff for a bit 
And then we interviewed about three people, I think, already. So this is like the yeah. Well, one of the guys was uh, he was only on for like four minutes because he had to go to work out. Oh well, yes. This is kind of a rough day to interview some people, I guess, because it's Saturday. But um, oh yeah, I guess not because we got some guys interviewed. (laughs) But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm late. Yeah, this podcast is probably about to be over, but I just yeah, I have, I have some stuff going on. Plus, I woke up late, so yeah. But um, actually, no, I'm actually I'm actually trying to get some guys on for for the next week's shows. I don't know what he has lined up. I have to call him like after the show or something. But um, I'm gonna try to get um a couple couple guys on that I talked to. Um, Chris Galippo. I don't know if you remember him back in the day. Oh, he linebacker. Yeah, he he does, uh, he does. Yeah, he does some training now. So him, um, he's helping out a few linebackers in this class, and he works out with, um, you know, a couple of Southern California guys. And then, um, gosh, who was it? Um, oh, uh, um, gosh, Jake Heaps. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know, actually. Part of the, you know, on NFL Draft Scout, you know, they have the hot, List and the not list. Um, yeah, Jake Heaps is on the not list. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> um, I actually was gonna try to get Jake on today because he was free. This, um, but it wouldn't be till tonight. So you know, I knew the show was right. But no, I mean okay. it's funny. Jake He's an He's he. You know, I mean, I know. Obviously, he's not gonna get drafted or anything. It's, he probably at best he'll get picked up. Uh, but he's he's. You know, I don't. You know, I I, I want to talk to him. That's all I got to say. I, I want to see what he's. I mean, he's had a long, interesting career. You know, yeah. but um, hopefully Bill will get him on next week. And we can talk to him. But he's cool. training, man. He's training with really elite level people too. That's the funny thing. Well, hey, there's nothing wrong with training with elite level people. Speaking oh, you're of, back. Of yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> is, is Montel with us as well? No, no, I guess not. That was double checking. Montel was, but he had to run. I have Tavares Sanzo with me. Tavares, you still with me? Yes, sir. Excellent. Uh, where are you training now, Tavares? I'm trained. I'm training down in Miami. Um, it's called World Class Speed with uh, Mr. Peterson. Ah. Well, I'm a little bit jealous of you. Uh, I am surrounded by snow and ice. Uh, Tavares, tell people a little bit about your journey, how you got introduced to the game of football, where uh, you first decided that football would be your main sport, and then about your high school career and your recruitment. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, I first got introduced in football, to football, by um, one of my old track coaches, uh, I was um I was one of the fastest ones on the track team, so um she asked me did I want to play football, so I convinced my mom to let me try out for the team and um it was history ever since. I grew to love the game and um as far as uh, my high school career I started off at uh South Bay High School for uh, my freshman and sophomore year. Then um, I transferred to Homestead Senior High School my junior and senior year. And what were the differences between your experiences with those two schools? 
uh, the experience um, as far as football, uh, I would have to say um, just the different styles, the, the, the just the different coaching schemes and the different coaching styles, uh, how they teach you the game. Um, I learned a lot from um, from both schools, and I just um, I try to take the good from both schools and just uh, emulate it to my game. That was the biggest thing. Okay. And then tell me a little bit about your, your recruitment process. Excuse me? Tell me about your recruitment process. Uh, how did that play out? How did you figure out, you know, where you thought you wanted to, you know, to play when you were making the transition? How did you decide where you wanted to continue your career once you started being recruited? Well, coming out of high school, I was a non-qualifier. So um, I had ended up going to um, North Carolina Tech. Uh, Preparatory Christian Academy is a prep school in uh, North Carolina. And from there, um, I drew the interest on uh, the attention of a lot of D1 and D1A schools. And um, what it came down to is um, with the sex of my daughter, um, I was having a, a child at the time, and I told myself if there was a girl, I would stay closer to home. Uh, if it was a boy, I was going to end up going to the University of Cincinnati. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it came down to the sex of my child, and it was a girl, and I felt like uh, Bethune-Cookman was a good fit. They preached the right thing as far as family, and that's something that I wanted to be around. So um, I sat down with my family, and we came up with the decision that uh, I'll be attending uh, Bethune-Cookman for the next four years. Okay, so just to make sure I understood you correctly, so if you had a girl, you would have gone to University of Cincinnati. No, the girl, the girl, she keep me closer to home. Oh, so yes. If it, if it was a boy, yeah, I would have, I would have, I would have took off because I feel oh. like both of these decisions was the correct decision. But um, at the end of the day, like I said, if it was a female, I wanted to be close to home. Okay. I will be honest with you. I've been doing this for many years. That is the first time I've heard someone indicate that their decision about where they would decide to play college football is based upon the gender of their child. That, that's a first. I don't have too many firsts in my career, but you just gave me one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to open it up to my co-host, uh, Donovan James and uh, Jim Copeland. What questions might you guys have for Tavares Stanford of the Finn-Cookman University? I'll go first, I guess. Uh, yes, sir. How's it going, Tavares? Donovan James here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, what have you done this off season to to you know get bigger and stronger and faster? Um, down there in Miami. What have you? Uh, what's what's some of the training you've done down there? Oh, uh, some of the training has been of uh, like a lot of heel work exercises, a lot of sleds, and a lot of feet work and change of direction drills. Just um, basically, just to increase my speed and working on um, playing playing the game of football with with a base, um, and uh, that's some of the things that um that I've been working on and just trying to, um, you know, just get down pack heading to the next level. Okay. Any follow up questions? Yeah, um, 
Let's see. Well, you. I don't know. If this is. I don't know. If this is right. But you did you you played against James Winston? Yes, sir. Um, I played against him my junior year. Um, um, when I was at Cookman, yeah, he's a pretty tough kid. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and you you played against it was a, it was a Duke Johnson, Lamar Miller too. If I'm reading this right. Yeah, Duke Johnson. Um, when he was at Miami, and uh, Lamar Miller, he was in my uh, the district in my high school district. So I played against him twice a year. Okay. Any other guys? You know, you're playing some top notch guys. I mean, <laughs> I know you're from. I mean, Florida. So that's what happens every day at Florida. So, but any other guys that you played against in high school or uh, you know practice or whatever? In case anything, college. Well, well, how- well, high school, it was pretty crazy because uh, I had a uh, – well, we had to face uh, Jamal Barry, and he was at Miami Palmetto. He ended up going to uh, Ohio State. Then the following week, we had Lamar Miller. Then the following week, we had Brandon Oliver, who was at San uh, Diego. <laughs> then the following week, we had Ja'Kari Gore. So it was it was pretty tough, man. Uh, so I played against a lot of um, – Good guys who you see on Saturdays and also Sundays. Well, I'm sure that's helped you out a lot in your career. I mean, like I said, that's life in Florida, especially South Florida. So <laughs> that's that's how it is. Yeah, it's pretty competitive down here, man. Oh yeah, arguably the best, man. <laughs> right. I think I think Bill would actually probably give you guys a nod. It's pretty crazy. I mean. <laughs> Southern Southern California obviously has some some really good talent in Texas, you know, has silly stuff going on. But it's how close together all the talent is in South Florida that's the thing that blows your mind. You can yeah. draw a circle of ten miles, like a ten mile circle, and find twenty five guys playing in the league who grew up in that area who are in the league at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's the main difference to me. <laughs> So when you get to Bethune, um, first of all, what was it about the, the staff or what was it about Bethune that made it stand out to you when you made your decision? Um, it was a new coaching staff. Um, I was a uh, part of Coach Brian Jenkins' first recruiting um, team or, or players. And um, it just once he sat in my living room and he spoke with my family, he was just saying some, some of the right things that, that got the attention of my mom and my grandmother, and he was just basically preaching that family, and he was just saying, uh, forget about me, I love you. And he was saying that he was going to be my, my father away from home, and and um, I was I, I was feeling what he was saying, and it felt like everything was just family-oriented, and, and that's what I'm used to. That's my home. That's what I'm used to coming. That's my background, I should say, back at home. So, um, I mean, he made it a pretty – pretty easy decision and far as football I was just like man if you if, if you if you have a talent man some somebody somewhere is gonna gonna take a look at you and you you will get your chance so just don't worry about the school just kind of your business once you get there. Okay. Uh any other follow up questions for you, Dom before I open it up to Jim Coburn. Um no, no. Go ahead, Jim. Okay. okay, Jim, what questions do you have for uh, Tavares?
Okay. Maybe I lost Jim. Okay, we just lost Jim. He'll, I'm sure he'll be back. Then I will I will jump in. I don't have to tell you that, of course, uh, Coach Jenkins has lately been dealing with a lot of controversy, a lot of questions about his you know, practices in terms of how hard he pushed guys, how hard he worked guys, and things he might have done when he was running the program there. For people who don't know Coach Jenkins personally, he is an old-school coach in a lot of ways. He comes off of the Greg Schiano coaching tree. What was he like as a coach, and what would you say to the people who think he might have abused you guys? Um, as a coach, he was um, – he's a real cocky coach. He's a real cocky coach, and he wears hard on his sleeve, and sometimes he may say something that uh, he, he, he really don't mean at that specific time. But, um, I mean – my my honest opinion, he's a very good coach, and he's going to give it to you all. And um, some people just can't, you know, can't handle the truth sometimes or the the harsh talking or I don't know. But uh, as far as me and and in my time at Bethune Cookman, he was a very honest and, and, and fair coach. So if you had a, a friend or a family member who was thinking about playing for him, you know, where he's coaching now, you would it sounds like you would still say yes. That's a guy you should go play for. Yes, I, definitely, definitely. Man, okay. just it's, it's not about the, the what they he say or she say or, or none of that stuff, man. Just sit down. And I, I think um, once you actually sit down and, and you talk to him and you fill him out, man, you will see what a guy is all about, man. And then he always used to just tell us, man, the game is more than just X's and O's. It's about, you know, changing a tire and, and going back to the community and being able to tie your tie once you leave there. Just just some of the manly things, man. It's, it's, I, I say I, I'll recommend it. I'll recommend any player to him. Okay. So, so it sounds like he's about building men as much as building athletes is what you're saying. Yes. Yes, sir. And he is a tough guy. I mean, there's no getting around it. He does say some things that you pointed out that some people don't like to hear. He's not afraid to get in the guy's face. He's not afraid to push guys to their limit and maybe even a little bit past it. And there was a time when that was expected. I mean, if you came along in the, you know, the 60s and 70s, you know, Bear Bryant, I mean, if they made a TV show about it with the Junction Boys. I mean, he first got to Texas A&M, he ran – 80% of the guys off the team with that first camp out in, in Texas. You know, of course, you can't do that stuff nowadays, but uh, and he was doing crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Uh, and the, yeah. the, world has, the world has changed. You just can't coach that way. Do you think there is still a place for guys like Coach Jenkins where people seem more sensitive now? Uh, I, I didn't catch the last uh, piece. Oh, of I was saying, do you think there's still a – Tavares, in your opinion, is there still a place? in the future for guys like Coach Jenkins with seemingly players and families and people being more sensitive nowadays. Do you think there's still a place for guys like your coach, like uh, Coach Jenkins? Yes, sir. I, I, I do. I mean, it's all type of coaches out there. It's dictator coaches. It's player coaches. It's, 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 it's all different kind of coaches and he have his own unique coaching and his own his own unique coaching style and um I mean either you either either you like it or you don't I mean some mm. people like it some people some people don't and um I mean like I said man it, it all depends on what you're looking for in a coach. 
Okay. Well, I like I said, I appreciate your your honesty about about the situation with with your coach, uh, Coach Jenkins. <laughs> is a guy that's to some extent uh, become, like I said, controversial recently. And I don't know him personally, but I know people who do know him, and I know people who, like you, have defended him and have said, you know, uh, that the guys who stick with stick with him and take his coaching will be better men and better players for it. And, yeah, I've run into some people who said that, you know, he's a guy who maybe goes too far. I've run into people who said both things. And I'm glad to have you, someone who's actually played for him, talk about what he's like as a man and as a coach. So you're now at Bethune Cookman. What was your, your your welcome to college football moment? What was the moment that you realized? I mean, it's not you saw a lot of talent, obviously, when you were in high school. But what was the moment that sort of showed you the difference between high school and college? Um, I have to say, just walking on that field, your first collegiate game and, and just 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 looking across at the other team and just it's it's like you're on the clock now, like it's 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 go time, it's on. And just that competitive spirit and, and all the the anxious you know, just just looking at the opposing team, my very first college game, it just it just woke me up and let it just you know, you know, it's 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 time. It's it's here. Okay. I'm going to open it back up to my uh, co-host. So, Donovan, what other things would you like to know about Mr. Tavares Stanford? I mean, yeah, I want to know about the stuff off the field. I mean, I don't believe – I've heard good things about you, you know, the character stuff. I mean, I know you got a little bit in trouble back in the day, but, I mean, that that's no worries for anybody, right? I mean, clean slate – That's the question. Yeah, he was asking you about, as you mentioned, there was you know some questions about you in terms of character from some incidents early in your career. But you've been obviously a leader. You've been a guy that stepped forward and stepped up more recently. He was asking about if someone was, was had questions about your character or what kind of guy you are. What kind of things do you tell them? Yeah, sorry about that. I'm not, I didn't sorry, where the best. <laughs> Just, just basically, I'm that guy that's willing to go the extra mile, and um, just don't judge a book by its cover. You know, just get to know someone. Like I was saying with Coach Jesus, man, just get to know someone before you you take something and run with it. And um, I mean, I'm a I'm a good person, an honest person, and um, I'm not going to talk you up on me, but um, just get to know me, basically. Fair enough. Definitely. Do you think um, that – oh, go ahead, Donovan. No, I was going to say, who has been your biggest role model influence since uh, your high school days? You know, I'll, I try to ask every who Who's been your role model? Who's been your, your muse, your inspiration to just keep fighting every day when things get down or it gets a little tough? And who are you fighting for? Or, you know. Well, um the, the reason I do it, um, I have uh, three wonderful women in my life, which is my mom, my my younger sister, and uh, my daughter. And th- th- that's all the inspiration I need. And coming from where I'm coming from, too many people don't make it out. And just being one of those those chosen ones that I have my I have my I'm halfway in and I'm halfway out. I'm on my way to to better things if it's God's willing. 
and that just that just motivates me and gives me all of the fuel to my fire that I need. And a, a person that um that um I grew up looking up to was uh Sean Taylor, and uh, his father is my mentor, Mr. Pete Taylor, and um you know just just take one day at a time and just win today, and um that's just that's about it. That's a great answer. A great answer. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am, man. I'm a, my mom, my sister, too. You know, I'm a kid, yeah, but that's a great answer, yeah. That's what I find for juice, so <laughs> in a different way. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. You mentioned Pete Taylor, uh, Sean Taylor's father. How long have you known the Taylor family? Oh, man, I've known them for a long, long time. Um, it goes back to when my mom was a little girl. Like, I... I that's I I knew them and for a long time. Um, I mean I stayed near them, and um, like I I I was all I was always some way somehow in contact with the with the Taylors. Oh wow! So since you were like a little kid, like eight nine years old. Yes, eight nine years old. Because I was born and raised in uh, down south, exit one, the Florida City Homestead area. Yeah, and he's actually uh, the chief, the chief of police, and um, I stayed like a block over from him growing up. And um, I mean, obviously his son was a was a great player, yeah. But he was also uh, he was also a trainer, so. Um, he would come by to the to the to the local park and he'll see the talent and he was a guy that he he know that everybody ain't come from you know a stable background especially coming from where we come from so he did his best to like you know try to try to take kids in who was willing to, to learn and get coaching and get better and just just work on their games with them and uh, I was one of the ones that um that uh, he had grabbed me up at a young age and. And that was it. Been my mentor ever since. Huh. That's that's a great. Well, I'll tell you, you know better than than I do. But that's a great man and a great family. And um, I'm glad you got a chance to know them. And of course, I mean, we still to this day, as people who love football, miss Sean Taylor. Yes, great player. Very great player. Yeah. Um, uh, he was on his way to the Hall of Fame. So as you mentioned, you know, it's an area, that area of South Florida has great, great talent. It has some great challenges. Um, Are there some guys that you knew growing up who had great athletic talent but unfortunately went in the wrong direction? Yes, sir. Um, It's a lot of guys like that, man. Like I say, um, you can go to the, the hood stores down south, and you just you can put up a, a, a great NFL team from just the, the people that you see that hang out in front of the stores, man. I mean, it's a lot of great talent, and you know some people just not able to make it out uh, from all different reasons, and you know that's just the way it is. I mean, it's tough, but that's life. Is that something you would like to make an impact on when you get where you're going as a as an athlete? Yes, because one of the biggest reasons is, I'm going to be honest, man, it was people better than me growing up, man, and and it's just, 
it's just unfortunate, man, just to see people get caught up in, you know, different situations and, you know, for, for all different reasons, man, and I feel like someone took me under their wings and it's only right that I, I do something, you know, to help someone else out, man. It's it's just, I mean, everybody don't deserve the things that they was just born into, you know, and if, if I can help, in any way, shape, form, I'll help because somebody did it for me that, that they didn't have to, honestly. Got it. Got it. So, talk about some of the people who don't know HBCU football, don't know uh, MEAC football, don't understand that, in my mind, some of the great rivalries are down there. And that's because the rivalry is not just between the players on the field. The rivalry extends to the stands where the fans try to outdress each other, out-barbecue each other, out-music, whatever. They try to out-everything each other. You've got the right. fans trying to outplay each other. I mean, it's a, it's a rivalry from the top to the bottom. Every bit of that school is going up against every bit of your school. Who could turn out the most old alumni? I mean, it's just everything they compete in, everything. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with with uh, HBCU and MEAC football and what that environment's like, paint the picture. Tell people like what what your when you think of your major rivalry game. Uh, tell me about what that game is and why that game is the game that sort of stands out in your mind. Hands down, the Bethune Cookman Fighting Wildcats against the Sam Youth Rattlers. Rattlers. Yes. <laughs> you yeah, said Lady man, Rattlers. Um, <laughs> lady Rattlers, man. Um, it's a it's a deep rivalry. It's a deep rivalry. Um, let 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 the Lady Rattlers tell it. Uh, if you lose every game, if you beat Cookman, it doesn't matter. That's that's their motto. But uh, <laughs> I mean, but it's it's a very intense rivalry, man. It goes back uh, way back. I mean, it's bragging rights until the next year you guys play. And there's a lot of trash talking going on between the players and. Uh, the, the 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 fans and it's just very intense, man. It's a fun rivalry there at the end of the day. Yeah, I try to explain it to people. I went to Norfolk State, and our major rival was Hampton. And I had, you know, I grew up in Tidewater. I had friends and family. My sister, she didn't go there for undergrad, but she has a graduate degree from Hampton. I mean, there was it divides families. It's I try to explain to people. I try to explain. I mean, obviously, everybody's got their rivalries. You got LA has USC, UCLA, whatever. But the difference is that it's you know the fans kind of have a rivalry, and there's players, but you don't see members of the band yelling trash at each other at those rivalries. The bands almost got into it at the Battle of the Bay between Norfolk State and it happened almost every year. You saw the bands about to throw down. That's that's. <laughs> That's, to me, that's the difference, is that it's at every level. It's a rivalry at every level. The flag girls, whoever it is, the cheerleaders, everybody's trying to, you know, dominate the other team, the other school. Yes, sir, you right about that. In the, in the band rivalry, that's a whole different <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's another crazy thing. It's just... It's just not about the football game with us. It's about the halftime show, too. So. Oh, yeah. I've seen people declare that it was a tie. You might have won the football game, but our band beat yours. It's like, well, wait a second now. <laughs> <laughs> wait a second now. <laughs> wait, hold on now. 
That's not a tie. That's not a tie. Yeah, that's the mindset. I've always liked those rivalries. They have a little extra flavor to them, you know what I mean? Like, I went to a Fort Valley State game, and it was just, you know, it, it's not, I mean, I, you know them, Phil. I mean, USC, UCLA rivalry. I've been almost every one. I love them. That's my team, USC, you know, of course, but, like, Something different about those rivalries, you know what I mean? Like you said, with the bands and the cookouts and stuff, it's just kind of like – it's kind of like a high school vibe almost, um, yeah, which I yeah. love. You know, it's, it's really fun. Really intense. Yeah, sure it was. <laughs> okay. Uh, who are some of the best guys you faced? Talk about some of the guys you faced in high school. Who are some of the best guys you faced in college, some of the best players you, you lined up against? Um. I have to say, uh, Nick O'Leary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lamar Miller. Oh, yeah, right. Yes, he'll do, right? Yeah, those guys. The Duke Johnson. Um, um, I'll say, uh, the A.C. Leonard. Tight end. Oh, and that's about it. I say it's a lot of competition, but uh, those are the main guys. So talk about Nick O'Leary. Um, he's obviously not a guy that's you know freakishly fast or huge or whatever. What makes a guy like that a handful to deal with, even though he's not an elite level athlete like some of the other guys you just named? Football IQ, hands down. I mean, that's something that you can't teach. And um, and he has that part of his game down packed. I mean, just he know the game of football and that make up for a lot of things. I mean, it's just the little things, man. That He's a throwback player and a, a very tough, hard-nosed player who will come after you. And, I mean, sometimes the, 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 the timer or the – the, the vertex jump and it, it it won't say that but uh once you roll that film it's a whole different ball game with that kid. Okay. I like how you put that. That's uh you got a, you got a pretty good eye. You got a, you could be a scout. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, you broke him down very well. So let's yeah, yeah good. No, I was just like I was just saying I I, I like to watch film, man. And that's just I like to be honest on every player, so I, I, it won't be no surprise in the game. So yeah, I, I, I analyze that player, what he okay. do. Yeah, I, I like that. I like. I mean, that's. I think that to me is the biggest difference when people talk about the jump between high school and college. Obviously, you know, guys bigger, faster, et cetera. But you played in South Florida. You saw big, fast guys in high school. Uh, but the, it's the mental part of the game is where the jump is, is really dramatic because you probably watched tape in high school, but you, you probably didn't get that much out of it. What helped you to unlock the power of film once you got to college? What helped you to, to make that jump? What helped me make, make the jump? The mental jump, right. Once you got to college and you're watching tape, what helped you get more out of it than you got before? Um. Just um, because once you once you go in the game, you don't want nothing to be new to you because you want to play fast and physical and free. So that's why you watch film. So 
you know, you can just with the tendencies, the personnels, or so you can play more faster. Or okay, it's third and short. Let me play the sticks. They like to do this combat route. So you won't be more in in the box and playing the run. You can put yourself in in a much better position. And um, in high school, I really didn't know, but once I mean, once you get older, um, you know, it's just it's time to to up your game. And fam is one of the one of the top ways, if not the top way, to, to, to improve your game. Was there a particular coach that helped you, or yes, how, coach, how was... yes, Coach Jones. He's a defensive coordinator um, over at Bethune Cookman, and he just he he told me once when I was a young freshman, um, he always used to call me a jit. He was like, "Jit, if you if you want to um, if you want to be good." You can you go to practice and you, and you go to meetings, but if you want to be great, you'll do you'll do the, the you'll do the, the out of the norm. You'll you'll stay a little bit after practice and watch uh, watch some films or watch what you did wrong in practice and watch your feet work and just the little things like that. And um, I mean, once I started doing it, you can just see like okay, far as practice, I, I won't make that false step that I was doing before that I didn't know or. You know, I use this move on the third down other than a move I was using prior. Just just the little things, man, just the little things that make the big difference. And he and he broke that, that part of the game. Well, he introduced that part of the game to me, and I just took it and ran with it. Okay. Uh, Donovan, what other questions might you have for Tavares? I got two questions. One, I was touching on Nicolay because I talked to a recruit that's from the San here. And does that count in South Florida? Like, your part of South Florida? Because <laughs> he said it does, but I don't think it does. Because he's from North Palm or South Palm, West Palm, I guess. Right? Yeah, you count them. Yeah, does that count, you know, to get a pass? Like, or no? <laughs> he, does, he does not. <laughs> well, uh, I say yeah, yes, it counts because it's in the five six one, and that's you know the bell gate blade in the Pahokee area that that has to count. So okay, uh, okay. I'll okay. give him a pass. <laughs> okay, he officially has been extended a pass. Okay, just asking, you know, just asking. But anyway, have, <laughs> Nick Leary's people will be uh, will be informed, and his pass will be delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. there you go. But um. Um, I guess the last question that I have was, is, uh, excuse me, is, um, what separates you, um, from, from the, you know, the top tier linebackers, you know, how are you going to make your way, um, in the NFL, you know, what are you going to tell us, what are you going to show them, really, do you tell them everything you want, but what are you going to show them, what, what makes you, uh, special, what makes you different from the other linebackers? I say, um, my versatility, being able to come off the edge and, and stick a slot receiver and just playing with leverage, playing with your arms, your hands, your eyes. Just oh it just just put me against or put me in the same uniform as a as a guy from Ohio State and then at the end of the day do you, you can can you honestly tell the difference? That's that's the thing with me. It don't it don't you know it don't matter about none of that. Just you put me in the same uniform as any other person and I'm willing to show you 
I mean, I'm not a big rah-rah. I'm not going to talk your head off. Or you just put me against whoever you, you think the best or whoever you want to see me next to. And and, that, and and at the end of the day, you won't know the difference. And um, that's just my biggest thing, man, is just, just my energy, man, my effort. You know, just the effort. You can't coach effort, man. I've seen a highlight reel video of uh, Ray Lewis' speech, and, and he, he was talking about effort, man. Just just go out there and just run around and hit people, be violent. And um, that's what I play with, man. I I, I, I try to play with a, a nonstop motor and a physical, a phys, like a physicalness, man, violence on the field, man. But just stay within the, 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 the boundaries and do it the right way and, you know, everything will be all right. Another good answer. I like. I like the. I mean, effort. That's all it is, man. Especially at that position, like you said, Ray Lewis is the best to ever do it, possibly. So that's a good. And you know, obviously from you know South Florida as well. So yeah, I mean, that is a great answer. You'll love that. <laughs> effort. Effort's key. Yeah, that's a great answer. So you mentioned a lot about film, and I I love hearing about guys with film head. Tell me about a play that you made in your career that you made because of something you spotted off tape? Um, I, I'll say going back, into, uh, it was a, we played South Carolina State, and it was our homecoming my uh, junior year. And um, I just, um, they like the, they like the, they, they'll run a zone read. They'll zone read you to sleep, and then they'll show the ball, and they'll take it out and run a bubble read basically trying to suck that outside backer to bite inside. Then once he bite inside, um, the slot receiver seal him off and then run the bubble with the number three receiver. So, um, I mean, I know that's – I mean, they was trying to, to, to set me up and set me up, and I go to the sideline, and the, and the coach was, was saying, uh, it's coming, it's coming. And I was like, yeah, it's coming, coach. And um, and they, it, it, it happened just like that. They they – showed it, and then they pulled it out of the running back stomach, and then they ran the bubble, and I just came up and smacked the smacked, uh, receiver for no gain. For a matter of fact, an incompletion. That's always <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Donovan, do you have a, a last question before I ask my last question to Taurus? No. I don't. I, I all I have to say is, uh, like I said, every possible keep grinding. It seems like you're definitely yes, gonna keep grinding. You know, I know. I've talked to so many guys from South Florida, man. But that's one thing I say about all of them: South Florida and uh, New Orleans. So we had a guy from New Orleans on too, and I talked to a lot of those guys. So like those are the grittiest cities. Those guys always show effort and they keep grinding. And they're just tough. I mean, I'm I'm from Southern California, but you guys are tough, to be honest. So, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we're both you know beach close to the beach and everything, but no, I mean, <laughs> I got to give a nod to the South Florida guys. I know you have a smack effort. I saw it on tape, a few games I did watch, and yeah, just good luck on the rest of the way. Um, I know I'll follow you on Twitter. Um, I've already seen your Twitter. I'll give you the follow on there and keep up with your training regimen and everything. So, good luck, and I hope you All land right, on cool. the team. All right, cool. Thanks so very much for having me, man. No problem. Well, we're not quite we're not quite done with you. I oh yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> nice try though. Um, the uh, 
you've got you're you're invited to the the, the super regional. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Well, first of all, congratulations. That is uh, a great opportunity, and I think you get a chance to to show people who and what you are, which is, you know, as you said, sort of a throwback, but a throwback with some very modern bells and whistles. Uh, are there some goals you have in mind, things you want to accomplish in terms of testing? Um, most definitely, man. Get that forty down. That always help. And um. Uh, increasing my bar jump, just just the little things. I'm just trying to get everything. It's not one thing in particular. I'm trying to make um, all my numbers, testing numbers, make them make them better. That's my biggest goal. Okay. Looking at guys that you've seen play, maybe you admire them. You know, maybe they help to sort of inspire you. Who are some of the guys that you see yourself? And when you watch them play, here's some guys that remind you of you when you watch them play football. Uh, definitely Clay Matthews, man. Like his 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 motor, man. His motor, his 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 energy, man. He plays so relentless. Like it's just he get after it, man. I love that part of his game, man. Every play, every play, he he's giving you all he got, 110, and um. As as other players, man, you see that and you see it off of that. Like, man, he 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 throwing his body around. You know, he he's doing what it takes. He he going the extra mile. You know, and that's one thing that I like about him, and and that's one player that uh, I I could I, I compare my game to. Well, and you mentioned versatility. You know, obviously Clay Matthews. Here's a guy who started his career as a walk-on safety, 180 pounds at USC built himself into, you know, Thor, as they call him. Uh, you know, that's, that's a guy who clearly put in some work in the weight room. And he makes his reputation, obviously, as a 3-4 outside linebacker. His team is struggling against the run. They say, you know, we need to play inside. He shows up, plays inside, and all of a sudden, team's better against the run. Right. <laughs> boom! Boom! Uh, that's, that's, that's amazing to me, that a guy can play you know, last few, his last three years of college and his first five years, six years in the NFL at one position, you say, I need you to do this. He goes out and does it. Yeah, that's, to me, that's special when a guy can do that. You know, you, you just you do what the team needs. Yeah, she's a very special player, man. I like everything about his game. Tim in Houston, man, I don't know. There's something about those guys. Okay. And anybody else that you sort of look up to or anyone else you admire or you want to take things from anybody else's game you want to put in your game, any other guys that you – because obviously that's a great great first choice. Uh, anybody else you, you like to watch? Um, as far as defensive players, yeah, Houston. Uh, the defensive end, uh, Houston, or uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, you're talking about Justin Houston and yeah. J.J. Watt? Yes. Oh uh, no, the for Kansas City. Uh, well, the they've got Tom Ali. They've got uh, Justin Houston. They've got uh, Montari Poe in the in the middle. They got some With guys. The dark, the, the, dark, the, the sec, NFL sack leader for this season. Oh, that would be Tom Ali, I believe you're talking. No, you're talking about Justin Houston. You're talking about Justin Houston Justin from Georgia. Houston, yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. Yeah, I, I he's a monster. 
Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I just started watching uh, some film on him, man. And yeah, I, I like I like him. I do, yeah, I like him. I like his game. Yeah, but somebody other than my position would hands down be John Barr on the receiver for the Cardinals. Oh, <laughs> another one of my former all underappreciated team guys. Yes, from Pittsburgh State. Yeah. Yes, sir. I love everything about him, man. Uh, yeah, he's another one from down here, and I mean, a lot of a lot of things that he, he could have just gave up on, and you know, he just kept fighting. And he's a big, 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 big like like I mean, motivation, man. Just seeing him come from where he come from and where he at now, doing good things, and you know. That's another player that I look up to. Well, that's, that's a great sort of cross-section of guys you mentioned, like some guys who are sort of um, maybe off the beaten path in terms of people knowing about them to some guys who are very well-known. Um, I think Jim Coburn's back with us. Jim? Mm-hmm. Oh, Jim yeah. Coburn? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jim, what question might you have for Dwarves? Um, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what's been covered so far. Uh, I guess uh, have you been invited to any All Star games or anything like that? That's awesome. Um, I had a. I had a. I was invited to All Star game in uh, Mississippi, the USA Football College Bowl game. Um, but that passed. Um, well, the next big thing I'm working on is just. Uh, these regionals and pro days. And are you you doing are you doing a pro day or are you going to be at more than one? Um, uh, it's not the set in stone yet, but uh, my school pro day is on the twenty fourth, and uh, I have a super regionals on the, on that that twenty first. Yeah. So other than that, uh, but I'm trying to get into another uh, pro day, but that's just something that this target for. Well, it'd be nice if you can get to Miami's pro day. That would be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I tried, I tried, I tried. I got denied, and I, I tried again, and it was full. So that's something that I'm still working on. <laughs> okay. Well. Like I said, I definitely wish you the best of luck. That would be a great opportunity, and that's going to be obviously well attended. And you'll it'll be a, it'll be like a reunion for you. You're gonna see a bunch of people you know. Yeah, it'll be a bunch of people I know. And, uh, I have a former teammate who will be attending uh, Miami's uh, pro day. So yeah, it'll be a ton of people. <laughs> oh, which which former teammate are you gonna would you run into if you make it to Miami's pro day? Um, our Mike linebacker Ralph Williams. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Jim is our big metrics guy. So in terms of measurables, uh, what's your current height and weight? What do you weigh now, and, and um, what were you measuring at when they measure you? Oh, I'm currently 6'2 and 5'8". Okay. And um, I weighed in at 240. That was the heaviest I ever was. But I'm between 237 and 240. Right now I'm 240. Okay. So sort of Von Millerish in terms of your your height and weight there uh, when he was right. coming out at Texas A and M. 
Yes, sir. Okay. And are you are you sort of uh, you mentioned you wanted to to open some eyes. Do you have some specific numbers you're going to try to hit when you go down to uh, perform at the Super Regional? Um, just um, I'm trying to get my vertical up to at least a, a thirty thirty-seven and a half because it, oh. it has been done. And um, okay. and I'm trying to knock down my uh, my forty time to uh, to anywhere in a in a, a four a four five range. Yes. Okay. So and that, that, has that, been, that'll, do, that'll do. Yeah, I mean it, it, it has been done, so I'm just trying to Daddy. trying to get get that on um on record. Is that your personal assistant I hear in the background? Um, no, I'm I'm, I'm actually um just leaving a funeral. Oh, some family oh. oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Is that your was that your daughter? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm I'm a father myself and of a little girl, but not so little. My girl is almost as tall as her mother now, but she's growing the weed. But congratulations. Welcome to the Father of Daughters Club, my friend. Right. You are in for a wild ride, Tavares Denver. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> um Jim, do you have any other questions for Tavares? Um I mean, that's all that's really coming to mind. I kind of covered it. So. Okay. So I'll give you my legendary, uh, you know, often uh, emulated but never quite imitated final question. The the player, you mentioned some of the guys that I do see when I when I watch you on tape. You're a guy that, um, there was actually a guy named C.O. Moore who uh, I was a fan of a couple of years ago coming out of UConn, and I think I see the similarities in you, in you guys. And I, I won't be surprised if you end up having a similarly successful career. You may not be drafted where he was drafted only because, you know, you may not be as well-known in the scouting community, but you clearly have a lot of qualities people look for in an NFL linebacker. It's the ability to cover, the ability to simulate a lot of information, to play against the run, to, you know, come downhill, to rush the passer. Versatility, as you put it very important. Yeah. I think that's going to help you. And then a little birdie, let me know that you're uh, obviously a big-time special teams ace as well. You are a long snapper as well, is that correct? Yes, sir, a long snapper as well. So you are the second long snapper I've had in as many weeks. Of course, uh, we had Dan Jordan, who, fun fact, is uh, – I mean, not Dan Jordan. Uh, Dan, uh, yeah, who is a cousin of Jordy Nelson uh, last week who uh, is a long snapper par excellence. That's that's what he does. Now, in your case, it's like an extra added bonus. It's like with with Jared Allen. Now, he doesn't long snap anymore, but Jared Allen, his first two years in the league, uh, was a guy that had to lead a long snap, and that helped him be in the league. So, congratulations. Having that extra thing that you can do, that extra box you can check, that's something that helps you to to stick around when cuts run around the last few cuts. Being a guy that can do something else, you know, hey, I can also cover kicks, I can also return kicks, I can also block kicks, whatever it is. In your case, long snap, that's that thing sometimes that when they decide between you and another guy that they're trying to pick, you know, that's a, that can be a huge feather in your cap. So congratulations, that's a great thing. Uh, how did you come to learn to long snap? Um, we started in high school. A high school coach. He was just saying, um, basically what you told me, just um, 
Matthew was saying, uh, who want to learn how to loan smack? It was just one random day in practice. Man. Nobody raised their hand. And then he said, uh, then he said, uh, he said, uh, it's just a, it's a big, it's a, it's a big deal. I mean, you probably think it's not a big deal, but it's mm-hmm. actually a big deal as far as, you know, I know some, he was just, he gave us a little brief little story that he knows someone that played uh, X amount of years in the NFL and only yep. thing she did was long snap. Yep. So once, once he said that, I was like, oh, I, I'm all in because I know what I want to be uh, when I was younger. So I'm like, okay, this is what it takes. I mean, it won't hurt me to learn it. So I learned it, and uh, it was, there it was. Well, I think it's great. And as your coach told you true, I mean, there's a guy here in the Chicago community named Patrick Manley who had something like an 18- or 19-year career as a long snapper. Doran Boss in Philadelphia had a, about a 17, 18 year. I mean, once you're there, it's, it's almost like joining a secret society as far as once you're in as a long snapper. Not that you don't sometimes, but as long as you don't make them replace you, they don't like to replace long snappers. The, the kickers get used to you, you know, the third break settles in, the holders, everybody, you know, it becomes a tight little unit. And like I said, unless you make them want to replace you, they don't tend to replace them. You know, so if you've got a long snapper and you like them, unless they do something, unless they do something to change things, unless something happens to change that, you usually have a job until you, you know, until you're ready to hang it up. Yeah, I hope that's the case with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the fact that you also are a legitimately a, a really good linebacker, like I said, there'll be, there'll be a fight over you perhaps at some point in your career with the special teams coach trying to pull you over towards long snapping if you're a good long snapper, and then obviously linebackers, the coach or deep coordinator is going to want you on defense. So right. here's my here's my, my often emulated but never imitated world-famous final question to Barth. Okay. I think that you fight your way into the NFL, and long snapping is one of the things going to help you to survive those brutal cuts. Because those last few cuts, they're cutting guys who can play. That first cut, you know, you're cutting down to 90 guys. You might be cutting guys that really don't belong, but by the time those cuts after that are guys that can play in the NFL. Those guys are guys who are good enough, but just the numbers went against them. And that last cut, those are all guys who can play. You know, those last cuts are all quality people. They just, like I said, not enough room on the roster. So your ability to add that extra added value is going to probably end up saving you or can help to save you as a guy who's trying to hang on the roster. And so that first year, you're going to be a special teams guy primarily. So the ability, to, the fact that you can run, you can tackle, you can launch, I mean, you know, special teams coaches are going to love you. And then you, yeah. move that, you move into that second year and you start flashing some stuff in practice, you know, all throughout OTAs and now the now the linebackers coach is like, wait, that guy's not just a special teams guy. That's a linebacker. You know, let me let me have him these reps over here. Let me let me grab him right quick. Let me just take Mr. Right. Dance over here and put him through a few things over here. And then, like I said, there might be a little tug of war with you for a second there. But I think eventually you're going to show people that you can be a a a full time real player at your position. In addition to giving them that extra added bonus of having a guy who can also gives value with a long snapper. So now, in that second year, you're fighting, you're getting reps on defense. And by the time you get to your third year, you're not fighting for reps, you're out there. You're, you know, you're in a position battle. You know, probably at Sam, maybe. Um, I guess it depends on just what kind of team it goes to. If you go to a 3-4 team, 
he might be a strong inside linebacker, or possibly, um, possibly even a, a strong weak, a strong, a um, an inside uh, weak side backer in a three four. In a in a four three, I think you might even be able to play Mike, him, but definitely I think you can play Sam because you know how to take on you know how to take. It's a dying art taking on blocks, Tavares Dancer. <laughs> I I've been watching a lot of linebacker tape, and it is a dying art. Stacking and shedding and knowing how to take on blocks, a dying art. Thank you for helping to keep it alive, Tavares, because you actually know how to take on blocks. Yeah, um, yeah, man, you can't play with those blockers, man. They don't have the ball, and you're trying to get to the ball, man. So uh, Right. Well, I appreciate that. You don't just try to run around and slip through. I mean, you know how to actually, yeah, you know, let me, you know, you attack, you engage, you get an advantage, you take, you attack half a man. I mean, you actually have technique. Thank you. As a, as a guy coming downhill and dealing with blockers, it's good to see that, like I said, that art is completely dead. And when you show that, when you show that, when you show that, there's going to be some linebacker coaches saying, well, you know, let me, uh. so now, you're you're fighting for a starting job by year three, right? You're not just a guy on the roster. You're fighting for a starting job. I can see you winning that fight with your mindset and your work ethic and the yeah. qualities you possess. So now yeah. you, you yeah. establish yourself. You establish yourself in the league. You're a guy out there, not just on the roster, not just in, in the league. You're now making plays. You're a player. You are not just on the roster. You're a starter. So when you go back to Bethune, right, they bring you back, they have a little celebration, you talk, you talk to the team before a big game, you know, they've, uh, you know, they're celebrating you, you get a chance to talk to people, and hey, you get a little letter in the mail telling you about tomorrow's dance today, you know, all that good stuff. And of course, at some point, they slip into it, you know, we look forward to your generous donations. So get ready for that. When you, you know, get into that second contract, you're going to hear from your school. That's how it is. Hey, Tavares, you know, so proud of you. You know, another one of the platoon cookbook family, blah, blah, blah. And then somewhere in paragraph two, we look forward to your generous donation. Okay. So you get to stand on stage with AD and the president, the head coach, and, you know, all the provosts and vice presidents, everybody up there, and they're all shaking hands, and you're standing with a big giant check, you know, four feet high, six and a half feet wide. Everybody's all happy. And... They're improving the facilities, in part because of your generosity, right? You're getting a chance to have an impact also on the community where you came from, so it's a place where young people can come, they can get tutoring, they can get off the streets, they can, you know, not just all sports, it's all academic stuff going on. And then the, the Danzler Outreach Center, there's going to be, you know, game-worn jerseys, you know, your old helmet, gloves, cleats, all that good stuff. But also on the flat screen, there's going to be some of your tape up there. What game or what play, what would you want people to see that represents what Tavares Stanford brought to the field in his time as a film coach? What play, I have to say, um, if, it was, if it had to be one play, it would be um, a, a crossing route, uh, a, a tight end, uh, a slot receiver uh, was running uh, a crossing route across the, across the field where he was trying to go across the field. You know, I just I came up and I, I I knocked him off his crossing route, and he flew like I want to say five yards back. <laughs> and um, why that play? Just 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 um, 
this I think that play itself just shows like that out that the style of play I play with, that physical style of play and um um just just I think that play just represents a, a, a lot about me and, and what you what you'll get like. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I, I like that in in this sort of era of everybody talking about space and, you know, all that good stuff, I love to hear that there's still, you know, hitters. There's still people who to knock people out, uh, still allowed to, to roam free a little bit. So I look very much forward to getting to watch you in preseason and the plays you get to make. Uh, Tavares, it's been a distinct pleasure getting a chance to meet you, uh, hear a little bit about your your rather impressive story, and your defense, like I said, of of, of your old head coach when you know a lot of people are sort of, you know, his name's being, you know, knocked down a little bit. I find it impressive, you know, that you're not you're not a person who um, who feels that hard coaching necessarily is abuse. Uh, it, I know there can be a fine line there, but you clearly understood that this is the guy who's trying to make you better. Right. Well, yeah, like I said, it's good to see that. But once again, a pleasure. I'm going to be sending an email with some more questions because I want to write a, a full profile for an article that I'm doing on the All Underappreciated team. You're one of the members of that team. And I'll send that very, very soon, and uh, we can follow up obviously, in terms of that. You should be getting an email probably later this evening regarding that. Once again, I thank you very much for joining us. All right, thanks so very much for having me. Certainly. A pleasure. A Very much a pleasure. Uh, that was Tavares Danzer, Bethune Cookman, a three-down linebacker, a guy who's terrific against the run and, and understands coverage as well. I will not at all be surprised, uh, like I said, if he soon is making an impact. Him? Yeah, as as always, you know we have you know a nice spectrum of guys. You know, big guys, little guys, medium sized guys, uh, special teams guys, offense, defense, etc. For the most part, these are guys that have been to some extent, I don't know, slept on or missed on, or whatever you want to use. I mean, Lyndon Trail, obviously, you know, is a guy that I think the world to some extent knew about. Uh, he's Mostly an exception, but you know, but a lot of the guys that we have on are guys that I think people are still trying to learn about or wake up to. When you are dealing with guys that, as you said, the pro day is everything for these guys. They aren't going to be at the combine. They may not be the senior role for the most part. They're most of these guys are going to be at it's one of the smaller all star games that for the less media, and like I said, you know, they're pro day. For you, in what you do, does the pro does the pro day become super important for guys like this because you don't have the other the other data, the other stuff? I mean, um, it do, it do because, uh, like you said, due to the, the the lack of, I don't even know how to say it. We we just coming from a small school, man. It's just so hard to to get the publicity that the. the, the that the players that the that the large D ones get. So I mean, at the end of the day, it, it puts a lot on you to perform well at your pro day, due to the limited like resources that you got to like reach out to the big school. I mean, the big 
schools or scouts or just anything, man. So, yeah, man, um, for a lot of small school guys, pro day is, is, is all we have. And it's, um, I mean, it's unfortunate, but, I mean, that's just the way it is. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, I would like an update when you do complete your pro day and your data from your um, Super Regional Carbine, because I'd like to, like I said, uh, update your, your profile with accurate information. So you'll be getting an email regarding that. Uh, will you do me the favor of letting me know when you get those updated uh, numbers regarding your performance? Okay, cool. Perfect. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you aren't already aware of Boris, I recommend that you will you know, try to find more information. If people wanted to find and follow you, how would they do it? Where can people find more information about you, Tamara? Um, well, um, more information. Uh, I have a highlight reel on um, YouTube. Okay. Uh, I mean, you can reach out to my uh, my defensive coordinator back at uh, college if you want to uh, if you want to uh, like any background on me or whatever. Uh, I mean, my agency, mm-hmm. and um, and and that's about it, man. Okay, that's about it. That's fine. Well, and who represents you? You 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 work what agency? Called A is Sports, mm-hmm. and um, it's a it's a group. Uh, it's a uh, Mr. Sammy, Mr. B G, a Billy, aka B G, and a man named Mr. Peter. Okay. Uh, so, so, so we're a little team in um, small-time agency, and that's what I'm working with. Okay. How did you How did you find, come to decide, or how did you figure out those guys you wanted to go with when you were making your decision? Um, I was recommended to those guys by a former player that I, I that I looked up to. Um, his name was Gene Fenor, and um, he actually had. Um, my playing number before um, I had it. And I just liked it. Uh, everything that he stood for and his work ethic, and every time that he talked, he always said positive things. So uh, just things that it, you know, just I just don't like being around negative people, and it always was positive for him. And um, make a long story short, um, he uh, he 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 was he he had a tryout. Well, he was on the Kansas City. Um, roster or however that go, but uh, he didn't make the 53 man, so he went over to the AFL for a few years, and um, he fired his old agent, and um, like five days later, well, yeah, two days later after he signed to the guys that I have, he had a, he had signed a two-year contract with the Green Bay Packers, and um Basically, what he was telling me was I reached out to him and told him my situation that I didn't have nobody to represent me as of yet. And he was like, oh, okay, and he recommended me to – he recommended his guys to me, and they got in contact with me. And um, uh, I sat down, and uh, we we talked for, for a long time, and um, I just came to that conclusion that I'll be signing with these guys. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like you, you underwent – a very thoughtful and and helpful process. Tavares is yes. been, like I said, it's been great getting a chance to to find out more about the the person, right? It's not just the player, 
you'll be getting a follow-up email with me, uh, from me, like I said, by way of your, uh, your representation so that I can find out some of the things I want to put into your profile. I also want to update when you get your numbers from your, uh, your pro day as well as your performance at the Super Regional Combine. I'm going to let you – I didn't realize I was uh, interrupting a family event. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry to hear about the loss in terms of your family, and I hope that uh, you and your family will be able to spend some time together the rest of today. All right, cool. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, uh, for you know making the time, especially under the circumstances, for making the time to speak with us today. All right. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, once again, that was Tavares Stanzer of Bethune Cookman, a, a guy with a, a really great attitude, first of all, um, regarding, you know, some of the things he's been through, regarding uh, some of the things he's seen, and and regarding what he wants to accomplish. So, Jim, Jim Coburn? Yeah. Yes. As I was, I was intending originally to sort of uh, follow up with you regarding this, when we, we talked a little bit about the difference between the pro day and the combine and how you wait or um, treat the information you gain from each. And obviously in the case of guys like Tavares, you don't have the ability to compare. You can't say, well, he did this, you know. Right? Well, I mean, I guess that, well, I'll do that. When you talk about the regionals and the super regionals and things like that, is that data that you also put into your, your hopper, or how does that work? Um, I use the same data for everything. Um, I just, the data that's pro day data gets a different color number. So, uh, like, pro day data is usually blue because it makes it a little bit more trustworthy than it should be. Okay. I got you. That's all it really is. That's just so that if somebody goes, oh, was this from the – it's more so like this come from the time I go from the pro day most most of the time. Um, but it's it's really not that big of a difference. You know, again, um, guys are usually – pro day is pretty accurate. And, you know, in the combine, they had a lot of issues with the timing there. So, uh, guys, so even at the combine, they're going to have guys who have – issues timing so um it's just that uh some pro days this stuff is widely inaccurate <laughs> so um at least what the school reports and usually they have another organization that reports the stuff anyway so um but for the most part it's the same it's the same data it's the same thing you know um for the most part okay okay and that's, like I said, something I always wondered about when guys, now that we do have the regionals and super regionals and, you know, like pro days as well, as opposed to the sort of, uh, you know, the, the sort of original combine, what you want to call it. Uh, I didn't know if you, how it was, you, uh, you that data, but you, you're saying you basically treat it all the same. Well, verticals, broad jumps the same. So there's, there's no difference in how you measure right. that. You know, um, short shuttle, three cone, 40, you're doing by usually a stopwatch or some other, some places have better, of course, certain places have better technology, but, um, you know, you treat it the same. So, you know, now you label it that it's, that it's a certain thing. That's why if somebody questions, it's something to investigate, but for the most part, 
it's all you have, so you have to go with it, you know. And the combine can be just as have many mistakes as pro days. So, um, in terms of certain things, so uh, that's all I would really say is you treat it all the same because you have to. If you're going to be making decisions on guys, and that's the only short show that you have, that's the only short show that you have. Makes sense. So as we sort of prepare to wrap, first of all, I thank um, you know I thank um, well, the athletes, first of all, you know, who joined us, which include, obviously, Terrace Jones, Rigby, throws Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.